Coming to you from Pro Circuit in Corona, California, it's the Whiskey Throttle Show. Brought to you by Yamaha, the leaders in the power sports industry. Motocross bikes, street bikes, adventure bikes, generators, side-by-sides, quads, boats. Yamaha sets the standard. Yamaha revs your heart. Today's guest is presented by Therabody. Therabody creates effective natural solutions to take charge of your daily wellness. By combining education, innovation, and over a decade of pioneering technology, Therabody makes wellness more accessible for everybody. Today's show brought to you in part by Method Race Wheels, the strongest, lightest, fastest wheels in off-road. Method dominates the off-road racing market, and they have wheels for your truck, spreader, SUV, Jeep, or van. Troy Lee Designs, built for the world's fastest racers. Troy Lee Designs blends elite level protection with a history of industry-leading style and performance. From motocross gear to custom paint to bicycle protection, Troy Lee Designs is waiting for you on the next level. This week's guest is a two-time 125 West Region Supercross champion, a Premier Class Supercross winner, U.S. Open champion, and ISD gold medalist. The end of his racing career is where it gets really impressive. He is currently an LAPD law enforcement officer working in South Central Los Angeles. Please welcome Damon Huffman to the show. It's December 2021. Thank you guys for joining us here at the Whiskey Throttle Show. I'm your host, David Pingree, and today we've got a cool guest. Uh, this guy is a two-time 125 Supercross champion, U.S. Open champion, a 250 Supercross winner, ISDE gold medalist, uh, one of the most talented racers ever to swing a leg over a bike uh, in the last couple decades anyway. Damon Huffman is here. Thanks for joining us, man. I'm really stoked to be here. I've been watching the show quite a bit, and uh, you know, it's an honor to kind of be up on this platform with all these other guys you've had on. Well, we're trying to make a collection of everybody that, you know, yeah. uh, was interesting or did cool stuff in the sport and just uh, showcased their life a little bit. So we're, we're stoked to have you on, man. Um, we start all our shows off with the Method Race Wheels front end chatter. Folks that uh, follow the show are familiar with that. Method's making the lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in off-road. So if you're in the market uh, to genuinely go out and do some off-roading in a side-by-side or truck, uh, they've got bead grip and bead lock technology built into there so you will not blow a tire off a rim. Uh, if you've got a truck... Uh, like I do, that rarely sees dirt other than when I pull into the pits at a track, I still want it to look good, and uh, Method has some rad stuff. So <clears throat> check them out, and you can use our code Whiskey Throttle to get 20% off on anything you purchase there at Method. So um, get over there and check those guys out. Um, I want to ask you first about mountain biking. I feel like this is your new jam. Um, I've been watching these. You're doing like kind of little videos showing how to do obstacles, and you're having fun, man. E-bike, uh, yeah. e-bike life. Yeah, for sure. I mean... Um, uh, like, like you, I mean, we've always rode and trained on mountain bikes back when, you know, two inches of travel and hardtails and yeah, crappy <laughs> brakes and they're always skipping gears, but the bikes are so good nowadays and been having a lot of fun. It's kind of what I do a lot with my, my two boys. And, uh, for me, uh, there was a portion after racing where I didn't do anything, no cycling, no riding. And I, I don't know. I, I felt like I was almost going downhill, like physically, mental, you know, you got, you mentally. Got, like so, sedentary, you know, yeah. You, absolutely. So yeah. mountain biking really, once I got a newer updated bike, I was like, what the dropper post and yeah. disc brakes? 
And where I live in San Clemente, there's there's great trails, and I, I didn't even know because mm. I wasn't riding, I wasn't out there, and and now with the e-bike, I got a, a little deal that I'm I've been promoting the intense Taser e-bike. I've been having a lot of fun. <clears throat> well, the neat thing about those to me, and a lot of people poo-poo the e-bikes, you know, like I got my buddy, guys I ride with are constantly sending me stuff, stuff jabbing on me, but. I don't have enough time to ride a regular bike enough yeah. to go out and have fun on it. I'm, I can't get into fit, you know, enough shape on it. Where the e-bike, I jump on my, I got a specialized Levo. We're a specialized show here. Mm -hmm. um, but I can take off, man, and like, I'm, I'm smiling the whole time. And I still get a workout. I don't know about you. My legs are still tired at the end if I'm climbing or going hard, like jump, jump lanes and stuff. You still got to pedal hard. Uh, I'm just having so much fun, you know. It's, it's kind of relit yeah. my passion for mountain biking. Yeah, from the the first time I rode an e-bike, instantly I'm like, oh, this is it. Yeah. You know, uh, I think moto, moto guys like us, you're able to carry a little more speed, even climbing, carrying speed, it makes going uphill actually fun. And yeah. like you said, you can ride it down in the uh, eco mode or whatever and still get a great workout. Yep. Um, but... It's, do you, do you really nice. do that a lot there? Let's just be honest. I'm in terrible all the time. It, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it all depends. If I if I have a a couple hours and I'm gonna do yeah. 20 miles, I have to ride it in that eco mode for most of the ride, yeah. just to make the battery last. But um, yeah, I'm having a blast on it. And, and so uh, you just post them on your on your uh, social media. Is that where they're at? These videos. So if yeah, people check them I, out? I have a little YouTube channel. It's just my name and. Uh, um, it's been kind of fun, okay. you know, just kind of, um, I'm enjoying actually the, the filming process and the editing and it's just all me. It's all me setting up I was gonna one ask. camera, Okay. you know, editing on iMovie on my, my phone and posting it. And huh. it, it's kind of neat, you know, for, uh, what, whatever the, the few people out there watching them, but <laughs> I feel like they're getting better and, you know, I'm having a good time doing it and I get to kind of do a lot of it with, with my boys and yeah. they're getting better and starting to ride pretty good now. And so that's that, awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I've been following it already. So if you, if you want to check that out, look him up on YouTube or, or what's your Instagram handle, Damon Huffman 20, Damon Huffman 20. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the e-bikes, um, the extra weight of them. Oh yeah. I, I, I couldn't jump a regular mountain bike. No, I felt like they're sketchy. Idiot. Yeah. Totally. Now, now this thing, it feels just like a motorcycle with no motor in it or yeah. a, a light motor. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for us older guys and moto guys, they're they're perhaps safer. Yeah. I would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, I don't know if, if everybody really knows this about you, but you uh, now work for LAPD and um, you're a, a motor cop. You ride a motorcycle. I do. Um, and I, I think it's awesome, dude. I, I have, I realize how hard it is to transition from racing into something else especially outside of racing for mm -hmm. guys. It's just very, uh, I mean, I went through it. Well, you know, it's scary. Like, I don't know how you're, we'll talk about how you got into it, but for me it was like, I'm leaving everything that I know and I'm comfortable with. Yep. And starting out at the very bottom. I'm a complete piece of shit and I have to, you know what I mean? Yes. And they tell you that. I'm sure in the, yeah. your academy. In fact, it's a question I have for you. Uh, like, how was that academy, the post academy, right? Like it's you're getting screamed at. It's oh, very it, it military. Rough. It's a paramilitary operation, so you're being screamed at like Absolutely. it's boot camp. Um, you know, the guys that come from a military background, it's not so bad for them, or uh, or even the guys who are just like 
freshly 21 and ready, and they've always wanted to be a cop. But me, I, I came in at 35, and I actually, I never wanted to be a cop. I never thought about it. Uh, I, I initially did try the fireman route. Um, I went through EMT school uh, and tried for, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I really tried super hard, but it, uh, one thing that kind of turned me was I watched uh, Kudrowski. He tried for five years. He went through a fire academy. He, he did everything and never got on. And so I kind of looked at that and, and thought, uh, I don't, you know, they're not yeah. going to hire me. You have to get your paramedic license. Yes. I, I told that to Mike. I yeah. said, dude, you, the, I got, I tried the same thing, being an EMT and getting hired. And it's like, no, it's just not going to happen. You have to go to medic school. And he's like, I, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, I don't either. But yeah. if you want the job, that's what you have. to you do. You really do. Uh, especially when, you know, okay, you have me in my early thirties. Uh, all I have, I had the bare minimum EMT Driver's high school license. diploma. Yeah. 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 Uh, I went through their, you know, their conditioning or their physical agility tests. That was it. Yeah. Or are you going to hire, uh, you know, this young stud that's 24 years old, is already a paramedic and went through fire science classes. And yeah. he's already, you know, stronger, younger, fitter. Uh, well, yeah. they will they, they will hire older guys because they do like people, just like in, in, in police departments, I'm sure, where they're mm -hmm. looking for people with some life experience. Yes. The 24-year-old isn't always making the best decisions. Uh, yeah. Yep, true. Off-duty or on-duty at times, right? So. It's a little bit of both ways, but I remember seeing Mike at like a uh, test for Orange County and these big departments, thousands of people. And they're like, oh, this is one of, you know, six classes today taking a sure. written test. And they're hiring eight people. Yeah. I'm looking around going, oh, my gosh, what yeah. am I doing? You know, I, I was this close to doing something else, too, because mm -hmm. it was frustrating. But so when you're standing there and this this was completely new to me. It, <laughs> first day of our, our tower, our training academy. And you're standing there at attention, and I don't even know what that is. I'm just like shirking sure. around going, I guess I do this. And they just start screaming at you, you, you know, <laughs> piece of crap, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. run, take off in your boots. You know, they're making us run. I'm going, what have I done? Yeah. Well, this is, I did not know I was signing up for this. Was it the same way for you? You're like, oh, man. Uh, totally. I, I had a, a couple good buddies who are both LAPD, and they kind of told me what it is going to be like. But you don't really know until you're standing there. Uh, and, uh, you know, the night before, um, uh, I'm shaving my head, <laughs> yeah. you know, trying to <laughs> polish my boots. And I, I really, I went in not knowing anything, Yeah, not knowing anything. I went through, um, during the hiring process, LAPD has this like, uh, endurance or strength and conditioning class called caps you can go through and okay. it looks good to you know you're, you're going to these workout classes and they kind of go through you know standing at attention and about face and marching and yeah. uh, same thing i was looking around <laughs> you know what am i doing totally out of place um but i knew i had to do something yeah and what what kind of finally drew me towards it was I had a buddy, he's like, hey, man, LAPD, you can do 250 different things. Yeah. You know, they have a motocross team or they have a cycling team or a golf team, whatever you want to do. I, he kind of, I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And, but my, I don't know, we'll maybe get into it later, but the academy and probation, 
uh, it, it was brutal. Brutal. I, I really, yeah. if it weren't for my wife and kids, I would be like, what I'm out. I'm out of here. Yeah. This is. I'm not doing this. Are you kidding me? <sighs> but it was always kind of long term, you know, pension or where a position I, I could be in later. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what I focused on, but I, I had some uh, some really dark times for sure. And I, like, so that, again, that's why I go back to I just really appreciate guys that go out and do something like that. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that to toot my own horn because I I did that as well. But like Joe Olaf, remember him? Mm-hmm. He's a fireman at my department. Yeah, Turbo oh, yeah. Reef works for Santa Barbara County as a fireman. Okay. Um, I'm missing a couple, but there's there's a handful of guys that have done it, and I'm just yeah. like, dude, good job. I mean, it's not yeah. easy. It is so it, hard to go from. Somebody, you know, famous, uh, semi, almost famous, right, to you're getting screamed at. Mm-hmm. And you're, we're, you know, like you and I were both adult men with families. And you're standing yeah. there going, this little, you know, 28-year-old prick is screaming at me right now pretty loud. Like, I know. you know what I mean? It, it's t- you got to really just swallow your pride and go, yeah. okay, no, how bad whole, do I want this? You know, just identity crisis <laughs> of, uh, yeah. Uh, like I said, it, I was pretty miserable. I really hated it, but I, I stuck it out. It, it's gotten a lot better. Yeah. Um, I still don't, I wouldn't say I love my job, but I'm grateful for it. Um, there's there's a lot of perks to it. Yeah. But we'll talk some more about real. it. I want to ask you, I definitely want to get into more of it. I just, I wanted you, to, I guess where I was going was I wanted you to com- have you compare life as a racer versus life as a silver servant. I mean, uh, how do it, you, what, what do you, like, how would you say, describe the differences? <laughs> uh, I, I, well, I would describe it from having the ultimate dream job, um, being in that position and people, you know, whatever, wanting autographs and being a form of entertainment basically, but being at the top level, uh, racing is all, all about, you know, your mechanic, you know, Hey, what can I do for you? Or, uh, the gear yeah. guy, here's your, you're I mean, being served, right? All the time. Yeah. Everyone around Absolutely. you is the servant serving you. Yeah. And then in this job, at complete least for opposite. me, it's a complete flip, complete opposite. I'm helping fat ladies that fell out of their chair, pick them up and put them in there, you know, and they covered in poop. And I'm sure the crap I know that you guys see, cause I work with PD where I'm at. Yeah. It's gnarly. And you're just like, this is my job. I got, I, I don't really want to pick this disgusting crackhead up and mm-hmm. help him out. But like, this is the job, you know, and, and we do it with compassion and, you know, integrity. Right. But it's, it's yeah. a complete flip. Completely. And yeah, I went through, uh, going through that, uh, you know, some depression and, and, and stuff. I, I was close to during the really uh, going down the wrong path. During the, uh, like, academy and probation? Yes. Okay. But uh, um, complete 180. I, I realized how good I had it before. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would rather be doing motos and training <laughs> and traveling. Yeah. Uh, but it's good. I mean, some days at work, um, very rarely, you know, we get thanked or we do something that's kind of special or really help someone out that really appreciates it. And, but right now my job is a combination of, uh, like the other day we pull up to the corner, you know, South central LA and we have 
one guy that's just flipping us off and the other guy is saluting us. <laughs> and it's just nothing bothers me anymore. You know, I, I get yelled at or flipped off uh, probably every day. Yeah. And I, my my thing now, I just, you know. Give him hey, a peace, peace. sign. Yeah. Thank you. But, yeah, so uh, in that regard, uh, I have some pretty thick skin and been called everything. Well, and especially for, for cops right now, it's it's a bad climate, you know. This is not the last few years. I don't know what's happened where defund the police and the police yeah. are somehow the enemy. And it's like, um, no, that's actually not accurate. And any place that's like Minneapolis trying to actually defund police is realizing well, we got to fund oh, this it. doesn't work. Yeah, over $150 million, which it trickles down to, you know, not getting equipment or computers. And uh, I mean, there's so many of our stations that just need to be torn down. Yeah. They're, they're horrible. Uh, or some of the vehicles the patrol guys are riding around in are they're so beat up mm. uh, yeah it's embarrassing but um just yesterday at roll call um they're reading basically kind of our our crime stats and everything every every stat across the board is Tough. is up over last year and everything went up um but i don't know we're we're at a time now where what do they say about that damon like I mean, it's not your guys' fault. You're you're understaffed now. You're you know, but are they like, hey guys, you know, we gotta we gotta stop this. The numbers are going the uh, wrong way. Or are they like, well, just don't I, I die kinda, today. I'm at the point now. I I'll be hitting 11 years uh, next year, and so I'm, I kind of feel like I can just speak up and say how I feel. Uh, but where I work, I work out of a traffic division because I'm on a motorcycle, and we mainly handle. I used to be ticket riding. Uh, traffic accidents. And now we just go from traffic accident to traffic accident. Uh, they LAPD, they changed. Um, we're not writing any tickets. There's no enforcement yeah. of the law. It's, it's complete lawlessness. But in our traffic fatalities, uh, yesterday we're, we're still at 99, but we're going to break 100 for the year just in our little area. That's not all of LA City. So and that's going to be an all-time record. Yeah, last year we had 88, and now we're at 99, and it's going to happen. We're going to go over 100. Yeah, they're, when they're letting people, if it's like under a thousand dollars or something, mm -hmm. if they're stealing it, you just yeah, it 950 dollars. Prop uh, 47 that passed. I don't know how long, how many years it's been, but I, I mean, criminals know that. Uh, you just they're just walking <laughs> and are you, in. And, are you supposed to do like a? Let's see, what has he got? I got a sweatshirt on, a pair of shoes. Uh, Nikes, he's over. I, I can arrest him. I mean, how, how are you guys supposed to determine what the value is on what they're stealing? If, if a store owner goes, I got people here robbing me right now, mm -hmm. do you guys, re you respond, right? I would imagine. Uh, not on, we don't respond on a motorcycle unless yeah, it's guess, like yeah. a robbery in progress and we're across the street from it. Right. Then we, but on the bikes, our primary focus has always been ticket riding, enforcement, uh, education, yeah. Uh, and but now it's just there's so many traffic accidents. That's all we go to. That's crazy. And well, and for a while during like the COVID, you know, peak there, if I remember right, they I, I heard a rumor. Tell me if this is true that you unless it was like over ninety miles an hour, you weren't even pulling speeders over because they didn't want to interact. You know, because of COVID. Um, no, was we that were. True? No, not not where we uh, we. 
when all that kind of came out, everyone was a little like, uh, you know, freaked out. But um, they still want us to write tickets and regular, you know, huh. uh, there's still people crashing. Yeah. So, uh, wow, the, you know, the, the cops, we firemen, nurses, we all worked through it all. And uh, but um, I don't really shoot any any speed, but. I don't know. A lot of guys do. That's like their thing, but I don't know. I don't want to shoot the laser at someone doing 65 and a 35, then put that away, hop on my bike, then speed 90 down a, a side street him. to catch up to them when there's over 10 million people in LA City. So uh, it doesn't matter what street you're on or what street you turn down or alley, there's always, there's always some sort of movement. Cars backing up, trash cans, bicyclists, pedestrians, you know, mm-hmm. uh, dogs. It, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like another world where I work. But, um, yeah, the whole defund thing, they're, always, they're talking about increasing our budget now, looking at all the, the stats. It's, it's, well, it, I we feel tried, bad for the victims. We tried taking money away from the cops, and the crime's going up. So let's give them more now. Yeah. It, yeah, it's Who not the cops. Guessed? You know, we... 99% of the guys are, are guys like us out there. We're trying to, you know, keep lawlessness down or we're trying to, we're, we're only responding to help someone or someone called the police. You know, every day in LA, there's over about 5,000 radio calls. Yeah. Um, a lot of those end up to be nothing at all, but occasionally things are going to go a little sideways, mm-hmm. especially when, you know, people refuse to comply or they're re- resisting. And But, yeah, I, I'm actually surprised there's not more accidents or even more crime with I how many too. people. Well, and I, I want, I, we'll talk more about this when I end <laughs> this now, but yeah, I'm blown away with modern cars. If you're going TC to TC, then you've got to see this. I'll show up, and there is a car. It looks like a bomb went off. Mm-hmm. There's parts everywhere, and I'm like, oh, no, there, there's going to be dead people here. Like this, is <laughs> And I get out. And they're walking around. They're like, oh, yeah, I got a little scratch here. I'm yeah. fine. Or I got a burn from the airbag. Yeah. And I'm just like, you're okay? Like, look at your car. I know. It's wild, right? It's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now, I'm not too surprised, but sometimes you show up and I'm like, you know, oh, you know, yeah. like, oh, man. But, you know, <sighs> It's, uh, we try our best and, but most days there's only a couple of us actually working. People are always blown away. They're like, what took so long to get here? Well, there's me and him for all of South LA. That, that's all we have. Mm. People, what? You know, that, that's a big problem too. And I kind of spoke up yesterday to our sergeant. I'm like, all these numbers, it, it's like they don't even care about traffic or LAPD. If they're really serious, they would have twice as many people working, yeah. you know. Well, it should in, scale with the population, right? Ex- I mean. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we just... But that's a budget issue. Uh-huh. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, they they took away a bunch of our, our motors. They're bringing the number down. We used to have almost 250. Now they're going down to 150, you know, just the cost of maintaining the bikes and everything else. Yeah. Crazy. Well, we'll get to more of that here at the end of your show. Um, 
get over to whiskeythrottleshow.com. Check out uh, what, what we got going on over there. All new merchandise. We've got a really cool new wash bucket. It's meant to be like a Christmas gift. Wash bucket with a bunch of Motul products, a brush. You got a Whiskey Throttle Show t-shirt in there and, and some stickers. Uh, that's going to hit our website soon, so check that out. Uh, brought to you by Temecula T-shirt Printers. New flannels also out, so for wintertime, it's going to be rad. Uh, let's get to our guest story brought to you by Therabody. Uh, if you guys haven't been over to Therabody, they bought PowerDot, so they've got all the PowerDot products on there. The Theragun, uh, different rollers that are vibrating, just great stuff for body maintenance. Um, in moto, we beat the hell out of ourselves, as Damon, I'm sure, will attest. We get to his injuries and stuff down the road. Although you weren't too bad. Not too bad. You stayed pretty healthy. Pretty good. Um, I, uh, five broken bones. That's been it. Is that right? Five. That's pretty good, man. Well, tell me about where you grew up. Saugus? Well, I actually grew up in Tahunga. Have okay. you heard of Tahunga? Yeah, it's on your way up. It's near uh, like Glendale, uh, off the 210 freeway along the hmm. foothills, Sunland, Tahunga, yeah. La Crescenta, La Cañada, right in, right in there. Uh, so I, I think I started riding at uh, around the age of four, and I had a my my dad bought my sister and I a, a JR50, okay, a little JR50, and we kind of shared it for a while, and we lived right right at the like entrance of the big Tahunga Canyon, uh, pretty famous canyon, but we would. Just kind of go back in there and, and ride up in the in the wash. You could get away with hills. that back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't until you know the sharing of the bike wasn't going so well. So <laughs> <laughs> ended up my my next bike was a, a Talajet fifty. Yeah, and that was a little bit more of a race bike. Those ripped. Yeah, yeah. It, it was super cool. It Did your a, dad ride or or how? Or it was just like a. Now I'll get him a dirt bike. and He did. He rode. He, okay. So he always had uh, like a Mako or I remember he had a Hodaka for a while. Okay. And he would ride with us and we would just basically ride up in the in, in the hills. And um, yeah. I don't even think, I mean, I was still wearing like cowboy boots and no gloves. I, I didn't want to wear gloves and jeans and <laughs> just whatever. Uh, but I, I, ha I did have some really large football pads or something under my jersey. <laughs> I had that going at least. Well, have to, you have to give me a picture of that. We'll compare it to Ernesto's. I, have, yeah. I don't know if you saw Ernesto's first picture of him. Right? I did. But he's, he's in Honda, Honda or Kawasaki or, gear on a Honda with rubber rain boots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those are my favorite pictures. Morris, yeah. Ryan Morris had one too of, uh, of him on a quad or a three-wheeler. And it's the funniest picture I've ever seen. Anyway, yeah, I, I'm I love pretty those, sure I have those first year the, the cowboy boots and the large <laughs> shoulder pads and all that. Yeah, on the Talajet. So, did you play any other sports as a kid before you guys really got serious about racing? None. No. Um, nope. It was always riding. Uh, you know, I took to my bicycle immediately. Yeah. Never had any training wheels or anything like that. Just uh, I remember watching the older kids ride and my mom, or I, I guess I was, comp I wanted to go out there and play too. And I was telling my mom, just push me, just push me. <laughs> and she's like, fine. And uh, off I went. So I guess I took two, two wheels pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. Just natural on it. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember your first race? I do. My first race was actually, uh, I want to say it was the World Mini at Indian Dunes 
it, it was a huge race. You jumped right in. <laughs> jumped right in. So <laughs> they. Uh, and was that your closest track? I, it was. I thought for Valencia area, I thought you were up there. That would have been the home track, right? So Indian Dunes was. It, it had everything. Yeah. It, it was I amazing never got to ride there. Yeah. So we showed up, not knowing what we we're doing or, or anything. I don't even know what year it was. Uh, well, it had to be 80, early 80s because 80, 80, by 85, they were at the one out, out of Henderson. Yes. So it had to be before that. Early 80s. So um, I, I had some random number. I, I don't know why. I think I want to say my number on my, my bike was uh, B12. <laughs> no, I don't know why. But so when my dad... You don't have a B in your name either. I, it's just... <laughs> That's how I remember it, at least. So when my dad signed up, I, I think they, I couldn't be that number, so they wanted me to be another number. But I don't think my dad really knew to what they're talking about or whatever. He's like, nah. So we just showed up to the line, and when I would come around, they would call me the mystery writer. <laughs> <laughs> but, Sir, you can't have Roman numerals for your number. No, we're going to be but, B12. We're doing it. Yeah, so after that... I mean, we pretty much started racing uh, like every the little Friday night races at Indian Dunes and doing the little, the you know, summer series or, or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. That was kind of our thing. We would go out there and, and race almost every weekend. And so you guys just probably didn't take long then. You were fully in. like Yeah. You know, I, I think it, it kind of starts by, you know, say I, I do all – seven rounds of this little summer series and then at the end uh, i win the championship and you get you know some chain lube and yeah. you know here's some <laughs> gift certificates and uh you know here uh, those sticker pack you know yeah. a, a thing of goggles yeah. and so <clears throat> that's kind of how how it starts like yeah. ah I'm, I'm doing pretty good i'm getting this stuff yeah but that's awesome um <clears throat> well in the moto scene back then I didn't live here at the time. I, I didn't move out here until 93, but it was huge back then, man. Like, the Golden States were massive in even all of those local races. I mean, you had – it was like a national, just the local races, huh? Uh, for sure. I mean, I remember going to the local races, and there would be a full gate of, of pros, and, you know, we would all <clears throat> go up to the side of the track and, and watch. But um, I remember – you know, watching all kinds of guys, Johnny O and Donnie Hansen and Jim Hawley, you know, all the yeah. local guys. But, man, I uh, I was always, I watched a lot. I think I, I'm a very, I'm a visual learner. So I remember just watching, you know, when I was on mini bikes, watching the guys on 80s. And when I was on 80s, watching the guys on the bigger bikes. I, I just loved, you know, watching those top guys yeah. ride. Well, it's a great way to learn. I mean, you know, I, I would always do the same thing. I'd watch and be like, okay, his arms are like this. Okay, he's he, he's doing that different than I am. Mm -hmm. And then I'd jump in behind him and try to follow him, whoever was a little bit faster than me, right? Sure. But, yeah, Indian That's Dunes, neat. I remember, I mean, I was I was like the peewee track king up there. And uh, I remember one day, because we would go up there like midweek, and they would have open riding. I, the place, it might have been open seven days a week. I, I don't remember, but... Um, I remember I was on the peewee track, and then uh, uh, every time I would come around this one little section, uh, there was this guy on an 80 that would wait for me, and he would jump over my head. 
And I was I was <laughs> doing laugh. Yeah. So he was using this hill as like a tabletop, and he would kind of time it. He, I don't remember. I mean, he was kind of like jumping right by me. Yeah. And my dad started like, you know, well, what's going on here? And then uh, my dad goes out there and like pulls the kid over, and uh, it was uh, Willie Surratt. Oh. So then, <laughs> then Willie's dad comes out and is like having words with my dad, but I didn't think it was a real big deal. But I'm sure Willie was having fun. But well, that was his prime random, too. He wasn't oh, he yeah. like the '85 or '86 Supercross champ. One yeah. of those years. Well, well even, Bob Moore was '85, so he'd have been '86 or '87. Uh, so this was even earlier. I think he was yeah. still on an '80. Oh. Uh, well, he was fast. He was good. Yeah. yeah, especially out there. He, you know, one of the top guys. But. Um, yeah, I got to watch a, a lot of those those early 80s and mid-80s. Was Kehoe, I'm trying to think of who else was kind of up there. Like, was Kehoe riding a lot up there and George Holland and Kudrowski? Um, yeah, Kudrowski, Kehoe. Um, he's, he even had, like, uh, Russ Wageman was really mm-hmm. good back in the day. Uh, and then a, ton, a lot of guys from the Valley, like Jim Hawley and Johnny mm-hmm. O., uh, Donnie Hansen kind of out there. I think George Holland was a little bit more north. Yeah, but I mean, uh, he was Central Cal guy, I guess. Now, um, Mouse McCoy. You remember uh, uh, Ronnie Dunsford? I do. I that remember name. the name. Yeah, yeah. He he was always a Honda Honda kid. Yeah, really good back in the day. <sighs> yeah, there were so many good guys during that era. Yeah. in that area. Yeah, a, a ton. Um, you mentioned but, your dad. Uh, I want to go back to him because I remember your dad. This is so funny. Your dad's wild. Like yeah. he, uh, he's very um, just outspoken and like just marching to the beat of his own drum. And I, mm-hmm. it, to this day, I can't remember what happened. It would have been like 93, 4, 5 when you were factory Suzuki and I was Suzuki sport. So we'd park next to you guys. And he got in trouble with Suzuki for something. And uh, he comes over and he's kind of grumbling about it. I just do Suzuki guys told me I needed to be more congenial. <laughs> and so to this day, anytime I oh, use the word congenial or I hear it, I really? think of your dad. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I kind of take after my mom or her personality and my sister is more like my dad. But, yeah, just... A little surly. Just l- look out. Whatever comes out of his <laughs> mouth is... It's, there's. It's not a whole lot of thought <laughs> prior, you know, it's, he'll just tell you like it is, but, yeah. uh, how's so, is he around still doing well? He is. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he's still around up until recently. He, he, he's always had some sort of race shop and doing CEF, uh, which that all started based on him working on my peewees and, you know, other dads like, Hey, your, your, your son's bike's really good. You know, can you, make my kids bike like that. And pretty soon, you know, he was he's working on bikes in the garage. Yeah. So he worked out of the garage for forever. He's always been self-employed. Yeah. And, and now he, he does a lot of, you know, welding or whatever comes through the front door. Uh, but, uh, he had, uh, he's, he's struggling right now. He He's on some oxygen, uh, kind of, this will fit my dad exactly. He choked on a hot dog. Oh yeah. <laughs> while he's in the shop by himself. This is only a few months back. And then he was choking. He threw a couple chunks of hot dog and 
down his in his mouth and he was on the drill press and started you know it just got lodged and uh no one's around i think he threw himself against a workbench and then he eventually ran outside and there's no one there in the parking lot oh man and still he's he's not breathing so he grabbed he grabbed uh all we could think of was he grabbed the water hose and put the hose in his mouth and turned it on full blast and to blast it down. So he got it down, but then he developed a pneumonia. He's got uh, water in his lungs. Water in his lungs. And then, so he did went. Did any of the hot dog go down his airway? Or did it go? Ah, I, I don't know that. But Jeez. I'm, I'm thinking for sure there had to be some water in the lungs and then it developed into pneumonia. Uh, and then he went in and out to the doctors and, and then he got diagnosed with COVID and then he was in the hospital full lockdown. Um, couldn't, you know, couldn't see him, couldn't do anything. Mm. Uh, then, so uh, I don't know. So his lungs are uh, kind of damaged right now, mm. but he's up, he's doing good. He's trying to get stronger, and uh, he's stubborn and determined to get better. But so he still has a shop. Um, he was still in there the other day. I talked to him, and he was working and uh, same stuff, you yeah. know, working on whatever comes through the door. And you know, this customer owes me money, and this and that. It, yeah. <laughs> but he's managed to do it on his own, and yeah, um, yeah. So That's he's awesome. still still hanging around and. You know, same with my mom, and but uh, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of good times there. Yeah, oh yeah, I just remember him being a lot of fun at the, you know at the races. Um, so who, when you were kind of younger coming up, who were the guys you were riding and racing with? <clears throat> um, like as you, uh, especially as you got more serious. Like I know was Craig Decker one of the Decker, maybe a little bit later though. A huh? little bit later, more yeah. when I was more like the eighty expert. Yeah range but before that i i raced with a kid named uh jesse james oh yeah you remember that name i do uh he was kind of my rival like back on peewees and uh and his dad used to work on jesse's bikes my dad did my bikes and one day we raced we drag race for pink slips shut up <laughs> <laughs> i that sounds exactly like something your dad oh, would sure. set up so I remember <laughs> Jesse's dad, he was kind of like a biker guy, and my dad uh, kind of the same in a way. But uh, uh, so we both had our PW50s, you know, raked out front end. and Big old pipes. Down pipes. Yeah. And uh, and you just did a start and race the so straight. I don't know. It, I, I forget if it was just one or best out of three, but I ended up winning. So... Uh, <laughs> we were supposed to get the bike, right? So I, I think how it went down, Jesse's dad said, all right, Jesse, take the bike back. And they went back to the truck, and they threw it in, the, in their van and took off. No way. Yeah. I, I don't know if I, we got the bike or not, or they said, all right, forget about it. But we that went down. That's hilarious. Uh, the international track at Indian Dunes on the start straightaway. That's so funny. Yeah. <clears throat> but I remember... Dude, his dad... I, this is a little snippet in my memory from okay. the early days. I remember his dad at the World Mini, must have been 85, 
and he had hairspray on the start line back when you know the concrete starts, and he would be spraying hairspray on the tire when Jesse was spinning yeah. it up. And I was like, oh man, look at all, you know, like that must be a trick. Like, you oh, know. For sure. And it worked. That sucker was whole shot everywhere. Yeah. But I uh, think they got in trouble for it too, but Yeah, I think they I, I think we tried that before, I'm sure. But um but I used to do a lot of my PW racing development on the street in front of our house. So my dad would, you know, whatever, uh, port the cylinder or whatever he was doing in there. I don't know. So then we would take it to the street in front of the house. <laughs> and uh, I, he had a painted line on, on the street and he would have a stopwatch and he would hold it up and then, you know, drop it and hit the stopwatch and then, you know, hit the stopwatch. And um, I was thinking about it the other day because I've had the throttle stick on me. And this is in Tahunga where we lived in some two-bedroom, one-bath house on a narrow street. So when there's cars on each <laughs> side, there's only room for one car, one car to yeah. go down the street. I mean, what if a car was backing out of a driveway? Uh, and then at the end of the street were kind of like two majors. So I remember the one time the throttle stuck, and I'm just, there's no clutch or anything you can pull in. And I'm just grabbing brakes and trying to hit the kill switch and, you know, and, you know, getting to the end of the street. And I got it stopped before, you know, the main street. But, that was your I'm dyno, lucky to, huh? I'm lucky to be alive. The street actually. dyno out front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I can't tell me. I probably did that a hundred times. That's hilarious. I could just see your dad out there dropping his thing. Oh man! It, for my dad, my whole life it was always about. He had a book of every track we would go to of lap times and. Oh, he was uh, really into it. Like oh the, yeah, yeah. All the details. Yeah, he would, you know, jetting specs and I mean, you name it. He. Yeah. He always worked on my stuff, so uh, he was very, he tried to be very sneaky and tight-lipped about everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he would write the wrong jetting numbers on the carburetor or grind off the number on the sprocket and stamp in another number. And <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, uh, well, that was him, but. They'll it, think we're running a 53. Yeah. But it's a 52. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, he was uh, into it, and you know, hey, I, I have him to thank for. Dude, he obviously uh, worked. You uh, guys up to that point, you know. Yeah, uh, you were the man back so. then on mini bikes. Um, what, were you going to you know during that era as you're kind of coming up? Were you going to like local supercrosses and nationals? I, I remember <laughs> going to the '84 national at Saddleback. Okay. Uh, I, I still have um, memories of Suicide Mountain and. Bonsai, and I think we might even have some photos. But I I used to ride there too. Uh, in '84, the World Mini was at Saddleback, and uh, I won one of the uh, Pee Wee classes mm. back in '84. I think I was eight years old, and I remember that was the first time Ezra Lusk came all the way from Georgia, and so on. A, he would have been on a sixty Pee Wee Pee Wee Pee Wee's. Wow. So he came all the way out here, and that's that was kind of like my first run-in with him. And so from that point on, it was always kind of me and Ezra and 
all all the way up until we turn pro. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Early rivalries. Yeah, and Jeff Dement. Jeff Dement. Yeah, Jeff Dement. But uh, yeah, he would have been right. He would have so, been exactly your age because you guys were like a year older than like Craig Decker and I. So because Jeff was yeah. sort of my, I was his. You know, he was sort of the leader of the team, and I was the young guy. Mm-hmm. And same with you guys at Team Green. That was at Suzuki. And you were kind of the top guy there, and Craig was next in line. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <clears throat> Jeff was, uh, I don't want to say dirty, but he definitely didn't hesitate to hit you, huh? True. And it's kind of weird. Like, all my years of racing, like, I've never never really even talked to the guy. Really? You know, I, I was always, I was super shy and quiet. And my, my dad was loud and he did all the talking. <laughs> and um, I was always about, uh, I had the fire inside and I wanted to win. I had that, but uh, I would never show it. I was yeah. always pretty mellow. And my thing was, um, it, it was like Superman put on his, his cape or whatever, it, putting on my helmet and okay, now I'm going to show them who I am or yeah. whatever. So I kind of played that up. But uh, I remember one run in. I don't know if we, we crashed together. I'm not sure what happened. And our bikes were kind of together. And I want to say I got up first. And, and Jeff was, he was trying to push me back down, you know, before I could take off. Something like that. Uh, but... Other than that, he was just a, a rival. I, I yeah. think there's there's more to it on a parent level with my dad being who he is than uh, Jeff's dad. You know, coming from Texas, was always a little more Boisterous. well 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 dressed, and yeah. I, I don't think uh, for whatever reason I, I felt like I grew up uh, uh, from my dad like not liking Texas. You know. <laughs> <laughs> because of Jeff Demet. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff's actually a super nice guy. I'm but sure he, he was is. Like, yeah. kind of like you. You get yeah. on the track and it was, all right, mm-hmm. let, let's fight. So. Absolutely. I, I mean, I would love to see him now and, and, and talk about racing days. That so. is so funny. Yeah. So when did you, was there a, I mean, it sounds like you were winning then even on, from the peewee days on. You mm-hmm. were sort of winning your class. I was, yeah. I think I was always about the top of my class kind of growing, going through um, uh, I think I, I, I won something all the way, you know, whether it's the Texas GNC or World Mini or going to Ponca. I didn't do a Loretta's a, a whole lot, and I never went to the Minios, but um, I was always one of the top guys every year. Yeah. Um, when did you get some? When, your first ride? Was it Team Green? Probably Team Green. Uh, 60 days or something? Yes. And then I had a little deal with Yamaha in, in 80, uh, 80, maybe 86 and 87. And I actually, uh, Yamaha didn't build a 60. So I, ro- I rode a YZ60, an older one, but it, it was pretty trick. So mm. I was only able to ride it in the modified class. But uh, it was a, you know, air-cooled. Uh, YZ60, but it was hmm. it ran pretty good. I remember. Your dad, dad built yeah. it. Yeah, huh. yeah. So by the time I I bumped into you, it was probably 1990, and you were that was your peak of like mini bike 80s. Yes. Stuff. Yep. Um, 
and I'd probably come over here to Golden State or something, and you guys spanked me. Uh, but then you came, you guys came to a Loretta's qualifier at Canyon Raceway in Arizona. Do you remember that race? I do, and I, I've heard you bring it up a few times. And, it was uh, like, I remember. It was like the one race that I think got Suzuki's attention and got me my ride because I I beat you and Craig at you know it was my home track, right? Yes, I'm comfortable as I could be, but uh, and it's funny because it was your soon-to-be mechanic, Caveman, yep. who was the Suzuki support guy. And he calls Pat Alexander, hey, there's this kid out here. He just beat Decker and Huffman. <laughs> we got to talk to this guy. So anyway. Uh, no, I, I remember that. And part of I, I want to race or I wanted to win all the time, of course. But another part of my motivation for winning was not getting the lecture all the way home. <laughs> from dad. From dad. And uh, so my my dad, if I didn't win the first moto, he knew how to kind of push my buttons and get me fired up. And uh, and I, I rode angry a lot. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to avoid wherever we were racing. <laughs> that would have been a long one coming back from uh, Phoenix all the way home. You're considering the drive home like, all right, it's only yeah. 20 minutes. It's fine. Yeah. So uh, I didn't want to hear it. And I remember that day, and I remember, like, leaving, like, what what, what just happened, you know? <laughs> and I, I'm sure I heard it from, from Pops. You know, I don't know what he said, but I, I do remember that day uh, a little bit. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, it was a big day for me. I, I'm sure for you yeah, guys it was just absolutely. Race, uh, I, I do remember that because... You guys had to be like, who the hell is this kid? Like, because I, I really hadn't done much before that. I think... Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure if I... If I um, heard of you before but yeah you you got us good that day so what what um when did you turn what'd you get on big bikes then 91 91 so yeah and went to 125b yes right okay team green team green and you were winning everything right away too that year i did yeah i won i won everything at the the texas gnc uh then the ne next big one, I think, was a World world Mini. And I had a ton of bad luck. Like, I had a carburetor fall off in a moto, and I had a axle nut fall off. And maybe the, the rear shock bolt pulled out. And Stupid stuff. Just a yeah. ton of, yeah. And then I want to say at Ponca, I won. And Loretta, Loretta's, uh, I won again. <clears throat> but... I remember getting to the big bike. I, I was I was due my last year yeah, on minis. Tall. I was tall, and I, I still have scars on the top of my knees from, you know, smacking the whatever <laughs> clutch perch on yeah. my kneecap back in the day. But um, I was getting to the point where uh, that was when Decker, I, I think, being so tall was hindering me, and, and Decker like started coming up. But once I got on big bikes, it was like a whole new deal. I loved it. It uh, I was just so happy. Yeah. Yeah. So you you rode <clears throat> 125B91, and you were racing Supercross in 92. Yes. That was kind of the way it went back then, huh? Uh, like, guys didn't do a year of amateur A. Mm -mm. Like, no. they, some of them are now, you know, maybe trying to give them a little more time. But and back then it was like, all right, you're on big bikes. Let's go. <laughs> let's head to Anaheim. So, yeah. It, I mean, it all worked out. But so I, I was on Team Green my last couple of years on 80s, then, uh, then that first year on big bikes. Yeah. So the following year, turning pro, uh, Team Green wanted to keep me like doing some 
ultra crosses and the local pro stuff. And then Suzuki came along and was like, hey, we'll give you like the same amount of bikes and a little bit of, uh, you know, travel money and you do what you want. You do all those, the Golden States or you want to do the Supercrosses? Yeah, great. So we went with that deal. Okay. So was your dad still doing your bikes at that time? In 92, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, and I, I didn't have that bad of a year, actually. Uh, I remember Holshiding Anaheim, then Jeremy went by me, and I remember going through the whoops, and, the, you know, the front end would pop up and hit my helmet, and, like, <laughs> you know, first year pro, oh, yeah. things like that happen. Uh, then uh, Budman went by me, and then I think I had Tyson Volan all over me, and I felt like, you know, I could beat that guy, and, and then I kind of, you know, just settled down, and then my bike blew up. Ah. Yeah, heading right towards the triple. And I kind of went up the face and, yeah. Veered off. So, but I I did have. Do you have podiums that year? I can't no. remember. Look at your. No, yeah. some top, top fives. fives. Yeah. And I, I want to say I finished fifth overall, but I whole-shotted uh, San Jose and actually led the first lap. Uh, you might have heard this story before, but. It, the track, when it came back around, it went backwards down the start straightaway okay. into a sharp 180 hairpin that had a little step up before it. And so after I hole shot it, I come down and uh, all the mechanics had their pit boards. So opening lap, my dad's out there with the pit board, like as if I don't know what place I'm in or how many <laughs> more laps to go, right? And... And uh, it's just like, I don't know, go or something. <laughs> then uh, I came in way too hot, and there's a braking bump that developed before the, the step up. Yeah, going into the bull berm. And I hit that braking bump, and uh, right in the front wheel, then I hit the step up, right in the front wheel. Then I don't know what happened after that. It was a cartwheel. It went, it went even worse. Oh, but, man. I might have to find that clip online now. Yeah, right on the opening <laughs> lap, you know. But... Uh, and not, then not the hurt though. And then did you do nationals in 92? I did only, only Washougal okay. and, and, uh, Hanktown. Okay. Hmm. Well, it was obviously good enough to get the factory ride the next year. Yeah. Or yeah. no, 93 were you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So and, and your dad was your mechanic in 92. Mm -hmm. So you go to factory Suzuki in 93. Caveman. Oh, it was caveman. Yes. Okay. And uh, that's a character. Him and your dad together, that's a comedy show I, right I have there. a couple stories. <laughs> Caveman. Caveman was a Suzuki sport guy, then worked for Suzuki for a long time. Be like bleach blonde hair. And they called him Caveman because he literally looked like one. He had kind of a white uh, beard. The bigger. Bushy blonde eyebrows. Big forehead. Big forehead. But he just yeah. kind of moved around kind of slow. And he would talk. He would, you'd say something to him and he'd pause for a long time and kind of. Yes think about it and then <laughs> <laughs> he was great i love uh, he was great i had i didn't have any problems at all and you know from being with my dad for all those years and then going factory and having my own mechanic in the box van it was really hard for my dad but i was kind of feeling like you know uh, i was 17 and so for me it was like a little break away from my dad and being in that team environment, it was different, and yeah. I, I really liked it. Uh, 
perhaps as a little more positive. <laughs> but uh, my dad was still, you know, there and went to all the races with me. But being 17, uh, you know, I really liked being on that team. And so caveman, Mark Johnson, um, we had a great year. Um, I, I won Anaheim, my first ever Supercross. Yeah. Uh, which I was still a senior in high school. And I was so quiet and shy that most people at my high school knew I kind of raced, but they had no idea. Yeah. So after winning that and then going back to school, I went. I just went back to school on Monday. And if people wouldn't ask me about it, I probably wouldn't even brought it up, you know, yeah. but it was huge. And so I became a little bit of a celebrity at that point. But um, then I, so I won Anaheim. I had a few rough races. And then I won the last three in a row yeah. of that year. You won more races than anyone that season. Yes. Uh, Gaddis ended up winning right. the title because he won the opener. But, in fact, we just saw that bike over here, Jimmy's. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and. I think it was San Diego or something. You had like an 18th. It was like you had a couple of bad finishes. Yeah, clutch perch broke off. Yeah, some. I had. Yeah, it was really up and down. Up and though, down. But if those couple of finishes would have been yeah, even a 6th, 7th, I don't know, you'd have probably been in the title hunt. I, I think so. Yeah. But I remember I won the Rose Bowl race with stock graphics on my factory Suzuki. Because Caveman, eh, stock ones are fine. <laughs> he, he just, he didn't want to put graphics on or something. I don't know. But I didn't even care. It's not, I mean, that would never happen now. But yeah. um, uh, probably the best story is the I guess he had a hard time driving the box fan like long distance, so we're at we're at Southwick, and uh, you know there's this guy you know washing my bike and hanging out in the box fan and you know came out hey Damon uh, uh this is John or whatever his name might be oh, hey you know hey John then uh so later I found out from. Uh, buzzard, that caveman picked up this hitchhiker oh. <laughs> to help him drive the, the box fan across the country. So now he's at the races and he's part of the team. He's helping out. Professional you know. mechanic slash yeah, hitchhiker. And then uh, Ray was team manager at the time and uh, he's, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have a problem with it at all, but it, <clears throat> it wasn't until when 94 came around, Ray's like, hey, uh, we're going to bring uh, Berluti in for, to be your mechanic. And I'm, I'm like, what, what about Caveman? Hey, hey, you know, hey, he's great, but this is going to be better for you. Okay. You know, I, I didn't know any better, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But he good, ran a pretty loose program. Good times. Yeah. But his, he was good at his job. He was just For a, sure. Uh, for sure. I never had anything mechanical go yeah. wrong or... Yeah. Um, just some of the other little details, maybe that <laughs> the team kind of frowned upon. <laughs> just hitchhikers, uh, you know, working on your body. Yeah, I remember <laughs> one time we were in the hotel room, and I forget who was with me, and uh, we ended up like wrestling with Caveman, and we ended up like we tore the mattress off the bed and like threw it on top of him, and we're on top of the mattress, and he 
just did a push up and got off and like or like he had crazy strength. He had caveman strength. Yes. I didn't know that about yeah. him. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad I only said good things about him. Then. Yeah. <laughs> no, he he was great. I had a great time with him and uh he did a great job. And who in 92 who were your teammates there at Suzuki? I'm trying to think it was Cooper. Well, I was only I was kind of on that factory support. Yeah. So we were still showing up in our own box band okay. and, and stuff. But uh, and 93 would have been Phil Lawrence. And uh, 93, I remember we had seven guys on the team. So Cooper, Matasevich, Phil, Ezra, me. Uh, was that five? Not Bud Matt. No, he was already off by no. that. Um, Swank? Mm. Um. Yeah, it was a huge maybe, team. Maybe there's only six. Larry Ward? I remember was Larry Ward? No, Larry was out. Larry, he was up until 92. Then I remember Larry was pretty pretty upset. He said something that Suzuki's going with the youth movement and bringing in me, Ezra, Phil. Uh, so, yeah, that's how. Huh. But uh, Those are some interesting characters there, all those guys. For sure. No, it was great being on the team with uh with Cooper, uh and I mean chicken, having chicken on the team and swank. I remember Cooper would all hey, let me see your hands. Cooper? Hey, uh, yeah. All right, yeah. You know, it, always look at you know, see if I'm riding a lot or yeah. see how, if my hands were tough and chicken was always super cool. Um if any anybody, uh it was Swank that kinda he was always super cool with me. He kinda took me under his wing a little bit. Yeah. Um, and would, you know, at nationals, you know, hey, you know, hop in the car. I'll, I know where the track is or things like that. Or yeah. you want to go eat? He was cool. Um, I really like Brian a lot. And, um, you know, me and Phil were kind of kind of rivals at that time, too. I think he even finished higher than me in, in 93 for the overall. In 93, yeah. yeah. And he had some great rounds. Um, yeah, that's all I kind of remember. It, you know, it was interesting back then because you would have been, like you said, 17, 18. You're, you're a kid still. Mm -hmm. And I think it's maybe a little different now because the, the teams will travel together and the team manager might drive, you know, in a van or whatever. But we would be 17, 18, 19 even, and fly into a race by yourself. Yes. Get a rental car, which I don't even, sometimes they wouldn't even let you because you mm -hmm. had to be older. Like we would finagle ways to get it. And then try, no, no maps on your phone. It's like nothing. You get a paper map and they're like, all right, yeah, you're going to want to go this way. Uh, you know, and, and you have to figure it out. Yes. There was a lot more to it. Uh, for sure. Uh, with Suzuki, we always had uh, in house travel agent. So all that stuff got booked and it didn't matter. It was kind of great how uh, it didn't matter. I would always have the best flights or that would work out rather than being on the team where, okay, you have a thousand dollars for travel. Well, now you're, you're flying Southwest and yeah. making two layovers cause you're trying to save money. But with Suzuki is always covered. And, um, I kind of wish I always stuck with one airline, you know, that have first class later on, but, um, I don't know when I start renting cars, but yeah, I always had, a. A, a car, but they would hand you a map. I had, you know, written down what hotel I needed to be at and, 
you know, ask them, how do I get here? And, yeah. you know, they're drawing it out. And yeah, it was, it was crazy. We, we've gotten so spoiled with the phones, right? Where you just type in the address and it's just talking to you as you go. You don't have yeah. to think about it. Nothing. Total different world back then. Totally different. But I remember I, I was stoked when I got to the point, I got to the point where I could go to every national, land at the airport and either drive to the hotel or the track without using a map. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> Especially when you see at Nationals, some of the rural r- roads we've yes. got to take to get there. Yeah. Um, so you had podium in 93, you had podiums outdoors too. I did. Um, but looking through your results, I would say overall, I feel like you were, Supercross came a little easier to you. I mean, you were winning races early on. and um, Yeah, the, the Nationals were still kind of a, a new animal for me. Uh, Supercross did come easy. I'm not really sure why. I, I guess it's kind of my, my style or maybe the way I, I think. Um, a little more methodical or... More technical. Technical. Yeah, yeah. So I I feel like back in the early 90s, it still, it still was a benefit to maybe be a little taller too. The bikes weren't as good and you never knew what you're going to get with when you show up to a Supercross with... Mm different track builders and uh uh it was a beautiful thing actually i mean some of the tracks are like wow look at you know look at this what the hell is this yes you don't have that anymore nothing and it it kind of bumps me out and uh, a lot of the time when i'm watching a race i'm more excited to see the track like you know what what do they have in store here and then i'm like ah same old thing yeah yeah everyone it's it's gotten a little bit stale Mm-hmm. I think they can do a lot more, not to totally jump subjects, but they need multiple lines. They need, you know, inside berms and outside berms. And uh, they and instead of, it's almost, you know, like a, a road course where there's only one fast way around the, the track yeah. and everyone's doing the obstacles. Uh, but Yeah, I know you got to wait for the track to break down so much. That guys yeah. finally start making different lines, and yeah. there's some mistakes, and then the racing. Yeah, there's gets good. rarely a, a section where only a couple guys are doing that. No one's doing. It's kind of, but I would like to see a little more variety. Yeah, I'm for the sure. Same. You know, there was something different too that you can relate to in this era um, from today, where now mm-hmm. there's six Supercross tracks within an hour drive. You know that you could go ride. We didn't have that, and no. you, and Suzuki's Supercross track up at Sunrise. Yeah. Was terrible. It was just like a worn out, sandy, sandy dirt. Like it was nothing like what you'd see at Anaheim. It was the best you had, but like uh, even the one at De Anza was kind of small for Yamaha. Yeah. Um, tracks weren't great back then, and and well, a lot of times, like for me, or I don't know how you were ninety two, but there was a track off the sixty freeway. Do you remember that? I never went there. Pyrite, yeah. they called it. Yeah, just some homemade janky thing. That was sure. our best. That was the best thing we could get to practice or test. You know, That's so when you, you roll to Anaheim, yeah, and you're like, "Holy crap! I'm having never hit a triple that looked like this or gone through whoops like this." You know, um, I rode the old Suzuki track at at Sunrise when you pulled in the gate. It was off to the to right. The, oh, okay. You remember yeah, yeah, that yeah, one? Yeah, I do. It, it was always there year round, but I remember going there. Uh, like my first time there, I got the code or where to get in, and it was gnarly oh really so gnarly and i was doing some of the jumps and i think one time larry ward showed up in 92 
and he was doing stuff. I was like, I didn't even know that was possible. And like, that was literally the first time watching a guy blitz on whoops. Yeah. I was like, Oh, and I remember getting that feeling or, or doing it too. And, but I rode, well, up in the hills a lot. Uh, but, you know, we would have like those makeshift supercross tracks and uh, I would just spend hours trying different techniques or sections. And uh, But it came pretty easy with the timing and always, you know, hitting my landing marks every single time and that sort of thing. And we, I actually rode at uh, Hondaland. We would sneak out there. Was it? Oh, it was still there? Still there up until I want to say 93 was a, the last time, but it was an old Honda Land. It was more like an outdoor-ish supercross track. Okay. Uh, things were still pretty peaky, um, and but we would, it was always a gamble. We would park on the street and ride up in the hills and go through a fence and kind of park our <laughs> bike and look over the hill. And then occasionally a guy would come back in a truck and like kick us out. Yeah. But probably... The best story, I don't know if this was the end of 92 or the very beginning of 93, they redid Honda Land to make it more like a real Supercross track. And we showed up in the afternoon and there's tractors on the track, just finishing it up. So I think I was with uh, Darren Heff. Remember that name? Oh yeah. So the next morning we showed up before sunrise and rode back there and we got about an hour, hour and a half on the track before Honda even showed up. And Honda rolled in while you guys were out there? Nope. Oh. Uh, I think we got out of there before. We we're probably out of there by, you know, eight o'clock or, or something. But I just remember like they're going to show up and be like, who rode the track? Who rode the track already? It's all warning. <laughs> uh, I mean, we didn't really do any damage to it, but uh, yeah. thinking back on that, that was that was totally awesome. That's that <laughs> I mean, we got we got a little screwed because the day before we couldn't ride because they were yeah. still working on the track, and we came and poached it the next morning, like at sunrise, and uh, uh, rode for like an hour. That's great. Yeah. And that's what we had to do. That that is what we had to do. I broke into Honda's track where they're at now. Mm-hmm. We, um, I don't even know how why we were up there, but if you put your front wheel and kind of rammed the gate, it was one of those locks like this, and it would oh, okay. it would swing open. And so we got in, uh, but it was all dry and just yeah. worn out. Yeah, and it was terrible. It wasn't even worth getting into. But it was like, where can we go? We I got to find something. Yeah, Anaheim's next weekend. Yeah. <laughs> got to figure it out. I know. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I just did a lot of riding in the hills. So, 94, um, you're working now with Berluti, who's awesome. Yep. Um, and man, this was, this was, you know, that was really my first season. I did a couple rounds in 93. In fact, Pasadena 93, you won. Yes. I blew my ACL out in that race. They watered the <sighs> triple before the heat race, and I spun and just mm-hmm. cased it and blew any up. Um, take me through that season, because that was... Yeah, and you really like hit your stride those years. Uh, yeah, Berluti, who I mean, I've never worked with anyone better than Berlute. Absolutely, right? yeah, for sure. And he matched my personality 
uh, just perfect, where he was a perfect combination of being firm, but in like a positive, motivating way. Yeah. And I, I love positivity and uh and that i i had so much a lot of negative energy around me for a, a long time but so he was able to kind of get me fired up and then him with the bike yeah he was great. never never an issue at all yeah. i don't even think i had to tell him you know hey can i raise the clutch lever up a little bit more or yeah it i mean he took so much pride and he's so meticulous with the bike but so I had a one-year deal in 93, then I got renewed for a two-year deal. And because I won four races in 93, I had a clause in my contract. I, I think my first year, my salary was maybe 30. Then the next year, I went to 50. But if I won the Supercross title and won at least three races, it would go to like... 150 for the next year. It was a big more, jump. more than double. So, well, that year in '94, I was on the podium, I think, every race, but I only won twice. Mm. And I even got paid first place money if I finished, be, if it was like Ezra and me, they didn't want us, you know, racing or taking each other down. Oh, so I got first right? place money once or twice. But my salary remained the same for 95, even for winning the title. Yikes. Yeah. yeah that was kind of a bummer. But Who was your agent? Because that was probably, a, <laughs> that was probably well, a blunder on his part. Uh, you're going to see a trend here. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was uh, Dino Dave. Dino Dave. Yeah. So, I mean, he always wanted the best for me. Sure. But we had no, no clue. What yeah, yeah. what bonuses were or or championship bonuses and salaries? Yeah. I mean, coming from nothing and getting that kind of money. I mean, it, you were still stoked, yeah, yeah. But that's I get asked this question a lot from from usually from dads. They're like, hey, do we should I get my kid an agent? You know, is it worth it? You know, because you got to pay him this and that. And I said, well, until you're like starting to win races, probably not. Yes. Just do your own deals, do the best you can do, try to get the best equipment you can get. But once you're winning. You need a guy who knows, like, the games that the manufacturers are going to play, their negotiation tactics. You need to know what other riders of your caliber are making. Yeah. So then the value would have been there, oh, right? Oh, for sure. I, if you win the title, okay, it's 150 if you win three rounds. But if you win two and you still win the title, it still should go to 130. Well, that right, little clause, I mean, it should just be about the title, not totally. how many yeah. rounds I won. But I don't I don't know why that was in there. And... um. And I completely thought I was going to win at least three. Yeah, I won four last year. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. So that's how it went. Um, what did it feel like to win that title? I mean, was that for you huge or were you kind of like expecting it? Um, you know, I, I, I definitely didn't feel like the way the guys feel like nowadays, like yeah. – uh, they get pretty excited now, but <laughs> uh, no, for me, I wrapped it up, I think around early and I, I think it was just kind of expected and yeah, I was pumped. It was exciting, but who was that was second, about it. Was 94 Rhino, Decker, you Rhino and Decker, right? And there was yeah. there someone else in there. Cause there I, made, I think of, I got fourth that year or something. Uh, yeah. I don't know if like Jamie Dobb and 
Uh, yeah, a lot okay. of a lot of guys. I memory but you didn't problems. really have any battles that year. It, uh, it was supposed to be kind of. I I think I think Phil was in there too. Uh, maybe. Uh, Phil had moved up in '94. Oh, he did was he there move in 93, up? But he okay. had moved up in '94. Yeah. But my main rival was definitely uh, Rhino. Yeah. And you guys, you guys are complete opposites in terms of personality. Yeah. So like that was always a funny rival rivalry to me. You know, like, it, it was. And so, Rhino, you'd you'd win probably most of the time, especially in Supercross. And I just see he gets so mad. Really? Oh. I want to ask you about the other side from. Being a pro circuit guy, and I was, especially in 95, when I was winning everything, I want to know what was going on behind the scenes. We can, we can get to that, but yeah. going back to 94, I mean, looking back on it now, I could see how exactly how it played out from winning four rounds in 93, but being like this, up and down. 94, a little more mature. I won only twice, but I was podium every yeah. round. Yeah. So that kind of makes sense. Then leading up to 95, it was a combination of just confidence and just being at my peak and winning, you know, six in a row. Yeah. But I think that bike was really good you were on too, huh? I think those Suzuki great. 125s were really yeah. good back then. Yeah. Uh, I never had a problem with the... Uh, 93, 94, 95, really no complaints or like, ah, oh, this thing is slow. I can't, can't stand it. I never, I don't remember feeling that way at all. Even with suspension, I, I think when you're that young and uh, just rode, rode the thing, yeah. you know? You weren't, you weren't a guy that was super picky. A lot no. of it worked pretty well. You were like, all right, I'm yeah, good. Yeah, pretty much. I, I think kind of that pickiness kind of comes in later in your career, maybe when you start kind of struggling a little bit more and trying to searching for things. But in, yeah. initially, I'm on a factory bike, you know, yeah. I'm just riding. Yeah, what's to complain yeah. about? Yeah. You did something in those that era that I, I think was more common then. Um, I did it in 95 a little bit, but it was it was happening a lot where you'd ride a 250 on the other coast. And you don't see that too much anymore. No. Um, I don't really know why, I guess, but do you think that helped you? To keep you kind of racing, to get you adapted to that bigger bike and the tracks on the east. Uh, what would you say to that? RM250, did it help me? Well. No. No, I had a couple big get-offs, actually. Yeah. I had a pretty exciting one in uh, Atlanta where I just landed off the triple. And as soon as I landed, it was a little ruddy, and the bike just went, duh, 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 and I, I just whiskey throttle off the next kicker and I just let the thing go and the bike went and just flung up in the air. Atlanta 95? I want to say 95 yeah. Atlanta, yeah. Um, but I rode Daytona. I think I got six at Daytona 95. Okay. Pretty solid result, I think. But, um, and that's leading into 96. Well, I, I knew I didn't want to be on the Suzuki. Okay, so that was sort of a motivation, yeah. yeah. So it was good. You did learn something. <laughs> exactly. I definitely don't want to I, be I, on this Yeah. You know what, David? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Um, okay, so 94, um, you did those two video supercrosses. Then what about nationals? You won two of them. I did. Hangtown and Troy that year. Yes. 
Um, was that a big step for you when in nationals were you kind of like, okay, now I can do this now. Like for I got sure. this all the way around. Yeah, that was really cool. Because I feel like that was hard, harder back then to be a guy who was good at both. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, like Henry was probably better at outdoors and he had to work to make Supercross good and same with Rhino. And, you know, there was a lot of guys that you either were good at one. Or, and or Jeremy, you know, figured Jeremy. it out finally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, to be able to win in both, that was the golden ticket to get a good check, right? I mean, that I never really had cool. that. I could, I could win Supercrosses, but, like, we'd go outdoors and I was not great, so. No, I, I think even the the sense of accomplishment for me winning an outdoor race was probably, like, more gnarlier and and tougher, for sure. Yeah. Um, I remember in 93, I actually had some, uh, like, heat stroke or heat exhaustion at Hangtown. It was really hot. And I remember getting off the from the second moto, and I was, uh, yeah, I was burning up and just kind of seeing double and felt really off. Yeah. But I kind of figured it out because I got a podium in 93 at Glen Helen. At the 40-minute one. Yes, in the heat. That so, was a hot day. That was gnarly. Yeah, that was a long moto. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. I'm not sure if that was my first podium and outdoors. It might have been. I think it probably was. So 94, um, I totally remember. I don't know if Hangtown was the first round. Maybe not. It would have been uh, Gatorback. Probably Gatorback. In so March, yeah. Remember 94 Hangtown, the Suzuki guys had something special. And I'm like, oh, okay, what is it? And... And they had conventional forks. They bolted on these conventional forks to my bike. And it took all that small chop and hard, slippery, hard-packed stuff. And um, I really liked the feeling of the mm -hmm. bike. And I remember Friday practice thinking, oh, I really, uh, yeah, this is good. So, yeah, the rest is kind of history there. I won one Hangtown. I don't know my moto finishes. My whole career, I only won the first moto one time, and that was at Troy in 97. Oh, is that right? So I was always a second moto guy. What's up with that? Just kind of my... It was just your deal, huh? My demeanor of just kind of starting maybe a little slow or cautious or maybe getting a little bit of arm pump that first moto. But second moto, I... I I knew I could just ride to my full potential, no arm pump, just loose, and, and that was a whole deal for me, just being loose and, and flowing. Wow. Huh. Yep. That's interesting. So those conventional forks, I mean, they went to that in, what, 96-ish, I want to say? So I ran them, the rest of 94, I ran them in 95, and I think the bikes kind of came stock with them for a year or two. Yeah. Yeah. Great for outdoors, not so much for Supercross. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I remember yeah. we had an issue if, say, you did a, you just had like a, some sort of ski jump or where you're landing on flat ground while turning, and you would land hard and that slap would twist the forks and the clamps, and then you're like, my bars are sideways now, <laughs> you know? So they oh, came really? up with <laughs> this, the lower triple clamp, they had three bolts on it. You know, just to really hold them, and then they they went to a bigger diameter fork, and well, there uh, was even a brace because uh, they've got one of Albie's bikes upstairs. Oh, okay, and there was a this billet brace that 
kind of went between the two forks. That's right. Um, yeah, maybe only on the 250 they did yeah. that. They did some trick stuff, though, so you could tell there was an issue with... Sure, yeah. Maybe that rotation. The twisting, yeah. but it worked good. Um, and what was it about Troy, dude? You you always crush Troy. Well, Just the if you look back on history, who has won there? Lachine? Chicken? Chicken's won there at Troy. Uh, me? Uh, maybe Jeremy? It, super crossy. Super crossy, and... Uh, but I don't know. Other than that, you know it what the was big super thing flat. I love really sure. I love the traction. Like the traction. May, maybe that was a thing. Is you you were a guy like me, or you? I could go as fast as anybody if the traction was good. Mm -hmm. If it was like they would always water the shit out of them back then. You remember the tracks would get pretty hard, and then they'd water them before the one twenty five motos, and it was a skating rink for probably ten minutes. Yes. And then once it would work in, I'd pick it up, but I'm <laughs> thirty seconds behind at that point. Uh, Troy was always unless it rained. It was like super cross dirt. You remember that? You come out of yeah. a turn and it was, you had to be up over the front or you were wheeling. For sure. So it required some, some timing and it was a good track. I liked the starting line. I liked the longer start. But I remember I would always have to adjust a little bit when you get to a track with good traction and be like, oh, I can hold it on here. Yeah. But I, I was like a hard pack specialist. I, I kind of like that hard, slippery dirt. But um, I'm not really sure. I don't know what I did in 93 at Troy, but 94, it just kind of clicked. And I did well at one. But the 95, I want to say I almost won there again in 95. It was a little bit more muddy than 96. I don't remember. I might have been coming off injury, but 97, it all came together again. Yeah. Well, let's go to 95 because there's some stuff I want to <coughs> talk about here. Um, Again, great season. You were one, what, six in a row? Yeah. Um, and somebody broke your streak. I don't know who it was. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> that, that place, northern uh, yeah, San, San Jose. Jose. Oh, oh, actually, it's right here on the on the win list. If okay. you look at San Jose 95, they're a little higher. A little higher. Right, right there. Right there. Oh, oh, that's cool. That ruined your series, your perfect season. I'm well, sorry. It you was guys Rhino. crashed in the first Rhino. turn, right? Yeah. Rhino did it. He it came wasn't in your hot. fault, David. No, no, I know. No. I know. <clears throat> well, happy, to, I'm happy for you. To answer your question, there was never like Mitch. Mitch is not a nasty guy. Like he never was like, all right, hey, go after Huffman, you know, Ping, you take him out, or it was never anything like yeah. that. Yeah, it was always more like, all right, Damon's going fast here. Like he's, you know, we he would try to analyze what you were doing and okay. share it with both of us. Like you guys need to be better here. He's doing this, you know, and you were just always so consistent. Mm -hmm. Like. If there was a triple, you know, there was always a triple that was harder back then. Sure, and always. You, most of the time, you were doing it, and and they, Mitch was just like, "Dude, Damon's doing it every lap. You guys <laughs> can't miss it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he'll be gone because yeah. you know you don't do a triple and somebody does. It's three seconds or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so there was never anything nasty. I just remember Rhino would get really mad because really? you know you were. Yeah. He, he wanted to be <clears throat> the guy. And I've seen him mad. <laughs> but uh, I, I remember, I don't even know if it's true, but I heard maybe from like the word got back to our camp, like Mitch was going off on like, you know, Huffman's not at the river. Huffman doesn't have a boat or something like that. I don't know if that was true or, but just something that I heard kind of trickle down. Well, so this is where Mitch kind of, I think, I think Rhino screwed up the way Mitch managed people because okay. Rhino needed to be yelled at. Yeah. If you screamed at Rhino and said stuff like that, I'll bet you Damon's riding today, not 
you know, doing Jake Goldschlager shots at the river, <laughs> that would piss Rhino off. Mm-hmm. And he would train harder, and he would come to the races just full yeah. of fire, right? Yeah. But you do that with most people. Like, it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. You know, he's screaming at me, and I'm like, uh, and I would yeah. just get stressed out, more pressure, I rode worse. So he had, and he's now way better. He's not the same guy. People who've ridden for him over the years have worked with him. Well, I've heard. Him and Ramsey did Ramsey, it. Ramsey, yeah, I heard big, that Yeah, the story. That's that's good. But he would scream at Rhino. <laughs> I <came> in, <laughs> they had a, used to have a little office back here, and, and you'd hear him. It was all a closed off office, and the race shop was behind it. And you'd hear him in there yelling. You know? Yeah, and Rhino would yell back. Like they'd be yelling at each other. Yeah. it was kind of weird. Well, as you know, when I first got here, and I said, you know, I've never, I don't think I've been to Pro Circuit in my in my life. Um, so when I went before I signed my first year with Suzuki, um, I called Mitch regarding you know being on the 90, so for ninety for ninety three three okay it'd be my first year kind of doing you know, full-time Supercross yeah. and all that. But um, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, said, I, I just don't think you're ready yet. Something like that. Oh, yeah? And I kind of use that as a little motivation for myself. But uh, anyway. Gosh, that's crazy. Gaddis won in 93 anyways, so. He had Gaddis and I think Chamberlain that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He could have had me. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so that year I got we got to talk about this because I was right behind you guys in Vegas. <laughs> this was '95 was the year the lights went out. No. Yes, yeah, and uh, all that drama aside, in the main event, which the lighting was fine, and it was a ten lap race, they shortened it down. Remember, but I do. that's where. If you guys remember, if you can picture Sam Boyd Stadium where now they run out and do a big loop around the whole thing. Well, instead of doing that big whole loop, it would turn back. And where there's a, a like a locker room there, mm-hmm. and we they built dirt up onto the top of the locker room, and there was a double up onto it, and then a big step off or something off of it down back into the stadium. And um, Rhino was leading. I don't remember how how you got behind off the start or whatever, but Rhino was leading. You were second, or no? Maybe you were leading. Is this uh, the Trittler? Yeah. So, so tell me it, what happened. It was actually ninety four. Oh, was it? 94. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm mixing up my years. It was 94. Take me, because I was behind you guys. I think I ended up fourth or fifth. Okay. And so when I came off that step down, you're pulled over and he's jumping off your bike. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on over here? <laughs> like, I, I couldn't process what I just saw. I'm like, I why, couldn't either. Why is he? So take me through this, because this has got to be the craziest thing that's ever happened in a Supercross race that no one has any proof of. Zero. I know. No, nothing. So it was actually, yeah, so it was 94. And yeah, Rhino, Rhino was leading. I don't, he was probably up five seconds or whatever. I was second. I want to say there's maybe three or four laps ago, three laps ago. I'm not really sure. But I remember passing Trittler, lapping Chain Trittler as I was going out of the stadium. And you guys are buddies too, which makes yeah, this even we more rode, bizarre. Yeah, we rode a little together. And uh, what's kind of funny is there's a photo. I, I forget where the photo was, but it's me and Trittler standing side by side like that day. And it was in a magazine or something, yeah. but before the it even happened. So I, 
I'm lapping Trittler. I pass him. And back there, they just had some portable lights. Yeah. And it was a little sketchy, you know, as things were back then. Then after he did the big turn, it was kind of a peaky double coming back into the stadium. And I think the face of the jump was a bit of a shadow. Yeah. And um, so I came up on a, another lap rider. So at the last second, I chopped the throttle. I don't do the double. Uh, I don't know if I went off and kind of faced it a little bit. But as I'm going over the landing, Trittler did the double. I, I must have screwed him up because he came up way short. And somehow that just kicked him off the bike. So when he, he cased it and then got bucked off. Yeah. And, and I'm going to throw in a, he did a front flip. I'm pretty sure he did. I, I think he got cartwheeled over the bars. And so as I'm rolling down the jump, he just flops right on the back of my bike. Yeah. So he cases the jump, does a front flip, and lands two up on the back of your yeah, bike. Yeah, as I'm, I was probably, you know, in my regular elbow up over the front end position, and I feel something. It didn't even feel that bad. I feel something hit my, the back of my bike or kind of like on the back of me. And I thought, I thought maybe it was a hay bale that got kicked up and just kind of brushed me or whatever. Then as I'm going down the ramp and get into the, the stadium again, I feel something kind of like on my arms. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember... So you still don't even know. No, like you're going, what? No clue yeah. what it is, what's going on. I get to the bottom and I... I come to a stop and I look back thinking I got to like take some banners off of me or, or hay bale. I don't know. And it's Trittler and he's doing the full as he would, you know, slide off the back fender. He was tapping you. He was going, go, go, and, go. Uh, I yeah, that's what he I saw. Like, gave me like a wave, you know, go, keep on going. And what were uh, you thinking? Like, did were you the last few left? You had to be going, what just happened? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I don't know. It, it was very, yeah, it, it threw me off. I wasn't going to win the race anyways that night, uh, but I, I still finished second, I believe. But um, it wasn't until afterwards, like, people were like, whoa, did, did you see that? And I'm like, no, I didn't see it, but <laughs> I felt it, you know? It was crazy. Yeah, that was the wildest thing. Not one TV camera, not one photo. There wasn't cell phone video. Like nothing. How does no one get that? Not one of the cameras caught a the little bit of it. Nothing. Yeah, and I have watched the race on TV, and the cameras on Rhino at the time, and then oh, and Huffman uh, goes down, or he, they say something, but that was it. Then they show me taking off again. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I I don't remember. I don't. I didn't get third that night. I think I was fourth or fifth. But I remember coming down that double, and I see him patting you and, and telling you to go, and I'm like. But I see him climbing off your bike. Huh. So I'm like, um, all right. Yeah, it was pretty I could wild. not make any sense of it in my head. No, no, but um, I, I, I love it. It's like a, an urban legend it's now. Urban, I know. So, um, well, there's been some threads on Vital MX about it. Does anyone have pictures or photos? we got to find some video mm -hmm. and nothing. There's yeah. just nothing. Yeah, the only person I, that told me before 
was Villeman. Villeman said, oh, no, I, I saw that. And I think he was in France or somewhere at the time. Oh, I saw that before. But who knows? But uh, hmm. well, I, I don't. it's not out there. Uh, but I get asked about it every year at some point. Uh, there's been a couple times when I've been like Anaheim, not whole club, and I've had a couple, and Shane's had a couple, and we got a large group around us, and we're reenacting the whole thing, <laughs> you know. But uh, great, I don't know, great uh, piece of history there. Totally. It's pretty cool. Um, all right, so for the Nationals that year, you actually did great. You were top five just about every single weekend. Oh, really? Didn't win any, but you were super consistent all summer. Oh, cool. Do you remember anything oh, wow. about that? Um, is that a little... You're feeling good about it now. Are we... Uh, 95? 95. Yeah. I think I actually led the points for a while, but on being I was, consistent... I was thinking, like, man, how yeah. does that not win? I guess somebody... Well... Was it uh, Henry? Lampson, Lampson and uh, Rhino. So, mm. uh, there, there was a couple rounds... Well, I'll, 95 Hangtown, I, I should have won. Um, I was leading the second moto, and I had the overall in the bag. And I had a little tip over, and Tim Ferry passed me, who was my teammate mm -hmm. at the time. And there's still maybe 10 minutes left in the race. I get up, chase Ferry down, and then just hounding him. And uh, couldn't get around him. He... He hung in there the whole last few minutes of the race. But the, the kicker, Ferry had like a DNF or something the first moto. And here he is. He got the moto win. I end up second, and it cost me the overall. Mm. Like, it's a You're, little early to play like team tactics, you know, at that point. But you that think one, Suzuki would have been like, hey, yeah, let, dude, let he, us get the overall. Here. I don't know what his first moto finish was, but it it was way back there. Yeah. So then... Washougal, I think Pro Circuit did something with Dobb. I want to say it was Dobb and Rhino, where Rhino got by Dobb, and that gave him the overall that day. Well, it wouldn't have been Dobb. Dobb was gone by then. 95 would have been myself, Rhino, Pichon. Okay. Maybe it was Pichon. Maybe. That's how I remember it. Huh. But uh, Or Casey Johnson. Would have been the other guy. In ninety five? Mm-hmm. So I had a couple close ones, but I remember watching some clip and it was like the midway point of the season and they, they showed uh the points the point standings and I was in first. I was like, Really? I was leading points like midway through. Yeah, but it was, you were solid all summer. I mean you that had uh I was results. training a lot and riding with uh Kudrowski. Mm. And Kudrowski lived in Acton. I lived in Acton. And he would tell me, man, it'd be so awesome if we both win the championship and we both live in this little little town and, and yeah. act in. And, but we rode together a lot and did, you know, our 30-minute motos and uh, in the heat. And, uh, yeah, we did things differently back then with, uh, with training. I, I always rode a lot. I did a lot of cross-training with jet skiing, mountain biking, tennis, uh, you name it. But... I always rode a lot and did my time on the bike. Uh, I did a little bit of running, not a whole lot, more more cycling. But uh, I see that more and more uh, with the more guys we have on who've been successful. 
is they rode a lot. Yeah. The 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 cross training, the off the bike training was definitely way secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, even Ricky. I mean, Ricky was that same way. Yeah. Uh, it's more like the off bike stuff would be more just to kind of supplement or maintain some of the cardio fitness or, or building a base in the preseason or, you know, strengthening well, something that might be weak. But the focus was always time on the bike, which makes sense. Right? I mean, that's what for you're, me, that's what you're preparing and, and for. That doesn't mean I'm burning five to 10 gallons a day, but that means I'm on the bike at some point every day. Mm-hmm. And I've always really, I was really good about, you know, putting in 15 or 20 lap motos or doing 30 to 35 minute motos. I always, always did that, but there's always a lot of, all right, you know, let's go, yeah. you know, trail riding or cliff jumping or find, you know, just play riding. Yep. There's always a lot of that involved too. And I think that's what makes you good on the bike or, Hey, can we go down this hill? And, you know, just putting yourself in a position of, like you can't even walk down this hill, but I have the control and the confidence on this bike to to roll down it or go up it. I, I think that makes you well-rounded. I agree. I don't think guys today do that much at all. I don't know how they not do it. Uh, well, I, I guess I kind of get it. Well, every, everything's so serious. It's like, uh, you know, they feel like if they take a day and go play, Mm-hmm. play riding they're losing ground to a guy who's just grinding out motos and i'm like eh, i don't know all right i, I don't know there, there's, there's value to it yeah, yeah you have to be for me i always rode the best when i felt just super comfortable on the bike and for me if i did nothing but motos all week then come to the weekend Ah, more motos, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, more of these. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that play writing was essential. Yeah. You know, for keep it fun. you gotta keep it fun, right? Otherwise, yeah, and it's that's how just, you learn the bike and yeah. just get so confident on it. So that I liked it. That was what every I mean, when it would rain, everyone went out to the hills down here. Oh yeah. You know, Jeremy, Rhino, Phil, you name it. Anyone that was down here, they got together and we went out and made tracks and jumps and just played. Wow. Um, probably was, no different that, than what you guys were that doing. That was me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need the rain? <laughs> okay, so you, 96, this was your move to Factory Cowie. Were you pointed out? Like you had to move up? I, I did, yeah. 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 And you knew, all right, I'm not, I'm not getting on that RM250. That was mm-hmm. kind of a, a motivating factor. Did you talk to other teams? I did. So this is going to blow your mind. Uh, I had a two-year deal with Honda, 96, 97. Uh, I rode the bike. I rode, uh, it was actually Lampson's uh, Supercross bike. Okay. Um, I liked it a lot. And, but at that time, I had a two-year deal with AXO. And at that time, I had to wear Fox at Honda Mm. for 96. And AXO or AXO, they, they they said... No way. Nope. Not, we're not going to let wow. you go to Fox. So, but then ultimately, Cowie came in. We're talking to them, too. It was mainly Cowie and, and Honda. And the Cowie deal was just getting a little better and better and better. And uh, and that's where I ended up. And th- those were good bikes at that time, too. 
So that wasn't like for a bad sure. Move. For sure. I mean, if you look at the two on paper, like, well, the Cowie deal. I mean, I, I had I had jet skis in the deal and a street bike and a KLX six fifty and uh, I mean, uh, salary salary was it wasn't a ton more, but having that third year was huge. Uh, and this is where having an agent, whatever camera here, <laughs> comes into play because my win bonuses, from when I listen to guests on your show and they talk about their win bonuses, I'm like, I was getting screwed. Yeah. I was getting five grand to win a 125 Supercross. Oh, well, yeah, for 125, that was, I oh, think that's my, pretty low. Five grand, my championship bonuses were 50 per title. I don't know. That might have been for 125 back in the day. That was probably okay. I think yeah. I made, in 95, when I won for Cowie, I think I got like 20 or 25. Yeah, 5,000. Then, wow. 250 class. Take, uh, what do you think for when I won uh, Atlanta Supercross? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I should be 100 grand, I would think, for a win, Supercross win. 60 grand. <laughs> what were you making? I'm I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> was Dave still working your deal? This was a Dave deal right here. <laughs> 7,500. No. When I won oh, Atlanta. Oh, my gosh. Really? I was making more than double that when I won some enduro cross races. <laughs> Cowie was laughing all the way home. Probably. I mean... Uh, <laughs> I had a I had a big salary. I yeah. think my my deal was more maybe salary than bonuses. You know, championship bonuses were I forget where they were. I never won one there at Cowie, but um, where like listening to like Rhino, he was like maybe low salary, all bonuses and something like that. But uh, at the time, I had no clue. Yeah, no clue. Yeah, and well, it's all I knew. So. So you go there, um, you make that decision. Do you ever think back, like, you got to think back and go, what, what would have happened if I had gone to Honda? I do, eh, a little bit. I try not to look back. Be because but Jer Jeremy would have been there Jeremy. 96, then he was gone. Uh-huh. So you so, would have been the guy. Uh, Although you'd have been on that aluminum Just to frame. have fun and look back, I feel like, I, I feel like, I would have got some wins that first year. That was the pinnacle of my career. And I was darn close even on that Cowie. But I think if me and Jeremy, maybe perhaps I would have fed off of that even more. Uh, uh, who knows what, or shit, I might've got really hurt. Who knows? Mm. So you can't even look back on yeah, it. But yeah, no, it, it's kind of fun in a way. And I occasionally, but, uh, I'm trying to picture you in Fox gear on a Honda. It's like, that's tough. That, that would have been weird, but huh. uh, the the bike was cool. I liked it. Uh, Best 250 you'd ever ridden or no? Hmm. Uh, maybe up until that point. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Yeah. But I love my 96 KX250. Yeah. Yeah. That, that ended up, uh, I, I said it, I always go back and forth. My 95 RM125 with Berluti uh, was awesome. 
or just the the bike in 96 on the the Cowie was good too. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think I rode Rhino's bike that year and it was it was great. Yeah. Like super connected. You know, like the throttle the minute you'd touch it it was mm-hmm. going. Uh, my four years at Cowie that uh, I wish I would have just rode that bike all four years. I've heard you say that before. Um yeah. I want to ask you about that. So who were who was your wrench that first year at Cowie? Come on, David. Was it Lunnis? Yeah. Yeah. Was he with you the whole time there? No. And that didn't last, right? Like no, it was a it, year. It didn't. So I tried hard to get Berluti to go to Cowie. And with where he was living in Vegas, uh, he could, you know, keep like the van there occasionally. It just worked. He didn't yeah. have to go to Suzuki that often. And, um, you know, he had a, let's say he had a, a pretty young daughter at the time. So all his years at Suzuki kind of, uh, he's just, he just couldn't leave yeah, it. Yeah, he got rooted you know? there, yeah. 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 Uh, so. So how did that discussion come up when you're talking mechanics where you get Lunas? And did, what did you, what were your thoughts on him beforehand? Well, uh, of course I knew of him and. I watched this show with Lunas, and it was totally funny. I started laughing when you're going through his career and talking about all his writers. Then he he did Mike Craig dirty, really dirty. Mm-hmm. And then and then he actually went. He worked for Kudrowski for a little bit, and then from Kudrowski he went to me. And you asked him like, "Hey, how 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 was Damon?" And he's like, "Oh, he." There was zero effort there. Then you're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So moving on, like I'm like, thank you, David. <laughs> Just well, cut one, him off. So one thing I've found, and I, I'm not here to have anybody blow anybody out. I can't yeah. control what they say, but um, I, I will tell you that since he's been on, and then I've had RJ on, we've had Damon on, and the story kind of keeps going like when Rick got him, he got a call from Hannah. And Hannah said, hey, uh, you know, if you want to win over there, you got to take, you, you need Brian Lunas. Yeah. And Rick's like, huh, Hannah hates me. Like, why is he calling me and trying to give me advice? Like, that's weird. Well, then when Rick hurt his wrist, Brian came to him and said, hey, uh, you know, it'd be really cool if you call Yamaha or call Damon and tell him that I know he needs a mechanic. And, you know, and Rick's like, dude, I, I haven't even said I'm re- like, really? You're just like bouncing on me? Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure with Damon, it, it didn't go much different. I'm sure he had him call somebody else. So. Brian was great at what he did. Yeah. He was a good motivator. He worked well with certain people, but he was definitely there for Brian. You could see that in well, just yeah, and how it played out. I can go I go down two roads here, and I'm just going to say one thing that was awesome about Brian, he put in a lot of effort, and he would drive up and meet me to go riding, like on my practice days. Um a lot of it would be like, you know, hey, well, you know, Bob, Bob did this or Rick did this. Um, I I love my 96 KX250, and he had a lot to do with that, with the testing and all that, and uh, with Roy Turner. Roy Turner was awesome. Uh, that was an awesome time right then with even how odd it was with me and Rhino being on the same team. And yeah. then you have Jeff. Jeff kind of doing his own thing. Um, 
I was just so, we put in so much time and hours at the practice track and, and Brian, at the end of the day, we would test all day. All right, time for your 20. And sometimes I'd be like, I could, you know, I could barely hold on anymore, you know, but he, for me, what, he was a little bit like my dad too. So negative energy motivation type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And coming from Berluti, you know, that's like, you know, going on stage second after the first band just killed it or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. you're just, so uh, I love Berluti and that connection was so awesome and it only lasted two years, but so, so part of it, the honeymoon phase at Kawasaki, when that kind of ended, then I had some injuries. Um, and I, I just had a couple little things like off-season races where I was coming back from injury, but I, I, I did a race at Mammoth and Lampson showed up and he beat me. And Brian, you know, wasn't happy. So <laughs> just going to leave it like that. Then uh, another time I almost got knocked out and I don't know where we were, Geneva or somewhere. And, you know, when I'm kind of like this guy cross-rutted and came into me mid-air over the triple and we just pancake on the ground and I'm pretty beat up and he's kind of, you know, he's kind of angry with me. Like, what are you doing out there? What are you riding with that guy? And so there was a couple times where I'm just like, I, I was hoping this would go a little different, but so <laughs> he, 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 he put in a lot of time and he tried, he really tried. And it personality wise, it wasn't probably a good match looking back on it. And my talks with Roy Turner, it might've been Bruce Sternstrom came in second year. I'm not sure, but I think it was Bruce. He's like, well, I, I need you to make the call to Brian and tell him that. Uh, is, is, oh, really? Yeah. Why? That's his job. Yes. So I remember. Were you kind of like, hell yeah, I'll make that call. <laughs> Give me the phone. Not really. <laughs> you didn't want to do it either? Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I'm. That's not your jam. But, yeah. No. So, no, I, I did, it was a tough call, but. Uh, um, How did that go? It went okay. <laughs> I don't. It was. It's just one of those phone calls you're dreading trying to to, to make. But I remember I was in my garage in Acton, and I'm like, "Well, okay." And I, I called him, and I think he was in the the Cowie race shop at the time, and um, just hearing from like J Bone and some other people, or like, "Ah, oh, shit!" Like he wasn't too happy. Yeah. You just said, "Hey, this this isn't working out." Yeah, but like. He's a Kawasaki employee, so how can you mm -hmm. fire him? I don't know. That's well, really I, weird. I don't. Yeah, it was more just like talking about some issues I had and wanting to move on, and uh, that's when they brought in uh, Paggio. Okay. Yeah. Which, like zero, he had a little bit of experience, I think, and he was a racer and he was younger, and that's kind of that's kind of what I wanted. I, I felt like I went through two years. I won some races, and, and but I had two years of uh, injuries and kind of wanted just a fresher change. Mm -hmm. And uh, But I don't know if we're jumping ahead. but uh, A little bit. Yeah. I just fine. I just I was curious about how that went with him because I know 
<clears throat> it went good. You know, it's he, kind of it's kind of like how we talked about Mitch. You know, his smash mouth management style worked with Rhino. Doesn't work with other people. Mm-hmm. I think Lunas was the same way. Him and Bob, that was probably great, right? They yeah. were hammerheads. They just yeah. talked shit to each other, and and you know what I mean. That's how they motivated each other. Maybe that worked with RJ a little bit. I don't think it worked real good with Damon. You yeah, know what I mean, but maybe, maybe a little. Um, yeah, uh, probably. I don't know. But you can't expect My, one management style or one yeah. leadership style or personality to get along with everybody. That just yeah. doesn't work. I was just a little bummed because we won some races together. Um, we won the 97 World Supercross Championship uh, together. Uh, and won Atlanta and we, we and, uh, you know, Troy. We, we did some stuff, but it bummed me out a little bit. He's like, ah, oh, he, he just didn't try. I'm like, what? Mm. You would drive to my house, and we would do motos, and we would even road bike together. And I mean, uh, yeah. So mm. well. I was like, what? That was a little disappointing. But he he uh, he he definitely put in the effort. He tried. Yeah, yeah. He, he did, for sure. You got to give him that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so take me through, first of all, the one race I remember from you when you moved up was Seattle 96. Yeah. Um, cause nobody at that time, if you, if you, if you were watching the sport from 93, 94, 95, 96, Jeremy was just destroying people. No Dominated. one, could, no one could even, it was like over before the, I know even dropped. Yeah. And so when you caught him, I don't know if you passed him at Seattle, did you pass him? I did a couple times. I mean, you guys were going at it and it was like, Somebody's like somebody's finally racing with Jeremy. The crowd was on their feet. Like yeah. no one could believe it. It was like it was a big deal. It would be like, you know, somebody catching Ricky at a national in his prime and, mm-hmm. and going back, you know, mixing it up with him. Um, and it was <laughs> after four years of him destroying everybody. It was like we finally got a guy <laughs> that can do it. You yeah. know. Um, so take us through that. That was one. really cool. You know, like I said, the the bike was great at Cowie. Great team. And I that year I had four second place finishes behind Jeremy. I'm not sure when I got second at Seattle. I'm not. I don't know when that came into play, but I knew I was close. Um, I, I call that like the the peak of my career. Uh, those like 94, 95, 96, 97, right in there. So. I was never very good at uh, heat races, and I, I, I think I even went to the semi, and I got kind of a rough start that night, and so did Jeremy, which is strange. Mm. And I remember Jeremy passing me in the main event, and I just said, okay, just stick with them. And we went from, like, 10th all the way to to 1st, and... Uh, I don't know. I had I had a line in the whoops where the first whoop from everyone, like, you are kind of like jump. You had to jump through them. So that first whoop, like, the guys would go rah, and that built up a little pre-ramp almost. And I would come through and just hit that pre-ramp. Then I, I would get on a whole different, like, rhythm, yeah. rhythm. And I was, like, hitting all the low spots where all the guys were, I don't know. So now you were staying tall, high, and they were all dropping into the pockets, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that whole year, I was killing it in the in the whoops. I, the bike worked great, and I again being a little bit taller I, I, at that point, it still I, I felt like it helped. 
So uh, we're first and second, and the laps are winding down, and actually I go by him in the whoops, and I remember there's a step up, and I had the lead, then he would get by me, then I would pass him back, but uh, my clutch was starting to really fade. Mm. And I never had that issue at all. Um, I was always pretty easy with the clutch, and um, but I had so much free play that there was maybe two laps to go, and I had the clutch all the way into the bar, and the, going through the first turn, it's just like chugging, and it just stalled on me. Ah. So that very next week, I had an adjustable clutch lever on my bike. I don't know if it was the first one, but it was an actual lever that you would click it forward, and there, there was no going back. You couldn't roll it back. It was oh. like a click. It was locked in or a click. It had like three clicks, and uh, so that kind of cured that problem. Huh. Did you, I mean, what was going through your head after that night? You're on the podium, you're like, okay, I just passed Jeremy. Like, I got this guy. Yeah. I can do this. I, that's exactly how I felt. I had, I had the confidence that I knew. I knew I was going to beat him. I wanted to beat him, and I was, I wanted it to happen. Yeah, it's kind of my 125 days where uh, it was confidence. Yeah. Confidence and just, okay. That one year, it was like, okay, if I don't get a good start, I'm going to win, but I'm going to whole shot and win. And uh, that's just confidence. And what you learn, you talked you talked about this the other day about, I think, confidence and whole shotting, but is really... If you don't want to be in the first turn first, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen by yeah. accident. Yeah. You have to want it to happen. Then you need the right technique and everything else and things to go right. But uh, if you don't want that position, it, it's not going to magically happen. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I find that so strange. Yeah. It's, so We had a whole conversation about it earlier. <laughs> I I wanted to be Jeremy. And it was, it was building. So Seattle was huge. Then San Diego, I think, was the next week. And it was maybe the first time in my career there was out of a corner was this single to a tall little tabletop. So it was like you jump up and then jump off over another single. And in practice, I came around and just rah, hucked the whole thing, cleaned the whole middle part all the way over, and I was the only guy to do it. And... So at that point, I'm like, uh, okay, I'm the man. I'm doing something <laughs> no one else is doing. And this tonight is a night. And I had an okay start, and Ezra took me wide, and I hit a tough block or hay bale and fell down, and I had to charge up. But then, I don't know. I had one or two more second-place finishes, and then I, I tore my ACL. At Atlanta or, or St. Louis? Tampa. Oh, Tampa. Tampa hit neutral. <clears throat> so did you get your ACL fixed after that happened? I did. Okay, so you were out that whole rest of that season. Yeah, I rode maybe a couple outdoors towards the, the end. Mm. Um, so a couple other things I wanted to ask <clears throat> you here. Um, one, you, yeah, you came back and actually got a podium at the Nationals that summer. Mm -hmm. So you came back good. And you always raced 
at least for the longest time there during your kind of prime, you always raced the 125 class outdoors. Did you ever have the option or want to race the 250 outdoors? Um, not or really in those years. I, I'm, I talked to someone about this the other day, and it never... I never, I never felt like, why am I not on the 250? I, I never felt that way. I don't know why. I think because I never won the title outdoors and even just winning a race was really hard to do. Mm. That That's kind of the way Cowie had it set up. Um, so yeah, that's how it went. No, it's not a big, I was just curious if that was a decision you made or, um, because you did good, but yeah, it's not like you had won the title a bunch of times or something. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so 97, you said you should have stuck with what you had in 96. You you guys yeah. kind of started changing things, and we did. Fro stuck with what he knew worked. Yes. And he ended up winning both titles that year in 97. I know. And What were you changing? We, I mean, just teams do this, right? Like, well, we're, they it's preseason. It. Let's test. What can we try? Uh, it's just like a production bike, you know? Well, do you want a, a 96 production bike or a 97? Well, the 97 is newer. You always yeah. you think it's always better, but yeah. I think we did weeks and weeks of testing leading up to Supercross in 96. So 97 uh, was so much, it was more of the same. The Japanese engineers come over and it is going through everything. And we're trying to make the bike better but at, then you kind of don't know where you are and it starts coming around again and you think it's better but that's kind of where you end up yeah did you guys ever go all right let's just go back to my 96 setup and do a back-to-back -back. i don't know why that wasn't so apparent to me back then because fro clearly did it yeah i remember him Showing up a little bit later than us and leaving a little earlier. And I remember, hey, yeah, oh, man, 96 setup, sticking with that. And uh, Rhino would be just, and me, you know, just wearing ourselves out trying to. <laughs> trying to make it better. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why it wasn't, like, so clear. Like, dude, I, I had maybe the my best bike ever, best setup. Why not continue riding it? But so... Just yeah. searching. Well, you always think like, okay, I need to get better every year. Yeah. But that's not always the answer. Or no. at least if, when you're done, go back to your old one and, you know what I mean, do it back to back to make sure you're. Yeah. Because it's easy to get lost. You know, you'll make a change. Oh, that's definitely not better. We're going down the bad path. Let's go this way. And then that gets better from the crappy spot you were at, but it's still not as good as where you were the year before, right? I mean, that that happens all the time. It It happened. Yes. So... And what was it like with you and Rhino? So when you when you guys got to be on the same team, did you guys ever talk? And, and Not really. Really? I, I didn't really talk a whole lot. So uh, it was kind of uh, like, you know, hey, hey, how's it going? Uh, uh, but it ended up great. You know, I would, if we're, we would test, you know, five days in a row for two weeks straight. And instead of driving back and forth, uh, two hour drive for me each way, these guys, you know, Emig's living right here, and Rhino's down the road. Uh, it got to a point where, like, you know, Huffman, if you if you want to stay down here, you're you can. So, two different extremes living 
<laughs> staying at Emic's house or Rhino. And you would think they would almost be the opposite. But I go to Rhino's. I have my own huge, is like a master bedroom in his big house. Uh, and his, his wife is like cooking breakfast and, you know, everything's all decorated, all nice. And I go to Jeff's house. And Bachelor pad. The, uh, <laughs> what do they call it? The whack whack room? Yeah, yeah. It is Riverside or House. Or something, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like wake up and fend for yourself and get to the track. But so that was kind of cool. But it was almost like the opposite when we got in the rig. Jeff would be all meticulous and taking off his jewelry and laying it out and necklaces and, you know, <laughs> and Rhino is still pulling the socks off you ran on press day, throwing them back on and just, and going, you know? You learn a lot about a guy up in their locker, up in that little confined space, yeah. huh? So, and I was probably a little bit in between. Uh, again, being a visual guy, I'm kind of seeing how these guys <laughs> like, are doing things. Well, that's pretty gross over there. <laughs> this looks like a little too much. All but, the... uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, you know, a lot of fun back in those days. Yeah. So, but once you guys... We're working together. There was never any issues. No, though. never. Um, yeah, I don't think we really had any run-ins. And sometimes when I watch the old races, I'm like, oh, dude, man, we're we're running, you know, third, fourth, and fifth, and we're all together, and there's never never issues or yeah. problems. Good. Um, tell me about Atlanta that year, 97. You um, Your results were, like, definitely yeah. not as good as 96. You could mm -hmm. see they were okay. Uh, but then Atlanta... Got the got the dub. I did. Uh, and there's I a was, weird story with your boots too. I yes. want to tell this story. That because I wore, wore those stupid Axo boots and they were awful. I had 90, problems with them. Ninety-five. Yeah. Oh. They they were amazing to where I don't know what was in the the shank or the bottom of them, but. You cannot even feel the foot pegs. You can hit a G out flat land, and it's like, so that was kind of cool, but it took away a little feel. But for me, I have, the way I'm built, I have a pretty narrow foot and skinny ankle and skinny legs, so that axle, axle boot was kind of bulky. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, whenever you would, you would bend the thing, it would bulge out. And earlier that year, in 97... Um, I, I caught my foot on ruts, like going through whoops and my foot would come off and tweak my knee, little things like that. And they had this Enduro boot, which is just a leather, no plastic on it boot. It still had like old school buckles and they only came in black. <laughs> and I, I got a pair and you can put them on and it was just like wearing a, wearing a glove, you know, it, yeah. You could feel the shifter and the brake pedal, and you felt <laughs> feel every tooth on the on the foot peg. Yeah, so the protection wasn't really there on them, but uh, I felt like you know, I, like naked. I mean, it, you know, it's just so I, I took those boots to Atlanta, and I, I wore them. And uh, the like I said, the feel, everything was just perfect. And that night, I don't think I was necessarily the, the fastest guy, but I had a huge, massive uh, hole shot. And 
I, I think someone someone hit the gate and the gate flinched and a lot of guys like like went and stopped and my delayed reaction I just went and just timed it perfect <laughs> and I I mean I'm a bike length out there and uh, I led every lap uh-huh. I, I led every lap I nailed every every spot I didn't make any mistakes I had Jeremy on me I had Emig on me uh, and I just nailed every lap and then. Uh, you know, uh, one by a couple seconds. I mean, there's there's not a a ton of guys that get their names in the in the win book in that <clears throat> class. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Really cool. Super pumped to have gotten one. I feel like I, I feel like I should have had more based on where I felt my riding was and the opportunities I had, but. What do, you think, what do you think held you? Just injuries? Injuries, little little nagging injuries and ankle injuries and you're riding with a sore knee or um, that one in 96 when I tore my ACL, I really hurt my, my wrist. It wasn't broken, but that's kind of why I was running this rollerblade wrist guard and uh, it, it just throws off your riding a little bit and I nailed neutral and went over the bars and got more hurt. But... I think, uh, you know, we're not like, it's not like a basketball team where, okay, you know, Pingree's out, his ankle's a little sore, but we have four other people that can take his spot. You're, you're out there, you're expected to race. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And for me, I had three years in a row of kind of bad injuries, torn ACL, uh, broke my lower leg, and then I broke my femur. So broke your femur in ninety eight. Eight. Oh, I don't remember so, that. Where was that? Uh, Pontiac. Ah, oh, okay. Ninety eight. So, and I kind of was a guy that was never really injured at all my whole career. I had a couple little things, but I, like I broke my collarbone when I was twelve. Uh, and I almost took my head off when I was. That same oh. year in, in twelve, <laughs> I remember a that banner. a yeah. banner, right? Yeah. yeah. So what what happened with that at a track? The banner you just ran under the banner, and it it was the week before the World Mini, where you can kind of go out to the track, and they would always have a race like a week or two prior. Yeah. So we drove out to uh, kind of get more practice on the track. It might have been the world main. I don't. I forget. It okay. might have been the world. Was main. it the one outside of Vegas, like in Henderson? Yes. Okay. So it was one of those big, long, 180 degree sweepers, and it, you know it, they just had those big sand berms, yeah. right? And then they the NMA had uh, metal metal stakes into the ground that they would wrap the banner from pole to pole to pole to pole all the way around the whole track. Well, that berm got pushed out so wide that one of the posts got like knocked down. So the main line, literally, if you're on that main line, you're going under the banner. So I came through and railed the turn on the outside. And when I came out, the banner was around my neck. So I come out of the sweeper, you know, on the gas. And then I just started getting ripped off the back of the bike and clotheslined. And uh, I split my chin open really bad too. And so when I, I felt it on my neck, it felt like a, 
gnarly rope burn. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I had just blood all over my hand. I'm like, oh, this, that's this, not right. <laughs> this isn't good. So I rode off the track and then, you know, I had blood coming down my shirt and uh, then they're like, all right, yeah, you need to go to the hospital. And I had stitches all the way across my neck and it was pretty close to being really serious. But yeah, I mean, it's that scar is gnarly enough that yeah. like it, there's not a lot of skin there between your no. airway and uh-uh. yeah, but so nothing super major uh, anatomically. It just was a big cut. Yeah, that's it. Just just stitches and Jeez. Uh, going to school, you know, with your neck your neck all taped up and uh, like what the yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, so you won in those Axo boots anyway. Did you wear them again after that or no? Well, no. So they they stayed on the truck, and then I flew home. And, you know, Monday morning. So I fly home. I get home Sunday after a really fun night, kind of out partying and having a good time. And I I never did – I never drank or did anything until, like, later in life. So at this point, I mean, I would – you know, one beer, and I thought that would throw me off for a week, you know. So uh, the kind of partying was just mainly staying out all night yeah. and hanging out. And I remember Vanilla Ice was there and hanging out with him. And, and it was just a fun night. So I flew home. I got home pretty late Sunday, then Monday morning, outdoor testing. And uh, Brian uh, Lunas comes up with my the 125. And we we met out in uh, Palmdale at some outdoor track in the hills. And um, normally, I I wouldn't ride even on Mondays. It was kind of a still recovering, maybe a little bike ride or whatever else, you know, some light training. And, uh, you know, hit it hard like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So... He comes up for or some preliminary outdoor testing, and it was on the first lap. My It was really cold. It was a cold morning, and I'm in the old Axo boots and just cruising around the track, you know, doing like a, you know, warming up. My my foot just slid off the foot peg as I, like, kind of went into this hole, and the toe of my boot stuck in the ground as I went forward, oh. and it snapped uh, my fibula. Ugh. And I remember, I'm like, oh, that hurt, man. And I kept on riding, thinking, oh, Brian's going to be pissed, you know, and I'm thinking about him. <laughs> but, uh, and I kept on riding, like, oh, maybe it'll go away. Then after, like, two laps, I pulled in, and I'm like, oh, man, I, I, I hurt something. I hurt my leg. And then as soon as I took my boot off, you just see your, you know, your ankle. You like, see yeah, it that's, moving. That's not moving right. And uh, so, um, Yeah. So I went from Atlanta Supercross to Monday in a cast. Jeez. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's, you know, this you see this a lot. This is a really common pattern, too, when guys who have success, it's like it just stacks, right? And that's confidence and fitness and all that stuff. And then if you're a guy who's had these multiple injuries, it's like you start building, building, boom. Mm-hmm. Building, 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 boom. You know, every time yeah. you get hurt, everything just, yes. your fitness goes to shit, your confidence goes to shit. It's tough. It's so tough. Uh, I'm always impressed with guys who get hurt a lot. 
like a Pastrana or something, and he can still come back and he's up front. Uh, no clue. <laughs> I, don't no, I, I don't know how people do that. Uh, very, it, very, hard. very weird. Um, okay, so 98. So that takes you out. Well, it took me out for the rest of Supercross, and I came back for outdoors. In 97? Okay. How did that go? Uh, it went, it went. You won pretty, Troy. Pretty good. That's right. And Troy, and Troy I think a little, came out of kind of nowhere. Um, but it's just one of those days where everything was lined up and matched and I was feeling good. I loved the track. My, my bike was good and it just clicked. That, the, that the was the really hot day, right? Super hot. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the year I was still riding for Mitch and I was so done after one of the motos. Mm -hmm. I just handed my mechanic that bike you know there's that creek that you cross over a bridge i think right maybe anyway i just went running down to the creek and just laid out i was this yeah. close to passing out yeah like you were talking about kind of dizzy and like the little flashy things and my yeah, vision I, sort of my sure. peripheral kind of came in a little bit i'm like oh boy you know i always like to uh like on the starting line i just i was already hosed in water yeah you know water just all over me so when you take off you got it's like air conditioning, but, and I had that huge AXO, they call it a hockey jersey, it had like no cuffs and, you know, yeah. the whole moto is like up here on me. And, and that was the only time, like I said, where I won the first moto. Yeah. I got out front and kind of settled in and, uh, and Ricky, he started basically behind me, top three, both motos and um, everything really clicked. My 97 KX125 had a lot of top end. And I whole shot at both motos. I remember going down the start straightaway, and when I think when all the other bikes were starting to kind of flatten off, and mine just kept on pulling. Mm. You know, a like fifth gear still going, and and that's what did it. The the two starts and just being on my favorite track. Yeah, that seemed to be just a good track for you. Mm -hmm. you know, just matched your style. Um, all right, so you get through that season. <clears throat> you got one more year on your Cowie deal. Um, how did that leading up to 98 go? And well, uh, 98 was a little weird. We were, we were really trying some weird stuff on the bike. Now we had, was it, was this still the same generation of bike? When, it, when did they it do was a big 99, change? Okay, 99 yeah. was a little different, but our 98, we had this rear shock that was like wired to the ignition. So when it hit, over revved or hit certain RPMs, the rear shock was stiffened. Have you heard of this before? No. They, they call it like the ERS, the electronic rear shock or, or something. It was pretty high tech. But uh, we always struggled with uh, starts. So the, the theory was, you know, when you're revved up, that, that shock would stiffen. And when you, this is all pre, whatever they call Start it, device. starting devices and, and all that. So. Uh, it was a help on the start, but, and riding at the Cowie track, when you had like a big face of a triple and being rock hard ground, it almost felt kind of cool to like, you know, that rop that you do at the base of a triple and the rear shock would stiffen and you almost felt like you could jump lower. Stay pushed through it and, instead uh, of popping it. Yeah, instead yeah. of, okay. this is all a little pre, you know, really scrubbing and all that. This is more like, you would throw your chest into the crossbar and, and stay lower type technique. <clears throat> so, and our, our the whoops at the Cowie track are always, they were always a little funky. 
and it actually kind of worked okay. And then we, we took it to the racetrack, uh, you know, the first few rounds. And I remember the Yamaha guys were all, they were angry, like, you know, this is going to drive the cost of racing up. And what are you guys doing? And there was some stuff behind the scenes that was going on with the team managers. And ultimately, it, it did not work when you got to, like, Lomi, tackier, ruddy tracks. It, it was a handful. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. It's because you can't control when it comes on. You'd have to ride it lugging it or something, right? It, it, yeah, I don't know. We all struggled. We were struggling big time. Huh. Jeff struggled. Uh, I forget Rhino's results. And I struggled. And uh, I finally did get, I think, a podium yeah, at New Orleans. New Orleans. Yep. And I felt like all by that time, all that stuff was off the bike. And... Uh, and then I got hurt at Pontiac. Yeah. You should have just gone back to your 96 setting. I know, right? Gosh, dang it. So what happened at uh, Pontiac? Just rhythm section or something? Or finish what? line. Finish line jump. So this is, I want to say, is the first year of tough blocks. So, and if you watch the race, races back then, they had tough blocks lined on every oh, yeah. landing. They were everywhere. Down the landing of the finish line. And he came out of a 180, big finish line jump into another 180. So the race line was kind of like bull turn, kind of jump and cross over to the right, you know, bull turn down the straightaway. And uh, it's on it's on video where I go over the finish line and just kind of hooked maybe a rut a little much. Threw you to the and right. And it threw me just like a foot farther right in midair. And I remember in the air like, okay. This isn't so bad. And I thought <laughs> I was just going to land and, and ride it out. Yeah. And I, as soon as I landed, those wheels came out from under me. Immediately. Lightning fast. Yeah. And uh, it threw me out onto concrete like this off to the right. And I was knocked out, which was a good thing. And when they finally got to me and I didn't really come to until I was on the, the backboard and I remember them s carrying me off and I kept on yelling at the paramedics don't drop me you're dropping me don't drop because it felt like I was still falling mm. I was all I was screwed up so they're like we have you and I'm like I'm falling and you know, I was I wasn't in a whole lot of pain and then they they took me to some hospital and had uh, the next morning I had like this 80 year old Detroit Lions orthopedic doctor put a plate on my femur, a plate, a plate. Okay, so that's new. No, it's really old, <laughs> <laughs> really old technique. <laughs> so we're going to catch, we're going to put some bailing wire on this uh -huh, thing. They said, because my brake was a little bit higher that the the plate uh, was the best way to go. And everyone was there, you know, team okay. manager, my mechanic, and they talked it over the doctors. And uh, I didn't know. I've never broke a femur. And um, so, you know, they have to split you open and go through your quad muscle Ugh. and put this plate on. And it had like seven screws going in. And then, you know, staple you back up. And... <clears throat> I was in the hospital for, I don't know, only a 
few days. Then my dad actually flew out and then uh, helped me, and we flew back home. And I was, you know, in a wheelchair. Then a couple weeks later, I went to my own doctor because uh, it was time for the staples to be removed. And he's like, hey, uh, you know, I just want to x-ray it, see what they did in there. And I think I had some x-rays with me at the time. So I remember this like it was yesterday as I'm I'm on the, the, the seat in there inside the doctor's room and he takes new x-rays and puts them up on the board and he's just like, ah. you know, like looking at me and he, then he's like, you know what? For your age and what you do for a living, this all needs to be redone. Uh. And I'm just like, I'm like three weeks into the healing process and kind of getting around on crutches and feeling a little better. But was it just not healing or what was the deal? So, yeah, the bones, they weren't aligned. Ugh. There was literally a screw through the fracture site. And he's like, this will heal. It'll heal. Uh, it may take four times as long. And you may have to wear a little lift in your left foot, but it'll heal. And so it is obvious it had to be redone. So by the time we reschedule surgery and get back in there. Did he do a rod this time? Yeah. Okay. So removed everything. So I have this great Jeez. scar now for nothing really. Then they went in up here and, and did the rod. Uh, that was that was worse waking up, I guess, after all the trauma of pulling that out and redoing this. Did he so, have to open you back up to get the plate out? Yeah. Yeah. So you had that oh, incision yeah. plus the one up top to get the right. Yeah. Jeez. So that That's was a lot of trauma. That was a little bit of a nightmare. And uh, so that was, yeah, my whole 98 right there. Mm. Jeez. <clears throat> um, so that was the same year, though, you came back and won the U.S. Open. So even I did. you lost that whole season. I forgot about that. Yes. You capped it off with a nice little win. That was the first year of the U.S. Open, right? Yes. I remember right. Yeah. So huh. kind of. What's strange about that is at that time I was riding at uh, Mike Kudrowski's track yep. and it was kind of built on a little bit of a slant and where the his little starting gate was dug in, you would take off and go down a hill. The U.S. Open, they had this elevated start. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Where you'd take off and it went down a hill. And I wasn't up to speed. Uh, my... Fitness wasn't there. I was happy to be there. Happy to be back on the bike. I was only riding uh, maybe less than a few weeks, but I was on the bike a little bit longer doing some starts and just riding around, getting a feel for it, uh, but really doing laps maybe a week or two. Mm. And so I get to the U.S. Open, zero expectations, of course. And uh, I look at the start you're like, huh, I know how to do that, you know. <laughs> Been doing that for years. And uh, I think I whole-shotted. The, the track was horrible. It was so tight and yeah. small and little, and it barely went outside the, the arena and back in. I'm probably, I'm downplaying it, but uh, for people I don't know, I tell them I won the U.S. Open. It's just like <laughs> golf or tennis. But... For, you know, the more knowledgeable, I'll go in more detail. So I whole shot my heat and, like, finished second. 
main event comes, I whole shot the main, and I think uh, Raynard won maybe night one. Okay. And I finished second. Everyone else in the back are banging bars, falling, crashing. You know, there's no room to pass, and Jeremy's stuck back there. And it's it, that at the time was easily the smallest racetrack that caliber of guys had ever been on, right? Yeah. Together. I have probably, yeah. Because it was like. I've done some things in Europe that are I'm like, ah, that's small, but it was just like that. Yeah. 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 So night two, I'm feeling a little bit of pressure because guys were able to make bets and stuff. And I had, oh, man, I'm putting money on you and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay. And then night two was like uh, just a clone of night one for me. You know, heat race, whole shot, get like second. Main event comes, and I think Jeremy might have won night two, but because he was like eighth or something the first night, I went two two and got the overall. Wow! And it was a was it a hundred grand? Hundred grand. It's pretty good payday. Better than your seventy five hundred from Cali. <laughs> a little bit. So what I, I loved part of my racing career was I love being, bringing back a new piece of hardware for my trophy cabinet. Yeah. I always loved my trophies and uh, to display them. Uh, and that U.S. Open trophy, well, it was huge. It yeah. was huge. It was heavy, and I never got it. I never got to keep it. It was never in my possession from that time I held it on the podium. Was it like a returning trophy that they were going to get? Yeah. Oh. So it went to Cowie. Then Cowie had my bike on display with the trophy and, and stuff. That was really cool. And then they said, oh, you're going to get a replica of the trophy. And it just never happened. Ah, yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. So, okay, you, you win that, but your deal with Cowie's up? It's up. Three years is up, and uh, I got renewed. Actually, my my salary went down, but I, for whatever reason, I got a lot of money from Thor and Parts Unlimited, which kind of made my salary about the same. And they renewed me for one year, a one-year deal in 99. Okay. How'd that season go? Look, so I, I mean, it looks solid. A lot of top fives. Yeah. No it, podiums, it was, but you, you, were, know, you were in there the whole time. And, and Padge is still your guy? Yes. Yeah. I had a great time with him. Uh, he was always great with the bike. And uh, one funny Paggio story really quick. His first, I mean, he, he just took over the spot. And I think we did a, we win the U.S. Open. And Jay Bone, you gonna give him ten percent? I'm like, yeah, I'll give him ten percent. So he was pumped on that. And then we're we're in Japan, at you know Tokyo and Osaka Supercross. And when you go there, it's everyone from Cowie is there. You know they're they're bringing their rig and all their engineers. And so they pull the bikes out of the. They're all built to our specs. And and Paggio's my mechanic. And uh, back then, we, after I hurt my knee, our neutral notch was always really shallow, so it was hard to find neutral. Mm. So we didn't hit neutral. Um, something we learned in '96. But uh, so Paggio is out with this brand new bike, all factory work stuff on it, and he's revving it up. Revving up, I think he's holding it on to the, he might have been sitting on it, I'm not sure, or he's off to the side. There's like four or five Japanese uh, engineers all there, and uh, 
bum, bum, bum. It pops into gear. On its own. On its own. And he run, brah, and it, it takes off and like spins him around, does like a donut on the bike. Uh, just a funny story. Like he felt like he's never been over there and he's in front of all these guys and they probably thought it was his fault and he was embarrassed, but yeah, oh, it was just. It could have hurt somebody. Yeah, it was crazy. Or him. Crazy. But uh, Paggio was good. But here's where, looking back on my career now, where, so 96, 97, and 98 with the femur break and going through all that trauma, my goal for 99 is just finish. I want, just finish. Yeah. I want to make it through the whole season. Uh-huh. I want to be there every race. And, you know, looking back on it now, that little change of your mindset, that little intangible thought takes you from winning to Fifth, getting sixth, getting yeah. on the podium is going to be a big accom- accomplishment or, you know, top five. Mm-hmm. Yep. That right there. Yeah, it, you know. That's hard, though, because, you know, it's three tough. years of, bi- so of big injuries and <laughs> to, to go, all right, I'm going balls out, you know. Like, again, it's just hard. Uh, you can't. So, yeah. I mean, looking back on it, uh, I can't complain. I, I'm still, I'm in one piece. I feel pretty good. But 99, I, yeah, I was at every race. I don't think I had a podium, but I was top five a lot. Yeah. And that year was pretty stacked. Yep. I remember Honda had like a big team with Pashan, Tortelli, Wyndham, maybe Ezra. And uh, it was a stacked year, and I did pretty well. Yeah. That was a solid season. Mm-hmm. Just uh, no no podiums. Yes. And then still 125 outdoor? No, 250. You did do 250. 250. And what was that? Stepped like? up. It started off good. It started off where you know, Glenn Helen. Um, I ran second in second place, the whole second moto behind Tortelli. Well, Tortelli was gone. Uh, 99, Glenn he Helen. A, yeah, he was on fire that year. Yeah. Gone. Incredible. But I passed, like, Jeremy, I, I don't know. I, I was in second, solid second. And I remember I had so much sweat <laughs> coming into my goggle lens I felt pretty good, solid physically, but for whatever reason, I hit a big hole and it just went, and I don't know what it was. And uh, and a couple guys caught me at the end and I was just struggling for just vision and ended up fourth. And it was a good day. I think I got fourth overall, but that took me from potentially getting second overall to fourth. Then uh. the next week, Hangtown, I think I... I might have hole shot it and came out of a one of those big corners and just they just overwatered and and I did the the classic boom just high side, high side and just right on my head and the rest of the year was a little bit of a struggle. I'm not really sure. Hmm. sure <clears throat> did you was, like riding the two fifty outdoor or were you Yeah. 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 It it was good. I, I don't think I got on the podium the rest of the year, but I'm sure I had Top fives and did okay, but uh, not enough to. Cowie was like, "All right, you know, we had four years, and that's it." Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, we're gonna pick it up with two thousand. We're gonna take a quick little break here. This is your TLD timeout. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more Damon Huffman. 
It's holiday season, and you don't know what to get as a gift or stocking stuffer? Well, today's sponsor, Manscaped, has the tools to guarantee you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competition. Manscaped is the leader in men's below-the-waist grooming, and they have served more than 4 million men worldwide. If my math is on point, that's almost 8 million balls. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code WHISKEYTHROTTLE. Between Stashtober and Movember, there's plenty of hair farming going on, and that's a tradition that's especially embraced in the fire service. This time of year, there's nothing wrong with a nice cookie duster, as GL would call it, but nobody wants to see a hairy undercarriage. That's why Manscaped's best-selling product is the Performance Package 4.0, which is the top of every man's wish list this year. Inside, you'll find their lawnmower body trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your balls, butt, and body, and the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. Let's not forget their famous liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and Crop Reviver Ball Toner to maximize your ball hygiene routine. Get the Performance Package now to receive their two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. The dads can't stop talking about this, the teens secretly buy this, and the women will love you for it. These are our picks for Manscaped Surefire Wind Stocking Stuffers. Number one, the Manscaped 2-in-1 Shampoo Plus Conditioner just launched. Kill two birds with one stone. Number two, the Manscaped Cologne Infused Body Wash. Number three, Shears 2.0 Luxury 4-Piece Nail Kit. Number four, Crop Mops Ball Wipes for your stanky balls. And number five, Manscaped Signature Cologne. Clean and classy. You don't want to smell like a Brazilian pimp. Just keep it clean and classy. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free, so you know their products are legit. Make sure you hurry to their site to ensure these wild gifts show up before the holiday season. And while you're at it, get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code WHISKEYTRUCK. Whether this is for your husband, dad, brother, friend, get them something they'll actually use, and it's almost sure to get a laugh. So one more time, it's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code WHISKEYTHROTTLE. No spaces, no capitals. Be the ballsiest gift giver this year with Manscaped. Dunlop. There is a reason every AMA championship in the past decade was won on Dunlop tires. They are the best. Choose the best performing tire and brand that has never wavered in their support of our sport. Choose Dunlop. Pro Circuit. Pro Circuit products are designed with one goal in mind, winning. Through passion and hard work, Pro Circuit has operated the most successful 250 team in the history of the sport. They use that same formula when developing exhaust, engine, and suspension parts for every brand. When only the highest level of performance is acceptable, trust Pro Circuit. Since 2009, Seat Concepts has been dedicated to making the best aftermarket seats. More comfort, more grip, more riding. For 10 years, we've continued to raise the bar. Innovation and American craftsmanship make Seat Concepts the world-leading manufacturer of power sports seats. Something from nothing. That's what Nihilo Concepts is about. It starts with a spark, an idea, a concept, which leads to a design and finishes with engineered excellence with the highest quality products created with durability in mind. 
All our products are made in the USA at our state-of-the-art facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you are a weekend warrior, ride for fun, or at the highest level of competition, Nahilo Concepts offers innovative titanium, aluminum, and carbon fiber parts for your dirt bike. We offer a wide variety of products that you can customize to your liking. Browse our site for foot pegs, brake tips, engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, lever grips, carbon fiber components, motor stands, our secondary on-switch, plus much more. Head to NahiloConcepts.com and see for yourself why factory teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs Gas Gas, Orange Brigade, Club MX, KLM Gas Gas, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nahilo Concepts. Specialized Bicycles. Specialized leads the way in the world of bicycling. Whether it's cross-country racing, downhill, e-bikes, enduro, road, gravel, dual solemn, dirt jumping, or all mountain bikes that do it all. Specialized has the perfect ride for you. The brand is synonymous with engineering excellence and innovation that steers the industry. Visit your local Specialized dealer for a test ride and see just how good Specialized products are. Ogeo Power Sports. Ogeo has perfected the carrying case, motocross gear bags, helmet bags, boot bags, hydration packs, backpacks, and travel bags, to name a few, have all been meticulously engineered to maximize space and surpass durability standards that would make NASA proud. Simply the best. Ogeo Power Sports. intercom on to be able to hear what they talk about and how fast they should go, throttle control, braking, really cool. Extend your leg out, there you go. Good job, good throttle control, Lonnie. That's a great training tool. It was a lot of fun to be on the track with them. Hey, Lono. What? Can you pull off, pull off over here when you get to me and your brother? Okay. With a rich history in motocross, ProX has been dedicated to supplying quality components since 1975. Whether you're rebuilding an engine or just need a new chain, ProX Racing Parts aims to bridge the gap between OE quality and affordability. ProX has over 9,000 part numbers and over 60 different product types that are manufactured by highly reputable or even OEM suppliers and are offered at affordable prices to help keep riders on the bike instead of in the garage. Visit ProX.com to search parts for your bike or check them out at your favorite online or local dealer. Audio the guys are just breaking in their race bikes, which will leave on the semi this Saturday to go to the first Supercross for our coast in Orlando. Uh, so the guys are just be goofing off a little bit, do some cool photos, do some cool videos. When you go racing, you want to do well, but a big key is keeping the bikes on the track. That's why we chose to work with Motul. Expectations coming in as a rookie is just to try and get my feet wet and uh, honestly just send it, see where I end up and uh, do my best out there, but just ride aggressive and ride like myself in practice and uh, should have a good time. Challenges of this sport, I believe, is just simply staying healthy. Uh, with how fast we're going um, and what we're doing, your margin for mistake is really, really small. 
If you have little rippers, you have had to have seen Stay Sick Bikes by now. We have created bikes and experiences that allow kids to develop sooner and empower them to define their own ride. From learning to ride to sharpening skills, the Stay Sick promise is accelerated growth. Whatever path your family chooses, it's going to be the ride of your life. Stay Sick Stability Cycles. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Hey, I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. All right, welcome back. That was your Troyley Designs timeout. If you guys have not been over to TroyleyDesigns.com lately and checked out everything they've got going on, uh, please do that. Everything from the brand new uh, lines of motocross gear that are out, mountain bike stuff, their paint department. And launching very, very soon, you're going to start to see more and more of these photos leak out. But the SE5 helmet, uh, which officially launches January 5th, um, pretty pretty rad. Going to be available here very soon, so uh, check that out. Uh, back to Damon Huffman here. So we're, we kind of left off at the 2000 season. You were kind of done with your, your Kawasaki deal. How did you get back to Suzuki? And was that like, uh, feel like a little bit of a homecoming? Were you worried about that bike? A completely different bike at that time. I, I actually, I rode, I rode, uh, I was talking with Yamaha and Suzuki and I rode, I rode the Yamaha. Okay. And it was amazing. They came out, I rode it on an outdoor track and it was a rocket. Okay. Rocket ship. That, that YZ250 at the time was kind of the bike, right? That's what. This was the 450 or whatever it was at the time. 426? Oh, you were at the 426. The four stroke. Ooh. Okay. Um, then we even drove and I rode it at, uh, Kudrowski's track, um, which is a little bit tighter than a regular supercross track. And it's kind of built on a little slant. And I felt like that thing was a handful mm -hmm. out there. And, it, uh, then I, I started like, um, talking back or going back to, uh, the Suzuki deal. And uh, I mean, at the time, that whole four-stroke was like a new, a new machine, man. I yeah. I, I wasn't. Uh, um, I, I felt like I would have done better on the two-stroke still. Yeah, that that would have been a very tough time. I think did Button end up taking that deal? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you got to put a lot of faith that they're going to come through and make that thing work because it was a pig at that time. Yeah, the the motor was great. It did feel a little bit heavy, and the whole starting, you know, getting that thing started up was an issue. But it was fun to ride. Yeah. It, it was a cool bike. I mean, it was a, like a full-on works bike. Yeah. It was awesome. Mm. So you went with the Suzuki, and how was that thing? It was good. I, I had fun. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Roger was still team manager at that time, and I had Brian Barry was my mechanic, and he was a great guy. Did a great job with the bike. He was with John Dowd for a lot of years, and I think one podium maybe at Pontiac, which felt like a little redemption from when I broke my leg mm. two years prior. But um, pretty good year. I think I was there at most races, and maybe had a couple little injuries that held me back from really my full potential. But overall, it was fun. Top, the results look like top tens all year. I mean, you were yeah. always in that sixth to ninth range, it seemed mm -hmm. like. And like you mentioned earlier, that was a pretty thick field, so pretty tough. Um, outdoors, same, kind of just went okay? Same deal. Yeah, really not a whole lot of success outdoors. Um, 
nothing really stands out that comes yeah. to mind. And um, yeah, and, and that was my, my last year on a factory team right there, 2000. So at the end of that season, what happened? Tell me how that worked out. I mean, you Suzuki didn't want to renew. Did you hunt around for other jobs? A little bit. At this time, I'm really, I haven't had an agent or, or anything. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of, that definitely hurt. But uh, the talk of a, a new Yamaha Motor World team, and, and that's kind of where I ultimately landed up. And I don't really think I had any other option. And um, I, I don't remember a whole lot from that year. Well, so I don't remember Supercross. Did you ride a 252 stroke? In Supercross? I did. So 250 two-stroke in Supercross, and I had a couple okay finishes, and I never really gelled with the bike. Uh, it was always that it was a full privateer effort, yeah. and uh, the results weren't that great. But I did really enjoy outdoors on that 01 uh, 250F. So that's what I remember. Um, yes. Because I was riding... In 01, I was riding for factory KTM, which was, it didn't handle great either, but it, it was fast. Mm -hmm. And I remember all summer long racing against you guys on the 250Fs because there was the There's YOT guys. Lot. Yeah. Any privateer, really. Mm -hmm. And, and then the World. Motor World team. And yes. I want to say there was another team, but there was a lot of them. Yeah. And if you ever got into a drag race, I was losing, you know? I, and it yeah. was like, right, it was very obvious early on that those <laughs> things were... You know, the first option. time riding that bike, I was at uh, that Gorman motocross track, and it blew my mind. I I rode it. It felt so easy to ride. Just the flat corners, I felt like I just hold, you know, kind of steady throttle and just track. And yeah. it was no effort, If a little bit quicker than a 125 and easy to ride. It was, it was insane. So right away, you were like, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Did they give you an option of 125 or 250F? No. No, it was just 250F. Yeah. So, and I had a decent summer. I, I know I was on the podium a couple times. Yeah. Glen Helen and was that, Southwick. That might have been the year. Oh, it was Moto Triple X. They were riding, remember? Larry Ward. Oh, that's right. That might have been later. But anyway, they were riding them too. Mm -hmm. And uh, Larry Ward, I think he won Red Bud. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't know if that was 01 or 2000, but he did. Yes. Yeah. So, all right, so good summer. Uh, you st and then in 02, did they switch to Suzuki? Is that what happened? They did. Okay. And then how did that go? So that was a bummer for you. Yeah. Uh, or was it a bummer? I mean, it, you tell me. I don't the, know if it works in Supercross, it was, it was very similar. The bikes were very similar, just bolt-on parts and uh, very similar uh, results probably. Did you ever think about getting your dad involved, have him build your stuff? Um. Do some dyno runs down the street again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean everything was just so controlled by the yeah, the yeah. team and kind of this is what you're riding and but uh, not really. Um, uh, by by that time, I think uh, I was kind of you know not living with the parents anymore and, and stuff like that. So um, it was more of them me telling them what my results were and them not really traveling with the rate to the races at all. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you kind of fall away from your parents or no? Just, they just got a little more disconnected from racing. Um, yeah, maybe a, a little bit, of, a little bit of both. I had a little rough patch in there and, uh, just 
such a common story with, you know, like new girlfriend that turns wife and like, okay. Mm. And it just little, and I'm not the best at communicating. And I was always trying to play like the middleman. And, um, I, I see, you know, my relationship with my wife and, uh, parents or other family it's like i was always like in between and then the wife's like you don't have my back then it's like well so it was very difficult yeah so it's like did your did your mom and your wife not get along from from what i saw every it was always great it was always great but what happens behind the scenes and, and stuff i don't know okay i don't know I, I, I know a lot of guys, and I, this happened to me too, boys are, for a mother, they're like, that's like their little baby boy. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard for them to let go or have some new w- woman come in and sort of take that's that role. exactly And there's a very strange dynamic. My, my yep. wife and mom didn't, they butted heads for a, a while. Yeah. And I think yeah. we're, you know, after 20 years of marriage, I think we're past exactly. it. Exactly. I'm at the 20-year mark. <laughs> and uh, so, you know... Yeah, there there was actually a, it lasted for quite a while where I mean I would talk with my parents, but uh, there comes a point where it's like um, you have to you have to have your wife's back. Yeah, and it took me a while to realize that and see uh, playing the middleman, uh, you're not making anyone happy. Then it's like you know, hey, this is my wife, my future. This is I'm, my family. My now. family. Get so, on board. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and now things are things are pretty good, you know. So, okay, it's just the way it worked out, you know. Yeah. So th- you were married that year. What what year did you get married? I got married. Yeah, the end of '01. So okay, yep, September sixteenth of '01. Yeah. So you've been. It's been a minute for you guys. Twenty one years. Twenty. Oh, twenty. Right. Yeah, twenty. Just hit twenty in September. October of '01. You got married. September. Okay, I was married in October of twenty one okay. or of '01. That's, that's that's You're a month ahead of me. You know, yeah. September, October, yeah, every, November. Every racer, there's yes. like a three-month window. Um, okay, so so going back to that Suzuki, what did you ride outdoors? In 02? Yeah. I was on a RM125. Really? Yes. And that was not good. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I only laugh because... Yeah. Hey, I... Because <laughs> I rode for them in 03. And my bike wasn't good in 03, so I can't imagine it was a whole lot no. better in 02. I, I rode 125s pretty good, but it was kind of weird going back from the four-stroke to the 125. And uh, I remember where the whole team was out testing, and they were doing lap times, and uh, it was on an old, rough, loose track that I knew pretty well. And these other guys, I think Andrew Short and a few others, and my lap, I have the best lap times, you know, and so I think they're pumped, but I don't think my results were all that great. Yeah. You know, it it was, yeah, I need, it, was, it wasn't a chance against the four strokes. <laughs> it, you, yeah, we were bringing a knife to a gunfight at that point. Yeah. Um, I got, I got Yeah, that. blowing through the years right now. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, two, yeah. three. <laughs> it, it's so funny how. I can remember little details and, you know, for all, you know, race wins or what I had for breakfast that morning at this win and little, but going to 01, 02, <laughs> 03, it I all don't know. gets a little bit blurry. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I was out there. I hear you. I listen. I've been there. Um, yeah. 
You did get a fourth at Southwick that year, which is pretty crazy on that uh, RM125. Yeah. I had a – I won uh, – And you were still getting top tens in Supercross. I mean, there it wasn't you go. Like, yeah, it wasn't like it was terrible. I was always a top ten guy for a long time there. Yeah. Held on. But Southwick, I, I won a second moto there, I think, in 95. Um, and 01, I was on the podium with Grant and Pastrana. I like I like the wick. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I wicked it up at the long, wick. Long yeah. legs let you like long manual and through flow. stuff. Slow, yeah, flowing. Okay, so o- 03, what happened? You're on a Honda, and I can't remember. Was this is this when you went to Canada and you did the Blackfoot thing? Yeah. So I had that lined up for 03 for the summertime, and but for Supercross, I really didn't have much. Then um, I actually I tried to do like the opening race like completely on my own on like a production bike uh cr250 or 450 450 okay and i don't know i don't know i don't even know if i i might have qualified but it was it was really a lot harder uh, than you thought or what it was like just a complete low point to like okay then uh moto triple x came along and uh they're like hey man we what you're doing isn't working, obviously, but <laughs> so they, then I was like part of a team again, and you know they had the rig and actually mechanics and a crew, so uh, that was pretty good. And in '04, um, I had some some good results again. I had a, a few, I think, top fives and a lot of hole shots, and it that was, was with it was Moto Triple X. Yes. Yeah. So you were running but, Supercross with them, and then you go to Canada and uh-huh. do the Blackfoot Honda deal. So how was that? How was the Canadian stuff? I liked it. Uh, I'm I'm stoked. I did it. I did it for for three years yeah. and uh, got to see, you know, from the west coast, the far east coast of Canada. Yeah. Uh, Blackfoot was. They ran it like a factory Honda team. Yeah. Um, I remember they sent me in an itinerary. I was going up there a couple times for testing before the season. And they would have, I mean, like your sheet here, bullet points, 8 o'clock, you know, arrived at track. 8.05 to 8.20, set up tent. 8.20 to 8.25, unload motorcycles. (laughs) 8.25 to 8.30, you know. I'm like reading through all this. I'm like, what is this? They would go through with sheets of like torque specs for like seat bolts and this and that and I'm like, I've never seen anything like it, huh. but it was fun. Uh, it was good. The bike was pretty good. I rode two strokes the first two years and then a four stroke the last year, but then uh, JSR. Mm. You know, so I don't think a lot <laughs> of these Canadian guys that have come down, like JSR, Blair, Morgan, um, Darcy, Darcy, Darcy Lane, Klatt. Dusty Clatt. Yeah. Because none of them, JSR had some decent results here, but mm-hmm. like they just, they none of them ever really shined. Darcy had a good season, yeah. Um, but when you go to Canada, you're in their world, and it's like those dudes are legit, right? I mean, I, I find this anywhere. If you you could go to Australia and maybe a guy that comes here from there doesn't do as well, yeah. You go to his world, buckle up. Like there's dudes that are fast in their little spot of the world. It it's so true. I saw it firsthand. JSR beat me every year. Every yeah. year I finished second. I won races every year. Uh, but 
there would be weeks I, I couldn't even touch them. Yeah. Gone. And I can't even really think of a weekend where he beat me down here. You know what I mean? At, no, I, that's Supercross, what I'm saying. Come down and do it or outdoors. Um, but uh, it was kind of eye-opening. <laughs> and it took me a couple races to get going. And then uh, I won a couple races in a row that first year. But JSR, he was either second or first. Yeah. Every week. He's legit. Um, neat tracks up there. I, I've, I've done a handful. I did mm -hmm. uh, Calgary, that road, Wild oh, Rose. That's a good one. Great track. Yes. Uh, DeChambeau, which I really enjoyed. Did you ever go back there? DeChambeau, the golfer? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's no, in I, Quebec. Did Quebec. you guys know? It's a sandy track. Kind of goes uh, down in yeah. and out of this pit. Yes. Yeah. I forgot the name of that. Yeah. That one was fun to me. Just super sandy rutted mm -hmm. stuff, but it was really fun. Yeah. Uh, I liked it because... And then what was the last... What's the final one that they do? I went to that too. Uh, uh, is it Moncton or somewhere? Or Walden? Is that Walden? somewhere? Walden. Walden. Uh, Moncton is like... It's pretty much like New Brunswick. It's a four-hour yeah. time change. Oh, man. When you go back there. So getting to the track by like 7.30 is crazy. Jeez. But uh, um, I liked the way they prepped the tracks. It would be... You know, here in America, sometimes I feel like they plow them up too deep mm -hmm. uh, initially for practice, and they overwater them. And then you got sections that never dry out, or they're just always just ruddy. Up there, it's like more like a local race yeah. where you're able to use the whole entire track, find lines on the edge, or go down the middle, whatever. It's it's not dug up or overwatered or overplowed. I, I kind of wish they would do that here. Yeah. But it tends to get a little maybe dustier or whatever, and uh, maybe that's it. But Yeah, it, it's tough. I know what they're trying to do because if yeah. you look here in the 90s when we were racing, you remember how it used to be really dusty? Dusty. Or it would, be, it would get hard packed and they'd water it and then it was yeah. a mess. So, like, if you're trying to take care of the fans, it's I better know. this way. It's true. But the racing, like you said, it sucks. There's practices where it's like, is this mud. a mud race? I mean, it's what are we mudder. doing? Yeah. And then mud. it gets like one mucky rut uh -huh. if you get out of it you literally could get stuck i mean it's crazy yeah so i i enjoyed the tracks and uh, and the whole team they were great uh the canadian guys were uh, they were always awesome and took care of me yeah well you so you did a couple of seasons on a 450 in supercross oh three and oh five or four did you like that better well, how did you like the 450 in supercross uh by that time it you had a lot of guys riding it at that time. Um, once I got the hang of it, I liked it. At times, it felt like a handful yeah. in the whoops. But in 04, um, my second year with Moto Triple X, and Moto Triple X, it, it was no salary, but hey, we're going to take care of everything, and we're going to get the best bike we can get for you. We'll test whatever you need. And uh, and I had really good like Honda bonuses and yeah. uh, all that, and but I had this mechanic, uh, Ray Johnson. You hmm. remember him? Uh -uh. He came down from Canada, Canadian. Uh, Alan Brown at Mo Triple X brought him down. And, hey, I, you know, I, I got this mechanic. He's gonna come down to your house. Okay, cool. He he shows up to my front door, suitcase, 
in a toolbox. Hey, uh, I'm Ray. I, okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, come on in. Right on. I'm Damon. Yeah. Good to meet you. Yeah. And he used to be, of course, uh, an old fan of mine or whatever. He was a little bit younger, and he uh, he had nowhere to stay. He literally drove his minivan to my house, and he was just living at my house, which it worked out great. Yeah. Now, this guy is going practicing with me. He's prepping my practice bikes. We're going testing, um, helping me train, and he kind of watched my whole career and uh, with him, it was all about the start. And he changed after all my years of racing. He's like, man, no one cares if you started in 15th and you worked up to, to fifth. Who saw you? Who cares? Yeah, you might feel good about that. But what if you whole shot, you lead a lap then you get passed and you're running second or third. Now you're in fourth. And by the time everything spreads out and you end up fifth, you're a hero. Huffy had a good ride today. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, that makes sense. The sponsors are stoked. You're on camera. You're running up front. So I always knew I had endurance. So with him, all we did was start three laps, start three laps. And even that, you do. 10 of those and dude, you're, you're done yeah. uh, then with the intensity and, and everything. But we worked on starts and Kyle Lewis was a good starter. I learned a couple of techniques from him and he had that, that Honda 450 dialed on, on the starts. And I might be the only guy in Supercross history. You're like, what's he going to say? That had my mechanic running around the Supercross track while I'm racing, cheering me on, like in different bull turns. <laughs> this happened, uh, one of the Anaheims in 04, I hole shotted, and uh, I ended up fourth that, that night, and great result. Um, but Ray, I would see him, like where the mechanics area was, I would not only get the pit board, but he would go over here when I'm coming down the rhythm section. And then he would come back around the around the starting, well, there's, there's starting gate into this bull turn. There's Ray. He's all fired up, cheering me on, and it had me going, man. And uh, I think we had three top fives, which at that time in 04 on a privateer bike uh, is a good result. Yeah, it was great. But uh, then he actually went to Canada with me and uh, worked for me, for me uh, in 04 up there. Is he down here now? What's he doing? He... He went to Yamaha. He was at Factory Yamaha for a little bit, and I, I don't know. Oh. I'm not sure where he is, but thank you, Ray. You're awesome. We appreciate your enthusiasm, Ray. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, okay, so that was your last. That was 05 or 04? That was 04. So then 05 still with Moto Triple X, or what'd you do? So 05 was actually ECC. Um, I remember that. Honda. They had a pretty good team. So basically, I, I uh, you know, they paid me a salary. You know, I went for the salary. I felt like, okay, I just had three top fives and I was top privateer and, um, and I'm just riding for free, you know. So uh, they had a, a pretty good salary that came with their deal. And it was basically the same package bike, uh, same type of bolt-on. Yeah. Uh, parts and uh, 
Um, it started okay. I had a third when they had like one of the first couple rounds up in Canada, Toronto maybe. I had a third. Okay. And then after that, it was just kind of top ten. Yeah. Top tens, you know. Um, and then did you go back to Canada for Went summer? Went back to Canada uh, in 05, but rode the 450 and uh, did pretty well. JSR won again. And at the final round, uh, I kind of had a feeling in o- at the end of 05, I whole-shotted Vegas, my last ever Supercross, I whole-shotted. And at that time, I kind of already felt like this could be my last Supercross. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell anyone. Uh, but it was cool to whole shot and actually come down the long straightaway into the stadium. And uh, so inside, I kind of felt like that might have been it. And then, yeah, the last race in Canada, um, I told him, yeah, I think I think this is it. Hmm. Was that a tough call to make or did you kind of, or you had kind of peace um, with it? At that, or we had a, what's well, the trip was in 05, our, our first boy was born and he was born on the 20th I, I associate everything I'm a numbers guy uh, everything is like if I need to remember something it's like oh um, I need to be there the combination is you know uh, 42 uh, 10 so I think oh Brian Swank Larry Ward yeah like that's how I remember things yeah. and so he was born on the 20th which I thought was really cool and when he was born in June, I pretty much raced that whole summer. I wouldn't even ride during the week. Is that right? You're just hanging out with I, him. I knew this is it, and I had still had great results. Yeah. But I would ride a little bit, but not like the training and the effort I put into it. And yeah. I would show up relaxed and like kind of excited to race. And but I was feeling like that last year in Supercross, it's a grueling schedule. So. I felt like my body was not recovering from week to week from the travel, the racing, maybe a little minor injury or tweak to by the time I pack my bags and get out there again to the airport and travel again. And after 9-11, you know, travel got tough. Um, I I got to a point where I would dread kind of having to wake up and go through the whole process of driving oh, in traffic, yeah, waiting know. in lines, parking the car, waiting to get on the plane, checking in my – that whole deal It's a burnt, grind. Yeah, it's burnt. such a grind. Yeah. It, and like you said, after 01, it just became – Yeah. I, I wish awful. I would have kept a, a log of all – just the crazy crap that has happened on an airplane or that I've seen or – <laughs> emergency landings or what this guy's trying to open the door to this guy's smoking a cigarette. I, I mean, just you name it. I've seen yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you fly you ne- enough. There's you enough. never, yeah. You never have a weekend where, Oh, my flights were on time. My rental car was actually boom. There it is. Hotel. Oh, a nice hotel. I had no one above me or and it never happens. Oh does not happen. How many times did you get put next to the elevator shaft and all night long you hear, ooh, oh, yeah. ding. <laughs> that I, happened to me so many I've, times, man. I've done it all. Been through it all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Brutal. So when did you make the call? After after that race in Canada? Were you like, that's after it? After that race in Canada, yeah, in 05. And, and that was when, uh, yeah, uh, I actually... 
I signed up for EMT school shortly after and went through went through that. Um, and in the meantime, I was doing some some private writing lessons and coaching, and uh, and I would do all my lessons the way I did it. I rode with the person, yeah. followed them, see their lines, able to demonstrate. I I still think it's the way to do it. Just being able to demonstrate or show them, hey, this uh, is how it's supposed to or, look, or or yeah. follow me. Yeah, try this line, or you know, just their lines on the track. It's like I can take a guy without doing anything with his technique, but changes line so he actually carries a little more speed instead of going down the middle, turn, down the middle, turn. Yeah. Let's get a little flow and drifting and just carry a little more momentum and you're gonna drop your lap times. Yeah. So I enjoyed that and I found myself uh, still riding like three or four times a week, doing like, you know, a lesson one Here or two there, a day. Yeah. So. And that kind of led me into my buddy Todd saying, you need to do enduro cross. And I've already been away for like a year. Um, so so you were thinking about the fire thing early on. At that point. Was yes. that from talking to Mike or how'd you get into that? I, I think so. Yeah. You know, I always looked up to Mike and I kind of saw what he was doing. And I thought about staying in the industry or doing something, but... I've been around too many guys that, you know, oh, they're working at AXO and now they're at O'Neill or oh, now they're at Fox and Troy Lee and, or you know what I mean? Yeah, or they're yeah. still traveling to all the races and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. I didn't want to travel. And uh, a lot of, it's a great job for if you're younger, no yeah. kids and so you want to be involved yeah. and out there and uh, go for it. But yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. So, um, I want to ask you this. This is a little off topic, but you're talking about doing coaching because there's something I stole from you. And I don't even know if you realize you did this intentionally or it was just what you did. When you would get to a track, um, like a Glen Helen on a Thursday, mm -hmm. you would stand up for like two laps, just slow speed, and you'd stand the whole track. Did you do that intentionally as, like, as a warm-up? Because um, I do that now. Like I picked that technique up. I say ride the first lap and never sit down. Mm-hmm. Like, let your bike warm up, look at the track, let your posterior well, chain get warmed up. Then the second lap, you can sit a little bit, but still try to stand as much as you can, a little quicker. And by two laps, you're warm. That's your true. Your bike's warm, and then and then go. Um, I think I was probably doing that because, yeah, just visually to, to see an end warm up, but probably because my body was hurting or my my <laughs> butt was sore or bruised or or my back or something and just, right. okay. just just a warm up so exactly i it, still teach that i yeah. think it's a great it's a technique. great drill yeah. absolutely to to be able to to stand and just you know working the bike under you and where your knees are and you know balance and all that it's a great tool yeah um so tell me about the sendero cross thing cuz you ended up being great at that I loved it. Yeah, it was good. It, it actually, it's almost like a little bit of supercross and trials riding. And I did a bunch of trial stuff back in the day. Um, but it's tight and you need to come out fast like in supercross yeah. with some of that technique of trials riding. And the long legs help there. That too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Todd, you know Big Air Todd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he, he's like, all you need is a stock RM250. I'm like, okay. And I think I 
Dirt Bike Magazine had some test bike or whatever they, they let me borrow and put a skid plate on it and some hand guards and maybe a pipe and silencer. And we, we went to Denver was the first one. Okay. And uh, I got third. And well, did somebody have a uh, like a practice track around here? What yeah, were you doing? Um, a guy I became good buddies with, uh, Kyle Redman. He's done okay. uh, Erzberg and a lot of hard enduros and did enduro cross for years. Uh, great trials rider. So he had a track uh, just on his property. He lived in Lake Isabella. It's oh, up by Santa Barbara? Kind of. If you go like Castake Lake, Castake. Oh, okay. But kind of way back in the canyon. Okay. It would be in between Gorman and like Palmdale. Okay, gotcha. And he had a track and we would just go up and ride. And for me, uh, it was something new. And Endurocross is kind of getting a little popular. I know Rhino yeah. did a couple rounds and even like John Dowd and some guys were trying it. And when I watched it, I'm like, oh, this is insane. Like I was almost a little scared of it you know, the rocks and tractor tires. But when I rode it, I'm like, oh, I have all all the skills and, you know, wrap, you know, that clutch technique and yeah. keeping your balance. And the rocks it, it would be the toughest. But once I found a line through them, I stuck with it. And uh, I got third. Then the next round in Oklahoma, I got second. And then by the third round. Are you just driving back on your own doing these? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my buddy Todd and... I think he was going with like Jeff Aaron and uh, some guys, and yeah, just and you're beating legit dudes right away. Just oh, Cowie had a full factory yeah. <laughs> team, Destry and Ricky Dietrich and a couple guys and KTM and David Knight. David Knight was kind of like the big guy, and yeah. um, then by the third round, Kawasaki is like, "What are your plans?" And I'm like. I don't know, Endurocross, you know, I want to do more of them. And uh, so for the following year, I ended up second in the series. And for the following year, then I was with Cowie. Okay. 2008. On a, what were you riding? 250F Okay. Uh, for Endurocross. Then I rode the 450 for the work series. Okay. Oh, you did works too? Yeah. Gnarly. So, so that's something I wanted to ask you about was off-road. Because you've done a little bit. Did you ever do a GNCC? One. Which one? One in Florida. Palatka? I don't know. It okay. was brutal. I did one in Florida, and I'll never do another one again. No. I did one works race. I did Havasu. Okay. I'm probably never doing another one of those again. Um, they're gnarly. gnarly. And the gnarly. guys at the front, they're going so fast. Yeah. This is not a cruise around for two or three hours. No. This is pinning it. Yeah. It's very impressive, and they don't make nearly enough money. They don't get nearly the recognition nope. they deserve. So, yeah, Endurocross is, you know, it requires some, you had to be really technical, and that came pretty good. And I almost won the championship in 08, and Dietrich beat me. I, I actually dislocated and broke this finger. And by missing a race, I lost a championship, I think, by two or three points. Ah. And I won three three out of the six or three out of the five mm. and broken finger got Dang me. It. And yeah, so that was a bummer. But work, the work series, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I would, 
I would go to like sunrise, fill my gas tank up, start the timer, <laughs> and like ride it, ride an hour. Or and then uh, I finally did, um, I did two hours on a motocross track straight, pull in at a larger tank, refill at the hour mark, and do another hour on a motocross track. Then the guys are like, uh, if you can do two hours on a motocross track, you're gonna have no problem um, with kind of like some longer straightaways and some off-road and fire roads or whatever else they put in there. But they don't get enough respect. Guys like Destry and uh, Kirk Caselli, um, you know, even Bobby Bonds won the championship one year in the work series and blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, but um, I rode a lot with Kurt, and it's a totally different deal. It, Supercross, if I have a track and I'm racing you, you're not coming to my track and doing Supercross. Probably not. Yeah. Right? Right. Off-road. Ping, come out, dude. We're we're riding some trails. You know, we're gonna do this big loop and come back. We're gonna hit the enduro cross track. Okay, it totally inviting. Yeah. I mean, I'm a moto a moto supercross guy, and they took me in with open arms. Mm. Um, uh, and even Kurt, I wasn't even. I was. He's on a different team. I'm his rival. But hey, if over two and a half hours, if you beat me. <laughs> You deserve to beat me. Yeah. You know, it's not a 20-minute race and I got held up and tipped over and you whole-shotted and and led. It's two hours plus another lap, which could be another 20 minutes. Yeah. I I, I find that every time the the more money there is in a sport, the the less um, family vibe it has, right? Like Supermoto, when I did that, those were some of the best years of racing I had. I bet. Because whether it was Warty or... You know Burkhardt or Chris Fillmore, all these guys. We just we'd go to dinner after and hang mm-hmm. out. Um, I know the Arena Cross guys during Buddy's little run there. Buddy, Denny, Chad Pedersen, same thing. Really, they'd get into a fight on the track, and then all right, where are we going to yeah. dinner? You know? Yeah, it's it was just a, a very, smaller yeah, it's scale. A, it's a funner, just a a better vibe. Yeah. And so I imagine the off road community, totally. from what I've seen, it's that same way. Absolutely, and it going back to those races, and I really enjoyed uh, some of those works courses of having a little bit of motocross having some cool off-road stuff yeah they would throw in like a pro section but doing a pit stop and taking off uh, it was super cool um the work stuff was like two hours to me is kind of it yeah yeah the the extra hour at a gncc it goes from being wow that's brutal too yeah the frick am i doing out here like this uh, is too much and you can't compete with the electric start ktm back when i did it and Oh wait, I think it was. Um, you know, it took me a kick or two to get going, and by that time you're they're at the first turn. They're gone. <laughs> yeah. You got these. I was just lost. You know, you come out of the trees and you got forty-five ruts, and you're like, I don't know which one to go in, and you're just pinning it. And I think about two hours and fifteen minutes in, um, my rear shock just turned into a pogo stick, oh. and I was like. No problem. We'll That's call, cool. We'll call her a day. I'll pull her in now, <laughs> you know? I had oh, a, man. The tra- I don't know which one. I wish I knew which one you did because there, um, there was one further south in Florida. The one I did in Palatka. Um, oh, the Palmetto. Yes. Little the roots. Stumps and roots. And 
But it, there was a part of it where it was a big open field, and it kind of ran through there. And I came around the first lap, and it was flat, right? Next lap, there's this nice rut. And, you know, laps are 30 minutes or whatever they are. Yeah. I come around the third lap, and the rut was so deep, I get about halfway through it, and all of a sudden, my handlebars are <laughs> on the ground, and I'm stuck. <laughs> what? And I'm like, what? It yeah. was just great. What wow. happened? You know, the sand is just so soft and that many guys, and I spent 10 minutes trying to dig my bike out. Hmm. So and I'll only, never do only, another one of those did guys. One. Yeah, <laughs> only one. Yeah, work series, I, I, I mean, it was cool because there would be almost like one a month, and they're spread out, so... You're completely. It's like, it's like doing a triathlon or a marathon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you need you need almost a week to recover, then you slowly build up and get ready for you know two weeks out and that schedule at that time with having young kids, it was perfect. Yeah, oh that's cool. So you did that for what? A couple years? Three years? Two years with Cowie, oh uh, eight and oh uh, nine, and then I would have gone one more year, but um, uh, it's kind of economy and I, I think they mm. had to come up with more money for Villapoto and they mm. they just they dumped the whole off road team at that mm. time. Mm. So at what point did you do the ISDE? Because that that's another thing I wanna Uh that was one of my last things I did at the end of oh nine. Okay. And how did that come about? What were you riding? So whoever was oh. on the team I just saw Timmy Wiegan and he told me to ask you about something. He was on your team, right? Yeah. And he yeah. said something like, uh, oh, man, something happened. I gave he gave some motivation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wanted to quit or something, and I can't remember the story. But he told me to ask that, you That is gnarly. That's a gnarly event. So I forget how they do it. It's either, is it six guys go on the American team, <sighs> but only four scores count each day? I don't know, man. I, I don't Destry, have a whole lot of Ricky Dietrich, me, Kurt, Timmy Wiegand. Uh, I, I think there's a there's a sixth. And, uh, and you maybe, count your maybe, four best? Uh, yeah. yeah. Every day they count the four best. So uh, I was freaked out about the tire changing. Yeah. Where was it? Portugal. Okay. Portugal. So Timmy... Wigan and I, it, it, we're like freaked out on the tire changing. And uh, Kurt, who's a master, you know, I come up to the house, you know, we'll train and we'll we'll practice and I'll have wheels and all the tools and the stand and they use these tire irons like this long that, uh, and with the moose tires and. Oh, yeah, the moose is hard to change, even harder to change. Yeah. So I'm pretty proud I had zero penalties on when the, yeah, I think you get 15 minutes, but you still, that counts from the time you finish the route to when you get to your pits until you need to be in uh, what they call Park Ferme, mm -hmm. the, the impound area. So really for working on the bike, you got about 12 minutes, whatever you need to do each day. That's, that's nothing. That's like, I, I, do, I can't even barely do an air filter in 12 so, minutes. Um, I, four out of the six days, I did front and rear tire in that time and like an air filter in 12 minutes. Yeah. It's impressive. Pretty, pretty proud. So, and apparently I was, uh, I came in hot. I would come in hot. I threw the bike on the stand and like I'm grabbing tools and the bike's tipping off the stand and no one's allowed to touch the bike. They can hand you tools. They can have everything laid out and they can watch you, but they can't touch the bike. Can they talk to you? Like, yeah. Okay. 
So give you advice. I, I, I would come in like just so like every second I needed, you know, to yeah. do all this work. But Kurt was great. We trained. We did the tire. Oh, I think you're good, man. Just relax. Then I remember day one, they, they shipped the bikes over in a crate. And then we had to change the tires out to mooses. And it was like the first time the Cowie guys were watching me change a tire. And with the a brand new tire and fresh moose, I, 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 I couldn't even do one in like 20 minutes. And they're like, uh, Damon, uh, I thought you'd been really practicing. I'm like, yeah. But once I got those tires on and after riding all day, they come off really easy. They're warm. and They're yeah. warmed and the, the fresh tires will be completely just lubed up, ready to go. Um, and a lot of times we'd, we would use like, I think a moose has already been kind of broken in a little bit. So I didn't have a problem, but at first they're like, uh, they were sweating well, it. Yeah. Uh, so was I, but I've never ridden a bike for like six to seven hours in a day for six days in a row. It's a lot of seat time. And my, I had I guess it's tendonitis, mm -hmm. where my wrist got so swollen, you can hear my wrist move. Mm -hmm. And it was painful to ride. And they were injecting some stuff to like numb it. And I don't, but I did it. I struggled. I was on a 250F. The muffler is about that. It was so corked up and slow. And I think I had a few good times, but uh, good enough to finish within a certain percentage of the top guy in my class to where I, I got a gold. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and I think we ended up fourth overall. But Timmy, Timmy Wigan, he had some big cartwheel, and I think he hurt his finger or did something. And Oh, yeah, that's if, right. <laughs> if he quit, we were going to be out of it because okay. Dietrich blew his bike up on day one. Uh, something happened to another guy. So it was just the four Oh, that's us. right. He said you had arm pump or something, yeah, and you you're going to finish this. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm up there like this. You know, all, I'm walking around trying to drain my arms everywhere I go. And uh, Timmy, he's all banged up and bloody. And yeah, it was on. Uh, I don't know if we were uh, on one of the stages or whatever, but I, I'm, I just gave him some motivation. Come on, man. You can do it. We didn't come all the way over here for nothing. You know, you got to finish. Is anything broken? No. Yeah, it, it was it was great. One of those moments. And he got on and, and finished. Well, those are cool memories, man. But, uh, yeah, it, that was a trip. Just I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I did it. Would I do it again? No. No, no way. It, uh, <laughs> stressful. And it's just like waking up, putting your gear on. As soon as you roll out of bed, you put your gear on and, and – you take your gear off and yeah, at the end of the day, it's crazy. Just wiped out, I gotta yeah. imagine. But what are you, what are you eating all day? Um, along the way, when you pull in for little snacks, so you have to get there on your on your minute. So you have like this scrolling map and time. So it'd be like, if you leave at eight oh five, you got to be at the next checkpoint at nine oh seven, and you're just following arrows down these trails, and you're riding with some people. Uh, that part was cool. There was one section, I swear, it was, it was like five miles of whoops. So like day two and three, you run the same course. And by day three, it was like five miles 
of you got thousands of riders. Mm. It was so gnarly. You had to either keep your momentum or just roll. You couldn't, and, couldn't rah, skip across them. Yeah, yeah. You just go until your 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 back and arms are just dead. Then you just roll and roll. <laughs> <laughs> then you like then you like seat bounce and do a double. Then get a little momentum and start wheeling more. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. just brutal. But you got a medal. That's pretty rad. Yeah. Add to your trophy trophy case, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. Um. So at what po- what point you did some real estate, right? I've, I remember you, oh, you. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, was that, that after that, this? That was actually. That was actually like part of '06. Oh, okay. So when I finished in '05. Uh, when you were doing like classes and stuff, you also got yeah went and got your real I, estate I, license. Yeah, I got a real estate license, and I worked for. It's kind of a buddy. He bought one of our old homes, and he was a business broker and sold businesses. And uh, so there's a little more of a commission to be made when you sell a business, but it's not like regular residential real estate where, you know, you're selling homes all the time or yeah, it's five times a year. Yeah. yeah. So it didn't work out. It didn't work. I sold one business, and it was actually motorcycle-related. It was uh, like a place in Pasadena called like Motorcycle Goodies. And I closed the deal. My commission should have been like 20 or 25 grand on the deal. And as soon as it closed, the guy I worked for just closed up, filed bankruptcy, and just done. I, I don't know where he is. Yeah. So you never got paid? No. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. It was and then the, the real estate market burst in 08, so... Yeah, it it wasn't me. I I don't know enough at that time to really be selling and pitching business, and you know it, it yeah. wasn't a fit. And and what about like a, you did a Kona uh, Kona ice truck, like a it's a snow cone truck or something? Yeah, yeah, here, here. Do you still have that? No. So huh. that was kind of well when I got hired with LAPD, my salary was so low. I mean, luckily, racing was good to me, and I had money in the bank, but my LAPD money was, uh, I mean, every month we're just coming out of savings, coming out of savings to survive, and uh, my wife Heidi was like, you know, we need, uh, you know, we should buy a business or do something else, too, and um, from researching, like, it was like the number one franchise to have, at, or fastest growing franchise, and she found it and is like, I can do this. And I'm like, snow cones, really? We're doing <laughs> snow really cones. They're really good. I mean, I've had those. So we did it. We did it for six years. And uh, one time we had two trucks going and just kicking butt. But from working a 10 or 12 hour shift and when you're the business owner and she's like, we have two really big jobs tomorrow. So uh, you have to get up early. You go either smart and final would open at 5 a.m. to get like 25 bags of ice and restock the trucks and redo the flavors and keep it cleaned and stocked. Uh, and she did more of the business side, all the, the bookkeeping. And I would do a lot of the work too. When we had two trucks, I'd be like, all right, you could do this event, then you go to work after, and I'll, I got to do this one. And uh, then we had some employees, and her dad worked with us. He still worked for Kona. 
and I, Does he? with a different owner now. But I I was getting it was just like two full time jobs. Yeah. And no days off. And uh it was good. It was good while it lasted. She misses it. She was great at it. And we sold we sold right at the end of two thousand nineteen, which was perfect timing. Mm hmm. Um so how did you from after the ISDE thing, how did you get into LAPD? Like how did that all come about? Um, Just through Charlie? No, I didn't even know Charlie. Never okay. even heard his name or had clueless on LAPD or anything about police work. Um so that was the end of 09 and I got hired with LAPD in uh like March of 2011. Okay. So about 2 years. So What was going on at that time? I went back to doing some motocross lessons, a little bit of riding. Um, I I don't I don't know. <laughs> not, not so a yeah, it was getting to that point where okay, something needs a I I need to find something. Then we were having dinner, and one of my wife's good friends, her husband, who's now an LAPD sergeant, he was a uh, just a detective at the time. He's like, LAPD, they're always hiring. And I'm like, there's no way. There is no way. And then at some track, I met uh, this guy, Rob Cosner, who's like oh, yeah. Charlie's yep. good buddy. And Rob's awesome. And uh, a couple firemen were like, oh, yeah, I talked to Rob. And, um, and then I have another buddy on the job, James York. He He did some road racing and. He's, he was a motor cop at the time, and Rob Rob was a motor cop. So um, Rob set me up with a ride-along, uh, and I, di I did that, and I rode up in the helicopter, and I was like, oh, I could do this, you know, and that ultimately that's kind of where I want to end up. That would be really cool. So I started the process, and these guys kind of helped me, you know, hey, man, you know, if – yeah, I had to literally like brush up on my penmanship and, you know, it all it starts with three essay questions. So they want to make sure you can write, Report. you know, complete yeah. sentences and everything is capital letters printed out in pencil. And, uh, you know, you can form sentences and have a, you know, a conclusion and, a, a you know entry sentence and you know just basic stuff right mm -hmm. and some of the questions were one of the questions like you know you know when were you a leader in life or everything i had was referring back to like motocross and i was under this type of pressure and i performed and i and that's what they're looking for yeah they're not gonna hire a guy and give him a gun with zero life experience and uh so uh, this guy tim's like you're exactly what they're looking for and I'm like, I am? <laughs> really? Skinny white guy, LAPD? And he's like, no, that's not how they see it. You got to sell, you know how to perform under pressure. You know how to remain calm. You have a, a, a very calm demeanor. You don't lose your patience. Financially, you're, you're sound. You have no criminal, criminal record. You've never done drugs. You know, that's, you're a family guy. Uh, that's what they're looking for. And... Um, so I went through the whole process and I, I would get called back for the next stage and it took about a year and a half. 
the whole background review was pretty thorough, really thorough. And all my references were, well, talk, I had this team manager at this team. It, it was like yeah. not your typical, you know, call, you know, Jim over at uh, Jiffy Lube or whatever. Yeah. yeah so it, it just worked out. And one thing led to another. And I got to tell you, deep down inside, I was like, I really didn't want to do it, but I would look at the big picture and where the career can take you and where you can be and the pension and medical benefits. I was looking at all that rather than, you know, I've always just wanted to be a cop. You know, that's what yeah. a lot of guys go in with. I was looking at being older and with the family and where I want to be in 20 years. It made more sense. Was Did the stability side of it appeal to you? Because for me, from all those years of racing and like just season to season, like, okay, I got to get good results. So I get a job. Like you're fighting for your job weekend after weekend, year after year. Yeah. You know, over a decade of that, I, w I just wanted some stability. You know what I mean? I didn't want to worry about how I was going to feed my family. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't want to sit in a desk. Nope. Um, you know, there was like all these things. And, and for me, fire ticked all those boxes. And, um, I, I just wonder if it was the same for you. I mean, it. I looked at all that, and it did because I I kind of like to focus on one thing and and do it well, and I know that's what I'm doing. Where instead of kind of floating around, I don't really like that feeling, and I didn't feel like coaching and stuff was a real career. It was more like a, a little side job, mm -hmm. kind of the way I did it. I I really didn't have the vision of taking it nationwide and, and still doing that kind of stuff. But so I liked that part of it. Yeah. Did you have to do a uh, polygraph? Yes. So not the department I'm working for didn't require that, but I, I tested with Torrance early on and uh, those are weird. Super weird. So I got told like, I would tell this story. I, I, uh, I got told, listen, you gotta be honest just be totally honest because mm -hmm. they're going to see any uptick and whatever. And if you, you know, even if you think you were honest and then when they ask you again, you think of something like they're going to see it. Yeah. So I kind of had myself spun up a little bit <laughs> beforehand. And this guy was a dick. The guy doing the polygraph, just a dick. And, uh, or maybe this was the way they do it. I don't know. But he, he asked me a question, um, all these questions about cheating on tests. Like, did you ever cheat on a test in school? And I'm like, I'm sure I mean, how do you answer that, right? Like, I'm yeah. sure I did. Yeah. But he's like, well, tell me, what was the date, what time, who, who are you sitting next to? Like, he wanted all these details. Oh, I'm like, wow. dude, I don't know. And one of the questions was, tell me the last time you got into a car with someone you knew was drinking. How many times have you done that? And mm -hmm. when was the last time you did that? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm thinking, you know, racing days, like, you know, I don't want to name any names. When I would get hurt, we'd definitely do some partying around Canyon Lake. And yeah. I remember these times getting in and going, man, I hope this guy gets us home. Some bad decisions I made, right, younger. But then right as I'm finishing up my answer, it my, pops into my head. When I was a kid, my dad used to drink beers, like, going to and from the track all the time. Mm -hmm. All the time. That was like, I was, my main job was to hand him beers while we were driving home. And so... <laughs> I'm like, I got to tell him. So I asked him, I said, now, does this include like even when I'm a kid? And he just repeats the question, you know, won't give me anything. Right. So I'm like, probably several thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> Honesty, that's great. 
right? I said, when I was a kid, you know, and I explained it, but he didn't even respond to my yeah. Like, yeah. Ex- explanation. It was just the answer several thousand times, you know. <laughs> Uh, for me, my... I didn't get hired with uh, Torrance. Okay. <laughs> my polygraph was only yes or no answers. Oh, really? And they, okay. they asked them, they went over the, like the same dozen questions twice. And it was, um, I had like sensors in my toes, on your fingers, and even the arm. Wasn't there something under the seat uh, The too? seat. Yeah, I don't remember what that was. And doing. I was just told by guys, pick a spot on the wall and just stare at it. And it was all yes and no, and, and that was it. But it was a trip. I had no idea if I, well, apparently I, I passed, but. They uh, don't give you any feedback or like. No. Yeah. My, uh, my background investigator had a really hard time with uh, believing that I've never smoked marijuana. And he's like, you're a motorcycle rider. How have you never smoked marijuana? And I'm like, never have. I've never done any drugs. And he had the hardest time, and he kept on coming back. <laughs> so with LAPD, and it's probably similar elsewhere, if you said, yeah, you know, it was February 20th is when I rode in a car and someone was smoking marijuana or driving drunk, you better come back and say it was February 20th when that happened because, oh, it was like February 5th. Well, now you're lying. Yeah. You get caught up. So. It was always, if you, they also had a hard time with, have you ever taken any prescription drugs that weren't prescribed to you? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. When, where, what was it? How many, how many times? So then it's like, uh, well, I hurt my knee and my wife, after a pregnancy, she had some Vicodin and, I, I, you know, I just had to stick with that story and like, Write it down. This is when. This is when I did it. This is what it was. And uh, yeah, it was a trip. They'll pick you apart on any discrepancy, yeah, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. What was what was the hardest part of like the whole process of getting hired for you? Like you said in the in the academy, there was a couple of moments where you're like, man. Uh, the actual hiring part, it was just uh, a lot of waiting. You know, waiting. Then you get called back. Or, okay, you need to come in and do, you know physical test or the, you know, now you need, you know, get your eyes checked and your your hearing. And it's just a bunch of, just the steps. But just getting through the background investigation, I, I think it's less than 1% that actually will even get through. Is that you right? Know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, especially for that job. You Filling gotta... out the, the packet was like 30 pages yeah. long of just so many details. That took yeah. weeks just to do that. Yeah. Um, and what's your, so you're a, a motor cop there. What, where do you say you want to end up in a helicopter? Uh, eventually. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I have no desire to, uh, like promote up elsewhere. Uh, we have a lot of freedom being on the motorcycle now and, uh, it's kind of all I can handle and it's kind of what I'm best at yeah. really. And where I feel more, most comfortable. Um, the Academy was horrible, you know, uh, I just felt like a fish out of water, like I didn't belong or. It was weird, but I got through it. And then being on probation was was even probably worse. Mm-hmm. It you know you come out of the academy and they teach you, you know, when you're making an arrest, it's like you know there's the suspect and uh, you know 
get your hands up, you know, spread your fingers, slowly turn around, spread your, you give them all these 10 different commands. Then my first day on the job, you know, all right, this is our, you know, our, you know, you're just lost and what am I doing? And all right, this is our guy, you know, go hook him up. And I'm like, put your hands up, you know, spread your fingers slowly. And my training officer smacks me on my back and just go grab him and hook him up. This isn't the academy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> then and, why'd you train me that uh, way? So yeah. the academy is very sterile. It's all yeah. scenarios and... uh but on when you're out in the field, it is totally different. Mm -hmm. It is a trip. I, I feel, uh, you know, what I have to do or what, what, what I'm aware of or what I see and aware of my surroundings. And I feel like I'm a, a better person now and gone through m more things. But uh, it's, um, I also feel like I'm two different people. I'm, I still feel like I'm a racer. And, but three to four times a week, I put on a different suit. <laughs> you, you play a cop. <laughs> yeah. And what's the trip yeah. is when I get ready and go to work, I do it exactly like how I, I put on riding gear. Yeah. It would be. This sock first. Yeah, this exactly. Yeah. I, I wear, I still wear my knee brace socks. So it's cold. You're either, you're cold in the winter and you're hot in the summer oh, on yeah. a bike. So I wear my knee brace socks, but I'll have them pulled down. So my day starts off kind of warm. Then at night, I'll pull them up here with my, you know, have, you know. <laughs> so I'm still wearing my knee brace socks, and I still put my boot on left one, then my right one, and put it on my bulletproof vest instead of a chest protector and throwing a helmet on. It's funny, but yeah. It's a trip, but I it took me. So after probation, man, the patrol stuff, I give so much credit to patrol coppers that do it day in and day out for years and years and years. A lot of them are really good at what they do. And if you were to hear the radio where I work, it is nonstop. Stolen vehicle, robbery in progress, kidnapping attempt, you know, uh, just shooting, and, you know, shots fired. This It is nonstop. Mm -hmm. And... You know, 99.9% .9 of the time, these guys, they go in, they squash it, they do what they need to do, they take the guy in custody without incident. It's it's a trip, but I learned right away, like, this is not for me. So I went to the traffic division where I'm handling mainly traffic accidents and some ticket writing and, you know, traffic fatalities or a drunk driver and that kind of stuff. A, a collision where cars crash and where they end up or... You know, who's at fault? That all made more sense to me. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, reconstruct the accident and, and do a detailed di diagram, and I like that part of it. But uh, when I heard you were getting into uh, law enforcement, I thought, man, he, I feel like to be a cop, you need to be very good with confrontation. Mm -hmm. And, like, I could never do it. Like, I'm not a yeah. confrontational guy. No, I'm, I'm not really either. Uh, so that's why it kind of steered you to traffic more, huh? Like, something absolutely. you don't have to be... like. On when I was in patrol, it I looked at it almost as like acting, like you have to come out and be that guy and and uh, with confidence mm -hmm. to have some command presence and uh, and own it. But uh, 
I was completely out of water. Mm. Where traffic, um, I worked at first in the central, like downtown area, the surrounding areas, and uh, a lot of times people are, they're they're happy to see you, like oh thank you, yeah, you know this happened, and you, you deal with a lot of a holes occasionally, but a lot of people with you know uh, unlicensed, no insurance, and hit and runs, a lot of hit and runs, um, and yeah, uh, there was a there was a time because um, through probation, I mean, I was miserable. I I would you know. Uh, you get a lot of court because you're arresting people. You're always in criminal court. Um, I mean, I would go days where working all night, what they call morning watch, and getting home at, or not even getting home, getting off at 7 a.m., going to court, 8 o'clock, then you're at court till noon, then you're going back to work at, you know, 6 p.m., and doing mm. that day after day is brutal. And, no, I, I, I was going downhill uh, with... Uh, you know, pri- drinking, drinking, and just being miserable, and not, not cycling or working out or doing anything, mm. and um, my wife saw it, and uh, she was really great and supported me, and would be like, you know, just, you know, relax, you know, I got this, uh, but I was at a point where, and drinking will do this. I, I, I didn't. I wasn't happy at home, <clears throat> and I wasn't happy at work. Mm-hmm. And then I went to work one day, and uh, I was working the day shift at the traffic division. I was kind of new there, and it happens a lot where you show up, and the other three guys all called in sick, and you're like the only guy, and you're like, what the heck? You know, It happens all the time. There's not enough of us, mm-hmm. and we don't have any mandatory like staffing or anything like that. If, if you call in sick, you're sick. You're mm-hmm. not replaced. And my first call, it's like 7 in the morning, like three-vehicle accident, multiple people in every single car, uh, cars that need to be impounded, two drivers, no licenses. Uh, It's a lot of information to take down every party's info, uh, every passenger, where they're seated, did they have their seatbelt on, any airbags deployed, getting tow, filling out the impound reports, uh, writing tickets out for the people without licenses and insurance, and um, I got I got overwhelmed. And after that call of doing everything myself, I, I went back to the watch commander and it said, uh, "I'm out of here. I'm taking off." And he's like, "You know," and they never saw that side of me before. And they're like, uh, "Are are you are you sick? You know what's going on?" And I'm like, "I don't I don't feel good, man." I'm out of here. And in my mind, I, I thought I quit. I, I took off. And at that at time, I was commuting on a, a street bike. And uh, I, I rode home. And my wife had no idea I was coming home. But as I'm going down the 5 South, the sun was still really low in the sky. And as I'm, I couldn't see. Even, you know, I think I took off and even with sunglasses on or whatever I had, I could not see. As I'm going down the freeway, just, it was really weird. And uh, I I pretty much just lost my shit. Just completely full breakdown. 
and uh, I, you know, kept it on two wheels, and uh, I don't know. I was really suffering going through a dark time. Then as I continued on, just like squinting and just looking at the white lines and um, for whatever reason, um, I just felt like all the darkness and doom and everything I had in me, like, pull out of me. And I, I, I get home, and I, I come in through the garage, and my wife's in the kitchen, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, what are you doing home? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I feel like I have to be home right now. And... Uh, I don't know if it was just I was happy to to be home or I. It just felt like some darkness got pulled out of me. Then we that night, I I just felt. I felt like I almost just lost it all, and then I was like really grateful for my my family and to, to just be there. And I think I had a couple of days off at that point now and. Um, so since since that point, my, my attitude's been a little better, a little better. I quit drinking, uh, and shortly after that, I got a mountain bike. And my 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 old buddy Tom, uh, he's a doctor and sees a lot of dark things as well. We would cycle a lot and just talk about things. He's an ER doctor, um, and our schedules would oftentimes like match up. And I was, I mean, I was pretty much two hundred pounds. Uh, oh, just, really? just not doing good at yeah, all. Yeah. And my body would hurt. I would wake up and go down the steps, the stairs and take one at a time, like my ankles and knees. And uh, yeah. So everything just turned around with. Do you think that, that was point. like just the stress of probation, the stress of the academy shit you see on, on the calls, you know, like you got to be able to download that stuff to somebody or right? oh, it yeah. stacks up on you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, That's weird the way you said, like, it just sort of left you, you know? I f yeah, I felt it. I, it's, you know, something, uh, a little spiritual awakening feeling type thing. But uh, I've had a better better attitude, and I've been pretty pretty good, you know, the last, I don't know how many years it's been now. But, uh, um I feel like once I really started just kind of being myself too at work and going to the motorcycle at work, I think made me, once I got through that whole training stage of being on the bike, which was kind of funny, but uh, I, I, I feel like I'm more of myself and okay. that makes it better. Hey, that's a hard job, man. Like uh, I was, yeah. that my next question was like, you've had to have seen some huh. crazy stuff down in, in LA where you're working. I mean, I, when I work in San Bernardino city, it's, it's like a miniature version of LA, right? I mm -hmm. mean, it's terrible. And, uh, the stuff I see there, I come home and I mean, I, I just, I download it, whether it's my father-in-law or another coworker who's worked in the fire service, like somebody that understands yeah. and can relate and has seen stuff like that. But it's like, I got to get it out or, I mean, it starts to just like, um, yeah. I start to feel like this pressure inside me. You know what I mean? Like I have to be able to vent it out. And riding is a big thing for me. I still, that's, that's like therapy been, for me. That's been huge. And I, I love golf, but sometimes 
you finish golfing and you feel worse than when you showed up. So <laughs> I always do, <laughs> but I'm so shooting 110. My, so <laughs> my my best day would be golf in the morning, and then mountain bike in the afternoon. And then you're like, ah, I feel good. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, my wife is great. She'll sometimes she'll say, you know, hey, how was today? And sometimes I'm like, I, I don't want to talk about it. Hmm. Okay. Um, there are times I I feel like telling her and. But um, so she's pretty good at reading me. And but I have to what I realize now, I have to get out and ride my my e-bike or, you know, spend, a, you know, a few hours at the golf course. And I, I'll just trip out like the morning dew on the grass and the fog lifting and like you know, just appreciating those moments yeah. and feeling that that's, um, I have to, and, and even my, my wife is like, she realized how, how good it is for me to do those kind of things and how necessary, because I went a couple years without doing anything and I went downhill. Yeah. It happens fast. Yeah. Oh, that's nuts, nuts. What, uh, what would be the craziest call you think you've seen? Hmm. Well, we had one not too long ago. Uh, I'm not surprised by much, but I mean, on probation and patrol, you're seeing stab victims and shooting victims laying on the ground. And I've been to officer involved shootings. I've never been involved or anything, but uh, with that kind of stuff, but that's really eye opening uh, seeing that kind of stuff for the first time or dealing with a death investigation. And, you know, my train officer would be like, well, roll them over. You got to check for, you know, any crime or whatever and handling uh, it was really weird but the traffic side you see some bad stuff yeah. what speeding or drunk driving can do but we, um this was maybe a few months ago um so apparently there there's two cars one has like four i don't know they're gangsters or what and the other car had three or four in it as well. And they're chasing one another. And the lead car blows through a stop sign on a major street and basically T-bones a car coming southbound down Vermont. Well, the car coming southbound gets T-boned and goes across into traffic. Boom, head on with another car going up northbound Vermont. You know, both cars doing 40 to 50. So the driver going northbound, he's he's done, uh, fa fatal. Passenger, broken femur. The other car going southbound, broken femur. The two gangsters, you know, crash into one another as well. They get out, start fighting. Some other people come out of the alleys or sidewalks or wherever are like getting involved. And meanwhile, our our sergeant happens to like hear the call come out and he kind of shows up first and it's just pure chaos. Mm -hmm. And he puts out a help call and we respond over there. Um, the lead car full of gangsters, they could jump back in the car and try to, try to take off when the other gangsters are in front of the car and runs a few guys over. Then they crash into a parked car. Then they get out and run. And now there's a perimeter going up and just, you got, a dead guy, broken femurs, smashed cars. Uh, the other carload of guys, like, 
they didn't, you know, one guy, they got like hit and not really like run over by tires, but bounce off the windshield and they kind of flee and the other car takes off. And so by the time we get there, we're kind of seeing all this unfolding, like, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Now, our sergeant's here, two guys on motorcycles and just pure chaos people just running everywhere then more patrol guys show up and i think they get one guy into custody so we get sent to go to the hospital to check on the victims of the original big car wreck and uh find out the one guy he's dead passenger broken femur we're getting all her info the other driver broken femur getting their info and so we're talking to the 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 girl that had the dead guy in the car are like you know hey you know sorry you know how did you know him or who is he to you and oh i don't even know him uh, what do you mean you don't even know him man you you know how it is you know i i don't know him so she's a prostitute, she's a prostitute. <laughs> you know some guy just picked it it's, you can't make this stuff up uh. all we all we can do is try to piece it together uh, another one of my favorite ones, quick story. We got a, via, a truck versus motorcycle. Well, we show up shortly after. No evidence of a traffic collision, but there's like four or five smashed cars. Uh, no motorcycle around. Then uh, there's a bunch of people out, and we go and walk up to them and ask if they saw anything. And, oh, yeah, we saw the the... They both crashed. They both ran the stop sign and crashed. Motorcycle guy goes down. Uh, the pickup truck goes to take off. So the motorcycle rider jumps in the back of the pickup. He takes off down the street, <laughs> smashing cars, comes to a stop. The guy jumps out of the truck, walks back to his bike, then he takes off. <laughs> uh, this yeah. is, and I, this is why I wanted you to tell some stories because, like, I don't yeah. know if people get just how weird. This is almost every day. I every know. day there's I... there's hit and runs. Half of our we're almost at a hundred traffic fatalities for the year, and almost half of them are all hit and runs. Yeah, they clean out a a ped or a transient and keep on going. That's how in San Bernardino it's the same way. Yeah. Every every traffic collision we get called out to. I mean, nine and a half out of ten. It's there's only one car there, and you're like, "Where's the other guy?" I don't know. He took off. Yeah, but uh, it's. Are you so? Are you enjoying it? I mean, or are you like, eh, it I try is to, what it I is. try to make the best of it. You know, right? I, I have a couple guys I work with that I, I like, and we get hooked up on our Bluetooths, and so it'd be like me and you riding around downtown on BMW, you know, twelve hundred RTs talking pointing out what we're seeing or you yeah. know seeing this do you guys do you guys patrol in tandem or ride in tandem always we're always paired up now okay. i yeah i don't a lot of guys will still go out alone and after this last couple of years they tell us just pair up yeah and if i don't have anyone to go with uh i'm not really i'm not really leaving the station or i'm gonna kind of pick and choose very carefully what i respond to mm -hmm. but um, I've been pretty lucky where there's always someone I'm kind of linking up with, but uh, so we we try to have fun and we're all on the same page. Um, you know, we can only show up and try to do what we can, and we're we're not going to save the city. 
there's just not enough of us. And uh, even patrol, patrol is a little bit more like the fire department now where they're just staying back at the station. They wait for a call, then they respond, you mm -hmm. know, and with ambushes and other stuff that go on. It, uh, it's been rough the last couple of years. And plus, you know, then the Lakers win and that's a disaster. Then the Dodgers win and that's a bigger disaster. And um, I don't know. I don't. Well, I mean, what the heck, man? Like, how do you riot over good news? You know, something good like that. I don't, I don't, I just, I don't understand. It, you know, every sometimes. single day, there are probably hundreds of great things that officers are doing and going above and beyond. Uh, we hopped, we got flagged down yesterday before we even left the station. Yeah, this guy's following me. I, I don't know. He's, all right, hey, calm down, calm down. And uh, where is he now? I don't know. And uh, can you follow, can you try me, you know, take me? All right, yeah. All right, go ahead. We'll follow you. It, just little things. We're, those kind of things are happening every single day, uh, but you know it's you don't, the, you don't see that on the news though. No, eh, it's not that exciting, I guess. But uh, uh, but it's led, you know, it's led, the, and, and the news is a thousand percent to blame for this. This yeah. anti-cop sentiment that's been dominant the last couple of years, uh, and, and you know. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you how that that's made. You kind of just explained it a little bit. It's but been like, rough. We almost moved to Texas a couple years ago because of it and our daughter needed the surgery and we kind of the timing wasn't right and but we were really considering it um but now I'm I'm like over the 10 year mark and I'm like kind of nine and a half more years to go it's tough I mean we're almost like week by week mm. and I just take work one day at a time uh it's frustrating. A lot of the upper command with LAPD, they haven't actually worked in the field in decades or even sometimes longer. And they're calling the shots when all the guys who are masters at everything on the streets and really know their tactics and patrol, you know, all their training and experience, they're just doing what they're told they don't have a voice in the way things yeah. are operating yeah yeah so that part's frustrating at times like when the dodgers won um they let it build up to such a point where they've already flooded into downtown they're already looting they're already breaking windows or burning cars throwing trash cans throwing fireworks at us and then okay now we better do something about it and then we come through and and push them out and they love throwing the motors in there. You know, oh, you guys are on motors. You guys are intimidating. And uh, we have no... Intimidating? We have no coverage. No, no, we have no protection. Yeah. And a lot of things have changed since then. But uh, um, it's like, okay, why not block off every exit to the freeway into downtown prior? Why not put up barricades? Why not flush all these people out on the freeways and get them out of here? But uh, I'm not sure. It, it, it's well, frustrating, it's, but it's because it, it, any 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 use of force at all, yeah, or use of I don't even know what the right word is here, dispersal or whatever. People get pissed, and then it becomes confrontational, yeah. and everything's about de-escalate, like you said. It is. We don't want to trigger anybody, so let's it's just true. stand back. It's it's to the point where, uh, hey guys, don't don't put on your helmets yet, you know, until things get bad, then put them on because you. We just we're just standing down. You don't want to look intimidating right now, or the guys on a skirmish line, uh, 
you know, with their batons, when they're trying to push people out of an area because it's being burnt down, it used to be if you're right there and you're in my face, you can give them a little jab, the tip of that baton, and it's going to hurt. Yep. Now, use your hand. Leave the area. Just little things like that where I get it. I mean, there's – because when they take that photo of me tapping you and that's all they see and you're an older grandma or whatever – it doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of things have changed. A lot of things for the better. I get it. Uh, now we're we're more trained and professional than ever. Uh, just because one bad cop really screws up or a couple things happen nationwide, we we feel it. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I dare you to find an industry where there aren't assholes yeah. doing things wrong, right? And, and it, unfortunately, they slip through in, in your profession, Emma. Yeah. And the news has ta- will take those one those isolated incidents mm-hmm. and shove this narrative that this is what law enforcement's doing now. And it's just so it's, not It's accurate. not true. Um, we are not, we're not perfect. There's, we, there's no way to be perfect. Every tactical situation, everything is, uh, you know, the, they might say, oh, well, why don't they just shoot them in the leg or, Uh, Well, why, you know, you have a a professional golfer that can't even make a three-foot putt when there's pressure, or the basketball guy can't even make a free throw Mm -hmm. under that kind of pressure. Talking to you, Shaq. Now, now really (laughs) make it a life-and-death situation. Yeah. Aim for his ankle. (laughs) You know, we we don't shoot to kill. We shoot to stop. A lot of things have changed. Um, and there's been, there's been bad things has happened, but number one is, uh, comply. When a officer gives you a lawful command, comply, mm-hmm. you know, that, that is so huge. Um, but they don't respect us anymore and they've pushed it so far. It doesn't matter if I stop, uh, people for like just running through a stop sign because the people that kind of stop and roll, I don't even mess with the people that don't even stop at all. Well, that's a no brainer Yeah, and they will deny it. They will lie. Uh, now you're, you're stopping me because of my race or whatever it is. I run into that a lot. And, uh, it's like, I don't even know who is driving with your tinted windows and I'm just going after the violation. But, uh, Things like that, it it makes it easy to write that ticket because once you start lying and denying what you just did, what I'm trained sitting here watching, focusing on, and you're saying that you stopped, okay, here's your ticket. I have no problem writing that one, but uh, it's very tricky. It's very tricky, but every single week, not every week, but every month we have some sort of training, some sort of update. Um so that that is constant. We're constantly trying to get better, uh, but uh, I, I, you know, there's there's a there's this narrative that like certain people have to give their kids this speech about how to you know because they feel like they're going to be discriminated against by police. I've told my girls, my I got a daughter about to start driving here in less than a year, and I've said, listen, as I've gotten pulled over with her in the car speeding, 
And I say, I pull all the way over, music off, lights on in the car, all the windows down. And I said, you keep your hands right here. Yep. That alone is going to diffuse the situation so much because the cop's able to uh, come up absolutely. and go, all right, I got two kids in here. It's a family. I don't, have to, absolutely. I don't have to stress. And then it's just respectful. What do I do? Here, what do you need? Uh, you got it. And then if you're going to write me a ticket, you're going to write me a ticket. Yeah. Me arguing or whatever, it's not going to change it. It's like trying to argue with a ref at a soccer game. Mm-hmm. You're not going to change his call, right? So yeah. you uh, just just be respectful. You'll, you'll go uh, home. Absolutely. Maybe you get a ticket. Maybe you don't. When he when he asks you, hey, do you know why I'm pulling you over? You say, I was speeding. Yeah. How fast were you going? I, I was doing probably 80, 85. You know, you be honest. Honesty, it will shock me if I ever hear it on a traffic stop. Really? Uh, and that's the easiest way to get out of a ticket is be honest. Show that you're, you know, you're willing to listen or you understand why it's dangerous for what you're doing or whatever. And I have no problem giving a warning if I can see they, they clearly understand and, you know, yeah, yes, officer, no problem. But nine out of ten times is deny, lie, you know, I don't have to show you my lie, you know, just whatever. It's so, it's so difficult mm. at times. And I used to, I used to try to explain and prove my point and show tell them how it's not safe and educate them on the law and traffic laws and it's a waste of time <laughs> it's uh no license uh, no one, no insurance what yeah. i i've been on traffic stops with my my wife on the line and my phone i'm like hold on hold on i'm i'm you know pulling this guy over and so all right i'll i'll wait and hey sir i'm stopping you and i know you're on your cell phone, and also your car, your truck has no brake lights at all. You know, uh, you don't want to cause an accident. You have your license on you. Ah, oh, man, I, I just left the house. My wallet's at home. Uh, okay. Uh, do you have an ID? Anything? No, no, no. Uh, do you have registration? Oh man, I, I just, I just bought the truck. Okay. Uh, any paperwork on the truck? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like you bought it about nine months ago. Uh, what about insurance? No, I'm, I haven't got that yet. I, I mean, just, and I'm pretty easy. I want the traffic stop to go smooth, and I'll work with them. Like, okay, I have to write you for no license and no insurance. I'm going to cut you a break on the brake lights. I'll work with you on the registration. You know, you need a smog check. I, I try to work with them, but... It's tough, man. Look, dude, I <laughs> I couldn't do what you do. I, I yeah. appreciate you guys so much because I'd lose my shit on those people. I'd be like, what are you doing? I mean, mm-hmm. do you have your head completely up your ass, dude? You don't, I, I mean, a, a license, you don't have anything? You know what you need. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. <sighs> I couldn't do it, so I, I appreciate <laughs> you guys anyway. Um, is there anything down the road you see yourself doing? Maybe it's in the sport again or maybe it's not, something else. Hmm. No, the only thing I feel like I, I've missed out on is like off-road truck racing or, or something <laughs> like the rally car racing. But uh, that kind of stuff I, I love watching and a little envious of yeah what some of the guys are doing these days, you know. You but just need a rich friend. I guess that would be really cool. Um, but I don't know. Overall, uh, just, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty blessed overall with mm. what I've done and seen and where I've been and what I've 
have, yeah, you know? For sure. Um, if there was another career you could pick right now and go do it, what would it be? Hmm. Well, uh, well, I always like to think a professional golfer is like the ultimate dream job or a rock star, you know, <laughs> up on stage. But uh, even that's a grind. Even those guys are being pulled and but oh, yeah. uh, a lot of travel. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's too much travel. I don't golf. know. Honestly, like if I were to win the lottery, I would just have some toys and go to the desert, um, mountain bike and golf and do some trips and yeah. Uh, I but I don't have like oh I want to run a business and do I don't. I just want to want to have fun and, and yeah. enjoy myself. Enjoy your life. I yeah. love it. Um, how closely do you still watch moto? I watch uh, every pretty much every Supercross. A lot of it is just might just be like the highlight show on YouTube, whatever they mm. put up. Uh, I, I look forward to watching the races and look forward to, you know, seeing what the track looks like and what the guys are doing. Uh, motocross, I enjoy. I even follow... I've been pretty good about following MXGP and MotoGP and F1, all that stuff, mm. mainly on YouTube and just getting a quick highlight, and that's all I need nowadays. Yeah. But I, I think this coming year is going to be kind of interesting, a couple changes and excitement going on. Yeah, no, I know. I think we're going to have a, a pretty crazy battle with, with Eli and uh, Ferrandis and Kenny at, at a minimum. Yes. I mean, maybe there's some more guys, but I'm really yeah. curious to yeah. see how that plays out. I agree. Um, what are your thoughts on the riders and series? Like MXGP, for example, that this year was phenomenal to watch. Yes. I feel like they've definitely surpassed us in moto. Um, and I think that's just strange. I don't really get it completely. We have all these excuses like Supercross is the focus and da-da-da-da. But, yeah, well, it has been since the 80s. We still did 20 years of whipping mm -hmm. their ass. So, like, how did they get so much better and now we can't even hang? Uh, I'm not, I, I guess, what is their series, 18 rounds or something? Uh, uh, and just yeah. purely motocross. Mm -hmm. and I think it's big that they get a break because they have they like do. four months or whatever. of. Yeah, it's kind of spread out, which is cool. They can do that. Uh, Hurlings is just an animal. And Geyser and, uh, what is it, February? February, yeah. February. Uh, yeah, I mean, came down to the final moto, which is insane. Pretty, Pretty wild, cool. Yeah. But, yeah, Hurlings is just a – he's a beast. And he's a guy that comes back kind of injured and will still, like, go out and win the first moto. And when he had, like, a broken shoulder or something weird. But he uh, he's impressive and just a beast on the bike. Who, who's but, your guy here in the States? Well, Cooper Webb is another one. He's going to be in Cooper? that mix. Oh, yeah. for sure. Obviously, champ. It's hard to have, like, a guy right now being out of it for so long. There's no one out there that I used to race with yeah. or pull for. And uh, I used to, you know, when I stopped racing, I always kind of pulled for Wyndham. I like I like Kevin and his, his style. And um, Yeah, once Reed retired, us old guys had to, like, yeah. figure somebody else but out. But it, it was hard to, like, guys I I never even met or rode with. You know, either like a Dungey or a Villapoto, uh, um, impressed by their riding and what they accomplish. Now, I would I would probably say Kenny. Mm. 
I ran into him out on the San Clemente trails, mountain biking. And it was kind of funny. My son, I was going to videotape my son coming down the jump line, which he can do the whole thing now. And there's another guy up there talking with him. And then they come down together. And then they get to the bottom and I'm filming. I had no idea. It was, it was Roxon. Yeah. Then uh, he rides over and then I'm like, Kenny, Damon Huffman. And my, my boys are like, they, they kind of knew the name, but so it's cool. Kenny knew me yeah. and uh, he followed my son down and I got a little clip of it, but um, probably Kenny with what he's been through and yeah. his writing is crazy. It almost looks like because of his injuries, he's holding back a tad, which keeps him from doing what Cooper or Tomac used to do a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. but he's so good and just so clean and precise and I know he's giving it his all because even in my prime it might have looked a little smooth or I'm not trying but I'm trying yeah. it's all there is in there and that's just <laughs> the way it looks but uh like Wyndham but Kenny's the same way man just so yeah so good I'm but, pulling for him to win this year just yeah. because of what like you said what he's been through what what a cool story if he could just get just get one supercross championship. You know? I think so. I think I think he can he can do it, man. It's crazy. Well, we have kind of a last question we ask everybody. If you listen to the show, you probably know this. Sure. How do you want to be remembered in in the sport of motocross? Yeah, such it's a great question, and I love hearing the guys answer this question. But I think overall. Um, I feel like I'm I'm pretty much just a regular guy that was talented on a bike. Uh, I like being remembered for like, oh, he had cool style or I like, you know, he was always so smooth. That's cool. Uh, just to be remembered at this point is really cool and kind of yeah. be part of the, the topic. But uh, um, it's hard to say, like, I want to be remembered for my championships or, you know, it's. I'm a regular guy. Um, I like he kind of brought up. It's I've, I'm realizing now that where I was and where I am now, I'm probably someone to kind of look up to, kind of like your career as well with life after motocross. So if I can be remembered in that way and uh, that, and uh, of course, just you know having a wife and three great kids and a family guy. Uh, you got three kids? Three kids. Oh, I thought you had two. Two, two boys and a girl. Whew. Yeah. Are you done? Done having kids? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 16, our other boy just turned 15, and an 11-year-old girl. Okay. Cool. So we're busy, you know, basketball and soccer, and I think our daughter's doing some swimming right now, and yeah, yeah it's well, dude, all that stuff. I tell you, to me, you kind of have like two lives, your racing life, which there's not, you know, I, I talk about that list of guys who've won 250 Supercrosses or 450, just super short, you're on it, mm-hmm. two 125 Supercross titles, there's not a lot of guys that have won those, um, and you did it back-to-back in dominating fashion, you know, the ISDE medal, the US Open, your career was great. I know you wish you could have done maybe a little more on the 250 side, but... yeah. We talk about injuries more, and this, yep. this sport's brutal. It is. Um, the fact that you're, I mean, we both kind of, 
hobbled a little bit when we got <laughs> We're going to be stiff as but, we, yeah. But you're healthy, right? And then, like I said, to see somebody transition out and figure out what it is they're going to do, apply the same shit that got them success in racing and be successful in whatever that is. I love it, man. And, and you also have part of that component is the focus on your family. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that, that is your legacy, in my opinion. When you're dead and gone, are your kids going to remember you? Yeah. Are their kids yeah, going to remember it, who you were? Do you know what I'm saying? The record book's always there for this, and that's cool. But Exactly. Um, you're going to leave that's your imprint on humanity in the future by what you do with your kids and your family. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really respect that for you. Um, well, Not just the racing, but who, you, who you've become and what you've done after. So congrats, man. Yeah, thank you. And I, I think that's kind of the key, what I was best at racing and just picking apart little components that I can carry on and what I do now. And I think I'm finally figuring that out and what works for me. And uh, just those little cues that I've learned from racing with the way I buckle my helmet. And there's been times when I, I've, on my police bike, I reached up to check my goggle strap, <laughs> you know? like Make sure it's not like, what am no. I doing? <laughs> or I, I swear there's been times where I've, I've reached down to like turn the fuel on or, or whatever. That's really going back. But um, yeah, I still feel like uh, I'm, a, I'm a racer and the, the cop side is just uh, another person, yeah. but uh, I'm getting through it and trying to have fun with it and do the right thing. And it's been all good. Do you ride moto at all anymore? It's, you know what? It's been probably almost two years. Is that right? Since I've been on a bike. You miss it? I do. I, I mean, a guy like you who can get on and just go, you could go fast right away and just have fun. I think it so. shocks me that like you don't. Some guys don't. Johnny O doesn't ride anymore. Factory well, Phil doesn't ride anymore. You know, f- for me, the transition between the two careers and moving to San Clemente, there's really nowhere to ride yeah. than being focused on that early part of my this career. It just hasn't. Yeah, I kind of faded away. I did some of the fire police races. Mm-hmm. I did a uh, those for a couple years, but. I feel the itch. I, I still look like, you know, on the side of the road, like, ooh, that would be a cool <laughs> clip jump. jump. Yeah, or yeah. I still feel that. Yeah. And when I'm at work and we got to, like, measure off where the traffic collision occurred, the point of impact, you know, and how, how many feet from the curb and how many feet from this curb. and I You're like, that's a super cross triple, 65 exactly, feet. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, 70 feet. You know, then guys were measuring, oh, dude, that was a 73. I'm like, yeah, yeah, felt like that. You know, it's just, <laughs> that's how I think. But numbers, it's all racing related and yeah. that's my life. And I, that's just how, uh, you know, how I work and operate. And I think what works best for me. Well, I'm going to see if I can borrow a bike from Vital this winter when it rains for you. Let's go out to Retchy Canyon or Beaumont and have some fun. I would love to. I'm going to need boots because the last time I wore <laughs> boots, my Alpine stars literally were dis- disintegrating. I hear Axel has a really cool leather boot you could wear. Well, <laughs> you know, um, sounds good. I'm I'm down. Hey, thanks for coming on, dude. It's so good to catch up. And that go was really fun. You. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I love the show, and to finally get that call and come on, I was like looking forward to it. It was yeah. it was great. Stoked to have you. All right, stay tuned. We'll be back to wrap it up. I wanna be back. Like we're robbing a bank I wanna be mad 
All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, great to have Damon Huffman on. I've been chatting with him for about a year about having him on. And uh, if you were around during his era, kind of early 90s through the early 2000s, uh, you just recognize that tall, lanky style uh, and his smooth, just smooth precision riding. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, real difficult to race against because he didn't make any mistakes. Um, and, and kind of like I mentioned in the show, I just... I'm always very impressed by people who can thrive after racing. It's a very difficult transition, and um, Damon, Damon did a great thing and great job doing that and getting onto the LAPD. Uh, and then that job in itself, I, I've just got the utmost respect for law enforcement. And, um, you know, you can tell just by talking to him that there's, it's not an easy job. It's not, um, it's not something those guys get up and they're always super happy to go do. Uh, they're going to serve and protect, and um, man, I, I, I'm sure appreciative of it. So, a uh, big thank you to Damon. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, I appreciate everybody listening. Please go check out our website, whiskeythrottleshow.com, and um, support our sponsors. You know, we, we couldn't continue to bring you this show without them, and uh, we always try to make sure that we don't partner with a brand that isn't making the absolute highest level quality uh, products. So, um, trust us there and please visit these guys, support them. We're trying to get as many of these discount codes as we can. Anytime you're checking out with them, type in whiskey throttle. A lot of them use that code. Uh, and we try to push for 20% off at a minimum. So, uh, whether that's, you know, Therabody, method race wheels, uh, manscaped, you know, all these guys, they're all doing big, uh, big discounts for us. So we appreciate it. And, uh, we appreciate their support and your support as well. We've got more shows coming up. Uh, to get you through the holidays and into the new year, so stay tuned. The Whiskey Throttle Show is brought to you by Yamaha. Join the Blue Crew today and take advantage of all that Yamaha has to offer, including amateur racing trackside support, awesome Yamaha contingency, Jason Rain's demos and instructional classes, and frankly, the most high-performing motorcycles available in the market today. Whether you're looking for a four-stroke, a two-stroke, a side-by-side, a quad, a boat, a generator, Yamaha prides themselves on absolute top-level quality and reliability. Rev your heart with Yamaha and join the Blue Crew today. Sore necks, aching legs, tight backs. Our bodies aren't designed to be constantly tense, but what can we do about it? Help your body relax with TheraBody. TheraBody creates effective, natural solutions to take charge of your daily wellness. By combining education, innovation, and over a decade of pioneering technology, TheraBody makes wellness more accessible for everybody. A traumatic motorcycle accident led TheraBody founder Dr. Jason Westland to create the Theragun for his debilitating pain. Now the Theragun, the only physician-created percussive therapy device, uses a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power to relax and release your deep muscle tension. Recovery Air is TheraBody's world-leading pressure compression therapy system that flushes out leg soreness so you can bring on peak performance. Most electrical muscle stimulation is ineffective. Instead, TheraBody's sleek PowerDot takes away the guesswork with an intuitive app that customizes intensity and placement so you recover faster. Regular foam rollers hurt. TheraBody's Wave Series delivers powerful vibration and pressure to help you recover with less pain. Don't settle for mystery CBD. TheraBody's TheraOne range of topical and ingestible full-spectrum USDA-certified organic CBD products are redefining high-potency CBD for wellness and recovery. 250 professional sports teams exclusively use Theragun and other Therabody products to take recovery into their own hands. 
Method Race Wheels bringing you the lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in off-road for your truck, van, sprinter, UTV, or SUV. They've been dominating the Baja 500 and 1000 and every major off-road event around the world for years with high quality and performance. They also look amazing. They come in a bunch of different styles and colors for your rig, so check them out. You can get 20% off a set of wheels using our code WHISKEYTHROTTLE. No capitals, no spaces. 20% off using our code. Check them out. Also, coming soon, the R1M Project. Method Race Wheels makes a dive into the motocross world. Stay tuned. Troy Lee Designs is the leader in off-road motocross apparel and style. So whether you're looking for a cool new paint job for your helmet, maybe your name and number on your helmet lettered on, you're looking for new gear, you're looking for mountain bike gear, off-road gear, they've got the brand new Scout line in GP and SE models. Troy Lee Designs has it all. They've been leading this industry for decades, and they're going to continue to do it. Check out TroyLeeDesigns.com. SKDA is a moto graphics and seat covers company with several offices based around the globe. For too long, bikes and graphics have all looked the same. They just start to blend together. SKDA is working to change that. With super clean and unique design work, a bike with SKDA graphics stands out in a crowd and adds a touch of art to the world of moto. Hey, we need that. SKDA prides itself on providing premium customer service both before and after the sale is made. Visit SKDA online to view the current product range and get in touch with their team to get your bike refreshed. I want to just make a, a mention here that these guys, not only is their design way outside the box, very, very cool. They'll work with you on custom things. The, the products are incredible. Okay, they'll speak for themselves. But what's really awesome, and you'll notice this the minute you order one of these, man, they give you an email saying, hey, the product's been shipped. Uh, hey, the product is here. It landed in this spot. Hey, it's coming today. Hey, your product's been delivered. They, they're just so good about staying in touch with you and letting you know where it's at. Customer service is 100%, and uh, that's just something that's rare these days. Check out SKDA. Here at the Whiskey Throttle Show, we're all about supporting brands that support our sport. And there's one tire company that has never walked away from the sport of motocross and supercross, and it's Dunlop. When times got tough and the economy took a crash, Dunlop stepped up and stayed with our sport to support it and the athletes and individuals that love it. Their MX-53 line and MX-33 lines absolutely dominate this sport. Every national championship at the pro level has been won in the last decade, and nearly every single amateur national championship at Loretta Lynn's has been won on a Dunlop. So if you're looking for high performance, you're looking for amazing quality, and you're looking to support a brand that never turns its back on our sport, there's only one choice for you, and it's Dunlop. Pro Circuit is the leader in aftermarket performance and quality. Whether you're looking for a little more horsepower out of your engine, some quality hard parts to improve the way your bike feels and looks, better handling through suspension or linkage or linkage arms, Pro Circuit is where you need to stop. It's your one-stop shop. You can go in there and get everything you need to make your motorcycle go from average to exceptional. Pro Circuit's got enough number one plates on their wall to side an entire home. And there's a reason for that. They're very, very good at what they do. Uh, the highest quality products with one goal in mind, and that's winning. Check out ProCircuit.com. Nihilo Concepts is leading the way in aftermarket hard parts. With their secondary on-switch device, something that was much needed in this sport, they've been innovating and bringing new products to market. Their latest is the new Nihilo Run-Cool Brake Pistons. They're designed to be stronger than stock and provide exceptional cooling performance with less brake drag. Most OEM caliper pistons are made from aluminum that just can't hold up to the heat and extreme demands of serious racing. When they get hot, the aluminum will distort, causing loss of hydraulic pressure and brake failure. 
Nihilo's run-cool pistons limit the area that boiling hot hydraulic fluid is able to come in contact with the piston, leaving two-thirds of the piston volume in open air with breather holes to enhance the cooling ability. It's made of a proprietary stainless blend, which is better at dissipating heat. You have issues with brake fade or brake failure, check out Nihilo Concepts among their many amazing hard parts and carbon fiber parts and titanium. Nihiloconcepts.com. Senna is the leader in motorcycle helmet communications. There's really two prongs to why this is important. One of them is safety. If you're a dad who's watching your kid out on a track, being able to communicate with him about a rider down or a track situation is imperative. You don't want him coming over a jump and seeing a rider down and getting himself involved in that. So from a safety aspect, it's huge. You can also coach them. So if you see them taking a line, doing something that they could be improved, it's very easy to just click a button and speak to them right in their helmet in real time. This has been a proven coaching technique used by many motorcycle coaches. There's also just the simple fun factor. Being able to chat with your buddy while you're out on a ride, share music between one another, answer phone calls, it just takes your riding experience to another level. So whether you're using the 50S or 50R connected through a mesh network in your helmet, or you're using a Tough Talk headset connected with one of those, Senna is the leader in quality and performance in motorcycle helmet communications. Check them out at Senna.com. Seat Concepts is the leader in motorcycle saddles. If you're looking for a new cover or a new seat entirely, Seat Concepts is the place to go. They make custom seat foams catered to your height, weight, riding ability, riding type, they also have waterproof covers and, and foams that will not break down if you ride in a lot of inclement weather. And they pride themselves on being much more comfortable than OEM or any other aftermarket company. If you're looking for a new seat or a new cover, Seat Concepts, there's nothing better. Need to replace something on your bike that's worn out? Look no further than Pro-X. These guys aim to make everything OEM quality or better at an affordable price. And they've also got some new products coming. So right now, chains, sprockets, Anything inside the, in the engine internally, air filters, if it wears out, Pro-X makes it, and they make it at a quality level that's OEM or better. And they've got some new things coming that are awesome. A complete engine rebuild kits for the Polaris RZR 800s. Need to replace something on your bike that's worn out? Look no further than Pro-X. These guys aim to make everything OEM quality or better at an affordable price. And they've also got some new products coming. So right now, chains, sprockets, Anything inside the, in the engine internally, air filters. If it wears out, Pro-X makes it, and they make it at a quality level that's OEM or better. And they've got some new things coming that are awesome. A complete engine rebuild kits for the... If you've got a little Grom that's looking to get started in the motorcycle world, the best way to get them going is on a Stasic bike. They've got multiple sizes, so from your very young Groms to those who are a little more grown up, you can start them safely. They've got controls that allow you to control the speed so he can't get going too quick. They can touch the ground. There's not a lot of noise to distract them. It's the perfect way to get your child involved in motorcycling at a very young age. And if you've got a kid who's already out ripping, there's series popping up all over. For those of you in Southern California, go to www.ameminicross.com and join their local series. If you're outside of this state, contact your local track and ask them about starting a Stasic class at your local track. Get over to stasic.com and check out all they've got going on. Motul USA, uh, we, we lean hard on these lubricants to keep us uh, on the track and on the trail. And Motul has proven their quality over and over, uh, most recently with their Dakar win with Ricky Brabeck. 
Uh, they're sponsoring Supercross teams. They're diving into our sport again full full throttle, and uh, we're stoked to have them on board. Amazing products, top to bottom. Motul USA. Go check them out. OGO is the leader in motorcycle storage solutions. As motocross riders, we need a gear bag. We need a helmet bag, a boot bag, a backpack, a travel bag, a hydration pack, maybe a toolkit to wear around your waist if you're on an off-road ride. OGO makes all of that, and their products are absolutely top of the line. I've got stuff I've had for several decades, just to give you an idea of how long this stuff lasts. If you're not sure, ask around, talk to folks who've had some of this stuff, and they will confirm that OGO's quality is absolutely second to none. So go check them out, OGO underscore powersports.com, and look at all they've got to offer right now. And finally, last but not least, Specialized Bicycles. If you are in the market to start pedaling, this is where you want to start. Uh, they've got great entry-level bikes all the way up to the Cadillac, the new Levo um, e-bike, uh, any, anything in between, man. It doesn't matter what kind of riding you're doing. Go check out and start with Specialized. Don't waste your time on something that's going to break. The derailleur's not going to shift after a couple months. Get something quality. Uh, these guys make it. Specialized leads that industry. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of MPH Moto E Performance and Health with Coach Rob Beams. Welcome. Thank you, brother. Uh, so interesting topic today. I want to talk about hydration. Um, whether you're a high-level amateur guy, pro guy, or weekend warrior, uh, or you got kids that are in sports, sure. hydration's a key factor. Yeah. And there's a lot of confusion about what's better, an electrolyte like a sports drink or water, how much of each, uh, what are the differences in sports drinks? You know, you go to 7-Eleven, you got sure. Gatorade and Powerade pretty much. Uh, those are largely garbage mm -hmm. um, based on the ingredients. So talk a little bit about that, the, the difference between electrolyte drinks and water, why, why which are necessary, you know, which ones and the difference between those. Well, I like what you said. You know, hydration is something that, unfortunately, a lot of us don't think about it until it smacks us in the face. You know, we're dehydrated. We're cramping. We have all these issues. Think about the body's number one goal is to not die, <laughs> whether it's for freezing or heating. We call it thermal reg regulation. So when you look at that, you know, we, we grew up in biology 101, homeostasis, right? Finding that little sweet spot that the body's always striving for then we throw athletics in it and throw a ton of curveballs at it. Right. Heat, humidity, intensity, sweating. So when you look at the need for hydration, hydration is very, very simple. Snack on fruits and vegetables. They're loaded in water. They're loaded in electrolytes, which we'll talk about. When you look at how much water you should take, and I want the listeners to write this down. Take your body weight in pounds, divide it by two, and that's how many ounces of water you want over an 8 to 10-hour period, depending on how long you're awake. So if I'm 150 pounds, that's 75 ounces over an 8 to 10-hour day. Okay. So what that does, is, and I want the listeners to think about this, you have two sides of hydration, what we call basal metabolic needs, what you need to stay alive, and then what you lose in sweat. That's the side of the coin that people tend to mess up. So if you are drinking half of your body weight in ounces of water over the course of a day, you're hydrated for what your body needs. When we get into athletics, we need to know what your perspiration rate is. So stepping on the scale before you exercise, stepping on the scale afterwards, it's going to give you a number. Just like your motorcycle, every time you let this thing run, it's going to drain fuel, right? So you should lose some water weight every time you exercise. So if you're gaining weight during a workout, you're overhydrating. It's pretty simple. Mm. The reason why I want to bring that up at the beginning is being overhydrated is more dangerous than being dehydrated. And here's why. When you're overhydrated, hyponatremia is the technical word for that, 
you never quench thirst. And the dangerous part is you'll start to have symptoms as if you're inebriated, slurred speech, loss of balance, blurry vision. The problem with that is you still haven't quenched thirst, so your body still keeps prompting you to keep going. Unfortunately, it can kill you. Mm -hmm. If you go the dehydration route, there's, there's several phases. Skin stops sweating, cotton mouth. You may start to cramp. It'll give you enough stop gaps to the point where your head feels like you've got a frying pan on it. Usually there's enough indicators that you'll stop doing what you're doing. Very rarely do you see somebody kill themselves with dehydration. But even in Atlanta, they did that radio drink, excuse me, a radio station in Atlanta did a radio drinking contest and a lady died. Hmm. Okay. So when you look at the, the dangers of that, someone, you know, maybe the listeners will go, what, what, how, how big, what does it really matter if I'm hydrated? It can kill you if you overhydrate. Now, when we get into this, because that's the most important part about understanding hydration, how to do it, how to measure it, how to stay in balance. Then you look at the, you brought up the subject of electrolytes. That's where sports drinks come in. Electrolytes play two significant roles. One, it helps us absorb fluid. That's why you urinate more when you drink a sports drink, because the electrolytes help you pull that in, causes you to stay hydrated. That's a good thing. Electrolytes also play a significant role on the contraction of the muscle. So when somebody tells me they're cramping, we have to look at three things. Is it a dehydration issue? Is it an electrolyte imbalance issue? Or are you simply just pushing the tissue too hard? Mm -hmm. You know, if all of a sudden, you know, maybe you and I don't, uh, I'm from Florida. So if I all of a sudden we're going to go do a run in the rolling hills out here in San Diego, my calves are probably going to pay a significant price because it's not used to that much load leaving the ground. So when someone says they're cramping, that's what we immediately want to understand. How much have you lost? Is it a true dehydration issue? If you, if the sweat rate's within the right range, you should, when you exercise, you should have a loss rate of one to 2%. More than 2%, you're dehydrated. Anything less than 1%, i.e. you stayed the same weight, you're overhydrated. Hmm. Dangerous place to be. Interesting. Okay. But the electrolytes is what I want to, because you'd mentioned that earlier, electrolytes play a role on the ability to absorb fluid, stay hydrated, and then athletically perform. So like when somebody takes a, a sports drink and they cut it, they say, hey, buy this bottle of whatever drink, cut it in half. What is it you've cut in half? Calories and electrolytes. That's why I have a real problem with a lot of these products that are going to zero calorie. That's the stupidest thing you could ever do because during exercise, you need calories. Yeah. Now we can get into the subject for the first 60 to 90 minutes. You can go because you have stored sugar, blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, you know, you, you want to, if you're going to drink a sports drink, it's to fuel what you're doing. Yeah. Um, uh, some of the listeners may know I own my own sports drink business. I own my own supplement company as well, but I don't want you buying supplements and I don't want you taking sports drink until we deem it necessary. And what I mean by that is if you're eating fresh fruits and vegetables on a daily basis, your electrolyte levels are probably pretty dialed. Yeah. But I think you, people overestimate the, their need for sports drinks. Absolutely. Little Johnny does a 20-minute soccer game, and they're handing him a big bottle of Gatorade. Right. He doesn't probably need that. No. Um, and just to clarify that, when you eat a normal meal, your body stores glycogen in the liver to feed your brain and the muscles to, to feed movement. Well, if you're eating properly you've got about a 60 to 80 minute gas tank, depending on your body size. So let's just water it down to an hour. If you're properly eating during the day, you've got enough exercise to go an hour. If you're going longer than an hour, then look at bringing something in. Sure. Now, what gets kind of out of context is the junk that's in the drinks. You know, when you look at these, you know, you go to a refrigerated case and it's 
whatever color blues and greens and oranges and green those aren't normal colors well that's a coloring agent <laughs> that's not lime juice in the green that's gator, right, right? Yeah. Turned green. and and we have a mantra in our office we say if you can't pronounce the ingredient your body certainly can't digest it hmm. and so w when i developed energy fuel we did quite a bit of beta testing we we did it i think it was a total of eight years with all three flavor or all three we have four formulations um, I think it, the, it ended up being a total of eight years of beta testing because it's not just about throwing a concoction of ingredients together and go, oh, yeah, we have a sports drink. You have to look at the formulation. You have to look at the complexity of the carbohydrate. You have to look at its ability to break it down. And where this is going to be important for the listeners is there's an inverse relationship between food complexity and intensity. Mm -hmm. So if you're peeling the ears back on the dog and you're really hammering, you can't be having a lot of complex stuff in your stomach. Yeah. It's the, not going to break down. And we talked about this in a prior show. When, when you are working hard, you've got that flight or, fight or flight response. If you're fighting, your body is pushing all the blood to your extremities. There's no blood in your core to digest food. That's right. why it's going to be very difficult to digest heavy foods. Not even heavy foods, just slightly even complex because the blood is going to the working muscles to deliver oxygen. The water is going to the skin for sweating. Shuts nutrition, it shuts digestion down. Mm -hmm. And again, we're back to that hierarchy of needs. Die of a heat stroke or digest food, the digestion of food. And that's why you see on race day, people are nervous. They end up with diarrhea or vomiting. It's because the body wants it out of the system and it's only got two holes to get rid of it. <laughs> and it's going to find a way to get rid of it. Yeah. And so if you put it into an executive decision, you're not going to like the executive decision yeah. that the body's going to make. And we've Code all Brown. Been there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We've all been there. Um, and there's also, in terms of the electrolyte balance, you know, I, I think back to medic school, the uh, sodium potassium pump. I mean, your, your heart functions That's right. on proper electrolyte balance. And so I've always been told uh, a lot of cramping is more electrolyte imbalance than it is dehydration. That's right. Necessarily. So those are very important, but they're not all, all made equal. So continue on with that because I know your product, I've kind of helped you as you guys have gone along the way tasting those Absolutely. different ones and giving you feedback. And the new line's... Awesome. I love that there's no color to it, yep. which, which is a big, essentially poison. Yeah. Um, so if you're drinking red Gatorade, that red 40 or whatever it is, I don't give that to my kids right. because I can watch them just spin up mm -hmm. when they get on that stuff. Uh, so tell me about those differences there. Well, the, the, the thing that I want people to understand is when you look at the formulation, uh, as I teased earlier, if you can't pronounce it, you certainly can't digest it. And when you start looking at the elements of what's in a, an isotonic drink, that's a sports drink, stop and think about the ingredients that make up all those different colors first and foremost. Now, I'm not trying to insult anyone's intelligence. When you see it on the shelf, it's referred to as an RTD, a ready-to-drink. Well, if it's on a shelf, it has a preservative in it. That's why you don't see ours in a pre-liquid format because I don't want anything artificial in there. Yeah. Not because I'm, you know... Uh, I, I eat foods that some people would say are not good. You know, I'll, I'll have wings and cold beer occasionally. So again, I don't live in a glass house. I don't want to give the wrong impression, but I don't want to put an, a preservative in there where I know your body's going to struggle to break it down and probably cause some gastrointestinal issues, diarrhea and things cramping. So why would I want to put something into a drink? And if it's in an RTD, it is guaranteed to have a yeah. preservative. Otherwise it would have mold in it. Well, again, a preservative is not a normal thing that we were designed to eat. So You've got to look at these. And again, we don't live in a glass house. I mean, if you're, I, w I wish I could say I haven't had to have Gatorade, but there's been times Michaela and I, you know, we go on a, a long bike ride and next thing you know, we're running through a, a convenience store and, you know, we're getting ice cold Gatorade and potato chips. Yeah. 
You know, um, we've sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Well, <laughs> and it's funny because for those of you that like to watch the Tour de France, um, if you watch those guys in the tour, you'll notice in their feed bags as they go through the feed zones, you'll notice they'll reach in their satchel and the first thing they'll do is grab a small can of cola. Because when you're under a lot of uh, the three elements of stress, heat, you know, intensity, and, you know, take all of those dynamics of racing, high heart rate, high temperatures, high stress. Those three things are going to beat hunger down all day long. The reason why they put the cola in is because the phosphorus in the cola will reactivate the digestive enzymes. Mm. But if you notice, they're not doing it on the most difficult part of the stage. They're doing it usually at the top of a hill where now they can let the heart rate come down. It allows them to bring the food in without it coming right, hitting up the rebut. Mm. So when you, I'm not advocating Coke. I want people to understand what they're looking at when they watch it on TV. Then you'll notice when the race is over, those guys are, are hammering a Coke because they know that the recovery window is pretty tight. And if you put food in and you regurgitate it, that doesn't help your recovery yeah. window. Yeah. Uh, Michaela and I do a lot with triathlons and there was a big showdown between Jan Ferdino from Germany and Lionel Sanders and the goal was set to try to break the world record for the Ironman distance, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike and a marathon. And they did, they went to seven and a half hours. But my point is this, as soon as John Ferdino crossed the finish line, his agent gave him a big glass of a cola. liter of cola, cola straight. Oh, and Farva would have been he's proud. Sitting, he's sitting right there drinking it. And it was funny. Then he went to go up on the podium. His agent took it back away because he's not getting paid to be on the podium yeah. with it. But I just want the viewers to understand what they're looking at and why, why would, they're doing that. Why yeah. would somebody hit yeah. a cola? Because they know the recovery window has got to be engaged. And when you've suppressed appetite, we've all been there, all of us. It's hot. It's humid. When someone's yeah. telling you you should eat, and you're like, man, I'm going to throw up if I put that in my mouth. See, I always thought it was just to get sugar up because there's so much sugar in soda, but it's actually Yeah, it's a little bit deeper phosphorus. than that. Wow. Yeah, it's a little deeper than that. Well, tell me about the products you have, your uh, energy fuel. There's three different yeah, there's a total of four formulas. If okay. you go from the, we call it the left to the right, we have what's called energy fuel light. For those of you that have, um, we call profuse sweaters, you know, electrolyte imbalances, you go and you get blood work on a regular basis and you see your sodium potassium pumps out of line or calcium is, you know, out of whack. Um, we, we recommend that. It's, it's just an easy way to keep electrolytes. I think it's got 70 calories in it, so it just keeps your water flavored enough, but you're not getting jacked up on a bunch of sugar. Um, the next product is our regular energy fuel, excuse me, energy fuel boost. Um, it's got a slightly simpler carbohydrate formulation because it's designed for high intensity, less than an hour. And that's what I want everybody to realize is when we created the sports drinks, they need to be designed based on intensity and they need to be based on duration. So there's an inverse relationship. If you're racing for a long period of time, you can't go out there at sprint mode. So the heart rate has to come down, which allows us to make the molecules a little bit more complex. Yeah. So there's an inverse relationship there. And then in the boost, we actually have what's called an alpha lactate. It's a poly, uh, a lactic acid buffer is probably the easiest way to say it. So for those of you that when you're out there and you're going guts to the wall and you just feel your body loading up, it's the backing up of lactic acid. So we put a buffer in there. Then we have our normal energy fuel, which is designed to go between one and two hours. Again, carbohydrates are designed a certain way. Uh, we do have a lactic acid buffer in that as well. Then we have our long distance. So like with our GNCC or anybody that rides off-road, it's designed for three hours and above. So it's a little bit more complex because you're bringing the heart rate down, and we put a dab of protein in it. Uh, have you ever had that hollowed-out feeling when you're at the track and you're drinking fluids, but you just want to bite your arm because you're just hollowed out or a long bike ride? Yeah. That's why we uh, – there's only two macronutrients that satisfies appetite, and that's protein and fat. So you put a little bit of protein in there. The reason why we say a little bit is if you put too much – 
and you're obviously your core body temperature is up, you throw protein on, it could ferment, you could end up with all kinds of GI distress. Yeah. So just again, more sports. There's more science behind the drink than people realize. Yeah, and you guys have done a great job. Uh, if you get over to CompleteRacingSolutions.com, he's got a full uh, list of different things on there that are free, to, free of charge, menu options, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, and they also have a membership available. I highly recommend it. Great stuff over there. Um, thank you. Appreciate it, bro. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more MPH videos. And that's our show. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for watching the Whiskey Throttle Show. Don't forget to like and subscribe and click the bell to get alerts for all the latest content. Follow us on Twitter at W underscore throttle underscore show. And on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at Whiskey Throttle Show. The Whiskey Throttle Show, now available on the Spot Network, an independent standalone streaming platform live now on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Google Play, Android TV, most smart TVs, and all phones and tablets. Look for future live shows and specials only available on Spot Network. Download the app today on your favorite device.